Coming to you from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show, bringing you the legends and leaders of our sport with your host, David Pingree. This week's guest is brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry, motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, generators, side-by-sides, quads, boats. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Today's guest is presented by Therabody, the world leader in human performance, wellness, and recovery. The pioneers of percussive therapy, Therabody changed the game with the Theragun device. Their arsenal has grown to include recovery compression systems, power dot electric muscle stimulators, adjustable vibrating foam rollers, and a complete line of organic wellness solutions with their TheraOne lineup. Whether you are a world-class athlete or you are just looking to improve your overall health, TheraBody has the tools to help. Today's show brought to you in part by Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road market and they have the wheels for your truck, sprinter, SUV, Jeep, or van. SKDA Graphics. SKDA has turned the motorcycle graphic design world on its head by bringing a fast, fresh look into the sport. From outside-the-box designs to retro looks to a complete line of whiskey throttle show graphics, SKDA is operating on a completely different plane than the rest. With free global shipping on orders of over $100 and unrivaled customer service, right now is the time to freshen up the look of your ride. Troy Lee Designs. Built for the world's fastest racers, Troy Lee Designs blends elite-level protection with a history of industry-leading style and performance. From motocross gear to custom paint to bicycle protection, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. It's January 2022, and we are back home in the Troy Lee Design Saloon. Welcome to the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree. We've got a living motorcycle legend, action sports legend, I guess, today. Right there. No, Mr. Travis Pastrana, dude. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having so me. So stoked. It. Yeah, I'm, I, your schedule is cram-packed like nobody I've ever seen. So I'm just stoked we made it happen. Dude, no, I'm excited. I've been trying to get on the show for a while. Definitely uh, listen to you guys, so pretty stoked. Well, that's real nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> hey, we start our, all our shows with a segment called the Method Race Wheels Front End Chatter. They, they make, make the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road racing if you're in the market. Use the code Whiskey Throttle to get 20% off on any Method Race Wheels products. Uh, check them out. Those guys make awesome stuff. And... Really sick new uh, rim project. It's called the Rim Proto Project. You'll see on Justin Barsha's race bike this weekend. Uh, really cool venture they're getting into motorcycle wheels, which is cool. So have a look at that. A uh, couple questions to start off with. You've been a media darling from day one. You just you just have a very genuine quality to you. You're not shy. <laughs> I, I think that's maybe yeah. understating a little bit. <laughs> I talk uh, a lot. You're just the right guy for that job. Um, you were on, you know... ES, you did a lot of stuff with ESPN, the body issue, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> uh, the Tonight Show with, with Jay Leno. Um, you know, and, and once you and Jeremy kind of weren't involved in the sport anymore, Dungey did a pretty good job of picking up and doing some of that corporate stuff. But then there's been kind of like this fall off, I feel, of, of motocross guys who could pick up that torch and run. Uh, you got um, that? So that's kind of, I think, where everybody's hoping that, that, that he'll be the guy or, or somebody. Is that who you would see? And what do, you, what do you think? What do you think? Is it important to have that? 
Um, no, I mean, the sport's the strongest it's ever been. It, it's so much fun to watch. And, you know, coming in, especially coming in at A1, I mean, shoot, the 450 class, there's there's 15 people that, uh, you know, Looks you think like they probably could win. Yeah. could win a race. I mean, you know, it always comes down to, yeah, you should say, the, the main three that are probably going to win, you know, 80% of, uh, you know, what's going on. But there's always that, that hope. You got that... Uh, uh, Davey Millsaps, when he came in, you see yeah. him in practice, and you're like, you know, this is obviously still yeah. eight years ago or whatnot, but, uh, you know, there's always that that chance that someone's going to get in there, and uh, definitely could be cool to see what Ferrandez does. Um, but as far as, you know, it's not an um, up-and-coming American, like, uh, you know, like, obviously Cooper Webb was absolutely awesome and, and done really well. Um, but it's a different skill to be media savvy and be comfortable in front of a camera and be able to... I don't know, throw the sport on your shoulders from that standpoint and run with the ball. I, I think it's not caring. And talking to Jet, like, so many people care about what other people think about you. And at the end of the day, like, I was such a big fan of the sport. Like, I was a genuine, like, I was just excited to be at the track. I was excited. When I get to race Steve Lampson, we're battling for the championship, and I'm still, like, I'm, like looking at line. I'm, like, <laughs> talking to Leroy. I'm, like, dude, that's Steve Lampson, you know? Like, um, and I think that's where Jet, he... He doesn't take a lot of time to, to get up. He's like Bob Hanna. You know, you want to see that that guy that smashes the ground. And before they realize if they're broken or not, they're back up. They're back on their bike, and they're always giving it everything they got. And I just think there's something about not knowing or, you know, like what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think for me that it carried on because I always – just wanted to win and everyone's like oh well you can't win this race and kind of like when you watch james stewart when he started out when you watch carmichael yeah um you know they'd mess up in reverse and every time they messed up they grabbed a handful of throttle and instead of backing it down they just kept going until yeah. they were on the ground or on top yeah well i, I feel like we need we need it we're kind of waiting for the next guy to do that so i hope it's jet i don't care if he's american or not i just want someone to represent the sport you know no but okay now take a step back when we were growing up we weren't burnt out. When I got to race Supercross, when I turned 16, I was so excited to ride my dirt bike. I remember yeah. going to Jeff Stanton's house, and he's like, quality over quantity, quality. I'm like, why? He's like, because you're going to get burnt out. Now, I mean, Jeff was pretty much uh, done Wow, at that's interesting coming from him because he was a workhorse. He, well, yeah, huh. quality over quantity. Get yeah. in, get out, do your, do your work. And that's why, I mean, at 24, I think Jeff was pretty much done with, with racing. He was, yeah. you know, because it, it is hard. You will have injuries. But now... To get good in, in motocross, you're going to have to go down to GPF or MTF or <laughs> somewhere, and you're going to be riding from the time you're five, six, seven years old. Those The kids that are a little bit of a standout, their parents are putting everything in. They're riding dirt bikes 24-7. So by the time they get to do what they love to do for a living, they no longer love it in the same way. It's a job. Yeah. So for me to see someone like Jet, who you know their parents gave up everything, who goes over to um, to Europe, who now has to, the dream to come over here to you know to kind of follow in Chad Reed's footsteps uh, and do that. Like this is still new to him, even though you know it's it's definitely been a, a grind. But he's put so much work, and it hasn't been his parents or anyone else kind of pushing him. He's right. wanted to get there, and he's wanted to beat his brother, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, that little rivalry is, rivalry is fun to watch. Um, so. I think I've heard you mention this before where you think that it's a, a good idea. And maybe if I haven't heard, this isn't you chime in, but it kind of goes along with what you're saying is um, it's good to be a multi-sport athlete so that you don't have that burnout. Or what do you think of that theory that instead of having a kid just focus so hard on one sport from the time they're six, introduce them to several different sports. One will complement the other. They're going to learn different skills and hand-eye coordination and different things that'll complement each one together. 
right? And then you focus on whatever it's going to be later on down the road. Different people are different. Ricky Carmichael rode the same line. You could have taken, I think Jeremy Malat was actually talking about this. He's like, he go to the, the test tracks, and everyone kind of took after Ricky. Ricky was the first one that, yeah. that came in and uh, with Alden, and just they trained hard, and they worked hard, and every single lap from the first lap of practice to the last was on the clock. And yeah. guys like Roger DeCoster love that. They're like, okay, we know what the bike's doing. We know if he's making improvement, not improvement. But me, I'm like, you didn't use this jump here, this jump here, these three jumps over here. You never touched them. Dirtworks built them. You never even t- like. Who knows? Maybe you could do yeah. some tire tap, and then Wyndham would come at the track, and we, I feel like David Bailey when he's talking about Lachine. Wyndham would show up late. He'd show up in some nice car or whatever. He'd like whatever. He'd go around. He'd set the fastest lap of anyone that we've done like for the, that year, yeah. and he'd seat bounce some jump that you'd never seen. He'd connect three or four jumps on the side that you're like. Even God would be scared jumping this thing, yeah. and then he'd leave like an hour early. And Roger got so so bummed. But uh, Wyndham was like, "Man, I did a twenty lap moto. I was I he would lap me on Wyndham's on his practice track. He would lap me. I would try to make it to lap nineteen. He would usually lap me on lap eighteen. And then we'd go to the races, and I would lap Wyndham. I remember coming into Phoenix. I literally he lapped me on lap eighteen, and Roger's like, "Well, he's not in shape." I'm like, "You can't." be that fast in practice. Raynard was another good example. Yeah. And then like that slow, it's, it's not conditioning that that's getting yeah, yeah. It's mental, so. mental high and just tightening up or what? Yeah. I've, you don't know. I don't know. Yeah, But it wasn't I, fitness. It, it was, yeah. yeah. So that's, interesting. I forget what the question was on that, but yeah, I, I kind of get <laughs> off on tangents sometimes. That's all right. We'll let you run with it. <laughs> um, that was our method race. Wheels front end chatter. Go to whiskey show.com guys. All kinds of new merch over there. Uh, flannels, the Motul wash buckets are really cool gifts. Uh, and I want to mention quickly, just we've got a handful of new sponsors. One you're going to hear from in our sponsor spotlight today, but uh, Motive, uh, Luck, Sportswear, Mealthy, and Custom Outfitters. Uh, they are brand new for this year, and we're stoked to have them. You're going to learn a lot more about these guys. We'll, uh, we'll get into some of their details a little bit later. But uh, along with our already great partners, we've added a few this year, and we're, we're really psyched to have them on. Um, Therabody's bringing you your guest today, Mr. Travis Pastrana. So let's jump into it, man. Awesome. Maryland. Maryland. Maryland boy, born and raised, same spot? Same was spot. it Annapolis? Annapolis, yeah, yeah, right outside. Well, born in Annapolis, had to move uh, three miles outside of town to get uh, what everyone calls Pastrana land now. Yeah, um, yeah no, it was, it's been awesome. I mean, that's where, that's where home is. That's where family is. Yeah. Um, have a lot of uncles, big big family on that side. So Okay, and I, I read somewhere your uncle, one of your uncles played for the uh, quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, so right? my uncle Allen, uh, yeah, he passed away this last year, but he had uh, ah, he played uh, played for the Denver Broncos, um, was all American lacrosse, all American wrestling. My uh, uh, grandfather, his father, father, my dad was, or my grandfather uh, was Golden Glove boxer. Um, they were all wrestlers, boxers, football. Um, they all went to college. Not the smartest uh, crew, but they all went to college on basically scholarships for for sports. Um, <laughs> if you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough, exactly. right? That's what they say. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much our family's motto. Um, no, and my uncle Alan said football's too dangerous. He got knocked out by a uh, high tower from Police Academy. If you no ever, way. Yeah, um, they actually had a Pastrana rule in the NFL because uh, at the time quarterback was the only one allowed to call timeout. Broncos had a chance to make it to the first ever playoffs. Like this is '69 or whatever the the first uh, Super Bowl was coming around. Okay. And uh, so 30 seconds left on like the five yard line. Quarterback gets knocked out, and all the, his team's trying to grab his hands to put timeout. No way. Lose, don't make it to the playoffs. Uh, whatever. And that was his last. He got knocked out pretty bad. He went 
uh, came home and played construction. <laughs> By Hightower. Yeah, Hightower. That's a good him. way to go out. You go with somebody so in a... After the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a pop culture icon <laughs> like that. So after that, uh, the Pastrana rule was put in where wow. the coach could then call timeout as well. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. And then uh, your dad was a Marine as well, right? Like, your family's pretty gnarly. A lot of military. Well, a lot of military in... Um, you know, my my grandfather was uh, was in the navy. He was actually a cook, okay. but uh, he got he got thrown off. He was boxing. He got thrown <laughs> thrown off of the um, the USS Hawkins in World War II, and uh, it was funny because there's a there's a painting I have still have in the house. Uh, he has his shoes. He tread water for two hours. Um, no way. Somewhere why, out in the why Pacific. Why did he get thrown off? Wait, he fell off. So I actually have his. Uh, he recorded his version of what had happened. I don't know how many times the story had changed before then, but so he got in a fight and he goes, I went to go back against the, the ropes. And he goes, they were a little lower than the, than the oh, ropes in no. a boxing. <laughs> so he went right off the, right off the side and the, the boat, they turned around, they picked him up and he still had his shoes. So he tread water for like two hours and they did, they came back and got him and they said, Pastrana, why do you still have your shoes? He's like, well, if you guys ever turned around, I was, you know, I figured we're going to be stuck on this boat. I was going to need my shoes. So yeah, good family stories, but um, no, nah, it's been it, it's been fun. And growing up, my dad was um, yeah, Marine Corps. Like if I slept till eight o'clock on a, you know, on a Sunday on an off weekend, that was the end of the world. Like lazy yeah. pile of shit. So. My dad would come in and go. It'd be nine a.m. Well, good afternoon. If if I wasn't up like with the sun, yeah, he would tell me good afternoon when I got up, and I'm like, it's eight thirty, Dad. <laughs> yeah. uh, same, same, we have similar upbringings. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. So good times back then. I mean, it seems like. Just the videos I see of you posting, you guys are constantly at a lake or a river or just doing something back there. You know what I mean? It seems like a cool place to grow up. It, it is. And, uh, yeah, um, I'd have to say social media can be deceptive. Like we're, oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's good. When I'm home, I get to be home. and It's, it's the best job ever. But to, to make a living doing what you love, um, you know, the amount of time on the road, like, you know, not a big deal, but. We're, we're filming last night we, we get done filming it was an early night we got 11 o'clock and then you know it was awesome had a chance to come down here this morning and then you know one o'clock we, we got another diff, you know it just it's awesome but everything as far as building like with nitro circus and nitro rallycross and trying to get these courses set up and and then still try to be competitive yeah uh, and what you do and uh, you know it's definitely it's not fun when you're losing so yeah. you got to put in the time and the effort and rally uh, it, it's wild because especially like not rally cross, but rally when you're going out, you're making notes. Um, you know, you're up till you know, four o'clock in the morning or till whenever you're too tired to, to work the next day. And then, you know, rally starts at six and you know, you're still talking to fans and signing and doing that kind of stuff. And then you, know, you come home and it's, it's awesome because you get to spend time, you know, with your kids yeah. and we have such a great with Pastrana land there. And we got the, the Can-Ams and uh, BRP, which is uh, they do Can-Am and Sea-Do and uh, yeah. all the, Basically, the fun stuff. Bomb, Manitou, it's bombardier, right? Boats. Yeah. Uh, bombardier. Uh, nope. Don't oh, that's do that a different one. one? Different one. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, no, it's just been really fun to be able to spend time with the yeah. family and do that kind of stuff. But it's it's a full time. So are you kind of showing your kids the same type of upbringing you had, just having fun on all on that property at home, you know, out in the country, out there? Yeah, a little different. Like uh, you have two girls. I yeah. you know I have two girls, and they are around you know, action sports. All the time, yeah. Uh, but for them, that's more of they see it as a, as a job because we're always filming stuff and doing, and it's not as candid. Like, oh, we can't have the music playing there, or hey, we're going to be filming this, mm -hmm. so we got to be quiet over here. Um, you know, but they definitely they love the Can-Ams. We got my my oldest when she was 
I guess seven. We had her set up with uh, welded some some foot pegs so she could uh, oh, yeah. get to the gas and the brake, and she was doing a... Big old wood blocks. Yeah, well. no, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, a little metal, and we got a car seat basically in there. Yeah. It's probably not a... Maybe a little frowned eh, upon, but... Maybe. Because K&M only makes a 1,000, so she's in the 1,000 mm. cc back in the woods launching. We got a, like an 80-foot jump, and it's been fun, uh, but they're big into cheer, so it's been a different, different yeah. lifestyle for sure. When you were a kid... Uh, before you got your first motorcycle, did you guys do anything else, any other sports, or what did you guys do growing up? Um, so my dad, he loved being out in the water. And okay. Maryland, you're real close to, to the water. But when, you know, motocross is expensive. <laughs> so when I was probably seven or eight and started trying to get to the Nationals, sold the boat, and then my dad sold the Harley. Then we had a mortgage on the house, then two more, and then three mortgage on the house. So at by the time I turned 15 and X Games came around, like, you owe dad a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, mom and dad had sacrificed everything. And yeah, I mean, it was, but they never expected me to make it, which is, I think my dad was probably the only one that had slowed down on the pit board. We were Minios, Justin Bucklew, and I back and forth, and we're just, you know, supermaning everywhere. Just yeah. we wanted to beat each other. And everyone else is like yelling, like, go. And my dad's like, you're. You're going to get hurt. You just had to slow down. It's okay. Slow down. <laughs> and uh, Justin actually broke his femur to that lap. And my dad's like crying for Justin. I'm like, well, I won. He's like, this is stupid. This is the stupidest sport ever. He goes, your, your uncle, he's like, he's told you football is too dangerous. So we got into this. This is the <laughs> dumbest decision I ever made. He's like, are you having fun? I'm like, yeah. He's like, good. Because if you're not, we're, we're not doing this anymore. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> See, I picture your dad as like this hardcore marine that was probably pushing you but no he was he was pumping the brakes on you huh yeah i mean supported it but he he didn't want to see you hurt i'm sure he wanted to see i mean you know starting in probably second or third grade i had to run a mile every day before school he's like look we don't have enough money to go down to florida for the winter but you know all the guys are going down to the winter series that's where this is going he goes they had a family-run construction company, just mm -hmm. my dad and his brothers, basically. Um, okay. There's two other guys that worked it, but they all basically took pay cuts um, to pay for us to go down in the, the truck, and then eventually we got a motorhome uh, to go down to Florida to pay for gas, and they'd pick me up from school. Um, you know, my, my mom was a flight attendant, so we could pay for flights to okay. get me out to some different races and uh, came out here to Terry Varner and FMF and all that stuff when I was yeah. like 14 and 15. But it was really cool because... Um, you know, my dad's like, look, I don't care if it's snowing. I don't care if it's 110 degrees. I don't care if you have the flu. He goes, if you run one mile a day every day and you keep on honor roll in school, he goes, we'll keep doing this. He goes, but your uncle, Alan, was the greatest athlete that's ever come out of Annapolis. Maybe greatest athlete that's ever come out of Anne Arundel County, maybe Maryland. And he said, after two years in the NFL, he's back here teaching community college health classes, uh, lacrosse classes, football classes, and he works construction with us uh, in the summer. He said, "Wow, that's, that's as good as it's going to get. So if you don't love what you do, and he said, Alan, he had a lot of concussions, the last one being, he goes, his, he's still a great guy, but his personality's changed. Mm. He goes, I, I don't want you to risk doing something for me, for mom, for, for anybody else. He goes, but if you love what you do, live ride that train to the wheels fall off and thanks dad because we're, we're still riding the train yeah. somehow it's wobbling but like, there's a lot of wheels that have come <laughs> off but you're still moving forward <laughs> that's crazy man i so I, I love these origin stories you know because you don't hear about the struggles you don't hear that your parents had two mortgages on their house and sold all the stuff you know all of their belongings to get you there you, you know that's that's crazy well, um, I mean, i'm sure it's just it's it's got to be the same in just about it's, every it's super common we just don't hear it 
You yeah. know what I mean? You don't see that part of it. You just see, oh, he was a Suzuki's <laughs> golden boy, got everything handed to him. You know what I mean? That's when the story picks up for most people. But but I, I think kind of my biggest downfall, too, was almost because of that. I mean, if, as far as titles and racing, um, my dad's like, look, have, if you don't love it, don't do it. Mm. You know, but have fun. Go for it. Always, you know, and that was... Um, you know, kind of the thing, like you'd see a, a bridge that's like a hundred foot jump and, uh, you know, into water and you'd be on your way to the outdoor nationals and be like, man, I think we can jump this. Like, hell, let's jump the he'd bridge. Just stop and yeah, you just stop and jump the bridge. And, um, you know, all the stuff that, you know, like freestyle, oh, that's, you can't do that and do racing. But when the worst I ever did as a racer, the absolute slowest I ever was, um, and, and Todd Jacobs, awesome trainer but we're like all right we're cutting out all the crap it's 2002 he's like it's you, you already you messed up your knee doing some stupid step up you're always doing this other stupid crap um you're not doing the Wyndham stuff we're on the Carmichael program we are running every lap on the on the time we're making sure this is you're, we're going to be in the best shape for life. and I was dude I was a spin bike champion I was doing laps in the pool like freaking Michael Phelps yeah it did not translate didn't work huh? to speed on the bike because I just I learned that you didn't have to always go 100% like when you're just having fun you run a heart rate of 205 and you're like it could be lap two and you're going for it but when you're like ah you know what it's a championship let me think about this let me think smart. Let me think like uh, Kurt Nickel did. Kurt Nickel, um, for those of you who don't know, he's a four-time vice world champion. Played everything meticulous. He was the hardest trainer. He only did what he needed to do. But there's always an X factor. Mm -hmm. And that X factor is like the Jet Lawrence. It's like the guys that are coming out there that just love it. And they're yeah. going to find a way to do some cool wheelie over something or, or hit something or, or get around you in some way that you never expected. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting stuff. Um so tell me about your first bike. How did you first get introduced to, to dirt bikes then? Did your dad ride? Uh, see, all my uncles. Oh, rode. they all rode Actually, my bit. mom rode as well. Okay. Yeah. So uh, now we just... So, so was, how young were you? Uh, I was four years old for Christmas okay. that year. My dad... So all my uncles had bikes. And uh, I lived... So it was my grandma, me, my dad's cousin, whatever that makes him, uh, my dad's brother, um, and then another uncle, all on basically Pastrana Road. Uh, it was Elliot, because that was my grandma's maiden name okay um and then behind that we had a small construction company so all the jumps which is perfect for freestyle they all changed every day the piles would be different piles gotcha. everywhere and we had a bobcat and always got in trouble for mixing the the white sand <laughs> with the, the the other sand the materials, yeah, you yeah. can't mix the materials yeah. pea gravel's got to stay over here uh no but it was it was really cool because we'd go out so you know they get up as soon as the sun was up they were out there but they'd get their work done and they'd be done at three so i got off school at three and they were always mm. playing motorcycle stuff, car stuff, and every year it went from a dirt track around the shop, and then there were concrete, so it got more and more concrete, so it was half concrete, half dirt, and we had go-karts, and we had, since I was two, had like a five-horsepower Briggs & Stratton yeah. attached to like this just homemade, welded, yeah. whatever cart. Um, I rolled it when I was three, so they put a seatbelt on it, and then a welded roll cage over top, you yeah. know, safety third. Sure, third or um, fourth. No, but so riding motorcycles with my uncles as soon as I got off school every single day, mm. and they were playing soccer or whatever you call that when polo or when you're on the bikes, and okay. I always had different games and yeah. see if you could get up the hill climbs, and they were, I mean, they just were horrible. Fun. Yeah, just yeah, having fun on time. it. Yeah. Huh. What, so why, uh, PW50? So started with a Z50. Okay. Um, and then started, went to racing and uh, got and a what, PW. And what year would that have been? You were born in 81? So 83. 83. Yep. Um, so 88. 
889, I guess, was when it started. Okay. Now, what was really cool, there's a youth group called Middle Atlantic Motorcycle Association, MAMA. Now, the, the Loretta Lynn's national champion, my first year, went to MAMA. Okay. So, Tommy Schuler. Now, he had, like, six brothers, and they all raced dirt bikes. So, it was, like, basically the Schulers and the Days were, the, like, our whole age group. And they were all national champions. So, when I was seven, I was super tall. So, I was seven, okay. went to Loretta Lynn's on an 85. At and seven? At seven. So I had went on a sixty-five too, but I, I hated it and actually I still got a scar from that sixty-five. I was no was, good. Yeah, no, I was too no big. Good. Too big. Yeah. yeah, I was probably too small for the eighty-five, but in my head that was where I belonged. Okay. So I got twenty-second at seven years old in the seven eleven because they didn't used to have those age brackets like seven or whatever. Yeah. And I was the fifth in my local track. So we didn't run. We ran Bud's Creek once a year. We ran um, a, a couple White Oak and a couple other places, but it was mostly a, a Quasco, which ended up getting shut down when I was like ten or eleven. But I wasn't even top five at your local at track. my local track at Loretta Lynn's, and that was just who we were growing up with. Yeah. So these guys, I mean, you know, Paulie Carpenter, Aaron Day, I mean, probably names that you might not uh, heard I of. I know Paulie, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and these guys were, it was cool because when you look at your local group, and they were also the best in the country. So mm. you, when you're, you only kind of get as good as that best yeah. guy, you know, usually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, same way for me when I moved to Arizona, I was 10. I had Button and Kalos and Gaddis yeah, oh. and Robert Naughton. Like, I had these guys that ha- had been racing Supercross and, or were moving in. And it gives you something to, to aspire to, right? It gives you somebody to watch and learn from. So I think that makes a huge difference. You know, guys that, you know, I was born in Montana. If I had stayed there, I, I have very little to draw from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Local pros there. Well, you're like, oh, man, I'm, I must be good. I'm winning. As opposed to not necessarily, I must, well, <laughs> or I must suck because I'm getting fifth, but you're still yeah, yeah. You know, top ten in right, the nation. Right. Um, so, what was your first race? Do you remember? Oh yeah, no, it's one of my first memories. I crashed everywhere. I, well, f- my first memory is actually the practice day. So they did an open okay. practice. Okay. And I where was, was it? Aquasco. Okay. Oh right. yeah, um, dude, it was cool because it was like, like Buzz is usually pretty hard packed most of the year. Like they do a great job for pro national yeah. day and then honestly they're they're doing a especially um with ezra beasley doing a much better job on, on the practice days now and and making it really accessible but that just wasn't the track that you saw on national day back when i was growing up it okay. was hard pack huh super hard packed but the ruts stayed it was you know like if you go down to elsinore back in the day yeah. like the ruts were still there from the, the yeah, 82 yeah, gotcha. gp gotcha. Um, it just it wasn't easy for kids Basically, okay. but Quasco, it was that perfect like half sand, half clay. Uh, it could rain and still be loamy, or it could get dry and it'd still be kind of sandy. And yeah. um, dude, I crashed everywhere. And I remember my mom like kind of yelling at my dad, like, "He hates it. Look, he's crying. He's crashed everywhere. He's gonna die." <laughs> and I just wouldn't get off the bike. And I stayed on the bike. And Dad's like, "All right, we're done." I'm like, "No, I'm not quitting." And um, it's just kind of funny because then the first round came, first race, and they had because it was so many kids on on minis mm-hmm. even our local mama um so i raced the the junior like c class okay and i got i got third so i got a trophy i think right. there's only five people but Podium yeah fish. All a right. girl girl won yeah <laughs> autumn hughes uh, amber hughes's little sister i was like man whatever i got my trophy <laughs> coming back <laughs> uh that's great uh that's funny all right so were you you hooked right away like did you love it right away or did it sort of take some time no this that was it you're in dude right away okay well 
So I, I didn't really love it at first. My dad loved it. He loved, you know, the other dads, and they're all drinking beers, and just it was fun. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about this. And then I grew to love it over, you know, probably a year. So only child, um, you know, growing up, all my uncles were kind of who I looked up to. Okay. And every day they're literally right around back of my house doing whatever. Like I said, playing soccer, yeah. kill climbs, just laughing, having fun. It was either it was either that or they were sliding what old piece of crap cars they get out of the junkyard and build together and, and yeah. you know, kind of do some basic circle track racing. Yeah. So all I wanted to do was ride a dirt bike so I could ride and play soccer and yeah. do all this, uh. we could say so- uh, polo, I don't know, whatever they, you call it, motorcycle. Moto soccer. polo, yeah, I guess, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I, but I always wanted to do that. Yeah. And that was, for me, this was just, it was just a way to, that I could kind of yeah. hang out. Your uncle sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. That sounded like a, uh, that would have been a fun area to grow, like a time to grow up in. Um, I got to clear this up because I, I remember this vaguely, and if I'm off, just tell me I'm wrong. I remember hearing something about your mom got her palm red or something a long time ago. It was right on, actually. Is that right? Yeah, oh, dude, it was spot and, on. And he said you your son is going to die young or no, something like no, no, that? No, 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 not that. Oh. Well, uh, she didn't tell me if that's what they said. That's, um, okay, well, what was that about? Tell me that story. I think I made it past the young part. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you, you proved him wrong. Uh, wow. How, how the heck did you hear this story? Well, I don't know. I didn't even know. It's from a long time ago. And I, that's why I said, if I heard this wrong or this was just baloney, correct me. But So I was 14. I was down uh, Tall Pines RV Park uh, staying with uh, um, uh, Brandon. Um, um, Jessamine? Jessamine. Okay. Why well, I had brain fade on that. Yeah. But yeah, so staying with Brandon Jessamine. And his mom got my mom to go to like a psychic. Okay. And I... Is that I, out of character for your mom? She wouldn't normally go to a psychic, or is that something no, she would do? she's religious, but not really like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, no, so I, I have no idea why they went. But went to a psychic, and they, uh, the psychic, she came back, and my mom was laughing. She's like, yeah, I didn't tell them anything. But, you know, I have no idea. I wasn't there. But she goes, said, you're going to be very successful and have a lot of toys, but not kids' toys. Um, and then you're going to have an injury, probably a knee injury, that's going to take you out of uh your career at a you're going to retire at 20 um and then you're going to be a tv star shut your mouth i shit you not that is exactly what she told and who Jessman's, is this psychic back Je- i know i, I know to i want to go so, so <laughs> jessman's mom uh went to the psychic and said your son is is he's going to do okay but not as good as you guys uh are hoping and there's going to be um you know some some lessons learned and it'll be a good uh but motocross huh. won't, or what he didn't say motocross, but like whatever his profession, it, it won't be quite as so, successful as he wants or something. Yeah. Like that. Okay. It was kind of what they came back. And I remember both of our parents laughing, like, <laughs> retire at 20. How stupid is that? Mom's like, but watch your knee. And Brandon's like, I'm going to take yeah. over the world. Yeah. Like, I, I got this. That's, this guy's an idiot. But, wow. Uh, so it was, I don't know how you heard that, but yeah, it was pretty I don't on. even know where I heard it. Just, it, and I heard it years ago. You know, early two thousands maybe, and I was kind of like, "Huh, yeah." I want to ask I, him they, about that. Psychic could have also said I would die young, but they, my mom did not pass that information. Okay, on to and me. Well, I heard another thing too. There was something about um, was it you would have a recurring dream, or maybe it was your mom that someone was at the end of your bed or something like that. <laughs> Come Is on, this man. true too? <laughs> no, like so. Um, I I got night terrors. I it's getting better, kind of ish. You know, honestly, I think. 
one of the worst ones, and I'm glad it was before 9-11. Um, but so I run in my sleep, yelling, cussing, screaming. Oh, you do? Um, you yeah, run. Full, so I'm on a plane like, going to brothers. Millville. You're pulling presents yeah, out from no, the tree. No, 100%. So I'm going to Millville, right? And I'm sitting closer to the front of the plane. And it's, it's a smaller plane. Like it's going from wherever it was, yeah. Minneapolis. Roche- to, into Rochester. Yeah. Bro, yeah. And I remember just because Mitch Payton's on the plane and I made eye contact. I'm like, ah, oh, it's Mitch. That's cool. I'm you know, like you know, 16 years old. And I fell asleep before it took off. So right as the plane's about to go down the, the runway, I wake up at a full sprint yelling the F word at the top of my lungs right past Mitch Payton to the back of the plane. And all the other, I mean, there's so many guys that I know and other racers and stuff. And the flight attendant's like, please sit down. We're on an active taxiway. I'm like, head down, like walk all over the So front. you woke up no as you got to ever, the back of the plane? No one ever said anything. Like, I just went back to sleep. I, and now I have a fear of going to sleep on planes, especially like, I'm like, man, I'm going to be running towards the front of the plane one day. And, uh, and they're going to shoot I'm you. Gonna shot, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, wow. No, but it was it was way worse when I had a lot of concussions and stuff. And I, I don't know that it was concussion related or uh, brain reconnecting or whatever. But, huh. um, yeah, so I, I saw a lot of weird things in my dreams. And Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know that it's concussion related either. That's a job for somebody with more education than me. But I ha- I've, have night terrors, too. Like crazy stuff, um, like a helicopter's crashing into my bedroom. I'll wake up screaming and I'm pushing my wife against the bed. And I swear the helicopter blades are like six inches from our faces, and I'm holding her down. And, I mean, it's real to me. It's really happening, you know? And then when you finally wake up, you're like, what's going – wait. Oh, never mind. We're fine. Let's just go back. <laughs> but I never ran down a plane screaming the F word. That's Yeah, so it's – And no one on the plane that you knew ever said, dude, what was that about? I th- maybe a little bit, but they. I feel like most people were just talking behind my back. Like, this guy's <laughs> messed up. Um, no. Yeah, I got I got a whole long thing to go on that, but I, I'm just gonna leave that. Just in. leave it there. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for bringing my my nightmare. Is that up. so? Is that sketchy that you? I mean, do you sleepwalk for a long time, or is it usually just you'll wake up pretty quickly? Yeah. Well, I, I learned that I should. So I usually lock the door in the hotels, and I was like, oh, I'm fine. So I was sleeping naked at one of the supercrosses, and I woke up New Orleans. Um, <laughs> had to go downstairs Down the lobby? Oh, to, no. get, to get my key last time I slept naked. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it happens. You know, it happens. I somehow got out the door. No idea. <laughs> I don't think I was screaming, but yeah. might have been screaming the F word all the way down the elevator. Could have been. So, who are your? You, you kind of mentioned a couple of them, uh, and I know Paul Carpenter. He rode for Mitch for a minute, I think, and Cowie. Who are the other fast local guys? That that you grew up with, and then like, who was the fast local pro guys when you were a kid in that area? Um, yeah, I mean, you had Kevin Krein. Um, oh yeah, Kevin Krein. You know, he was he was great. Uh, Billy Schlag, um, Denny Stevenson was always a couple years older than I was, but he was short, so we always were in like the same classes okay. um, all the way through. Um, you know, we go to Little Lens, and it was always uh, Nick Way, um, Chris Considine. It's probably a name you never heard. So when I was Eight in the 71180 class, I ended up second to Nick Way, but they were like a half lap ahead. Um, him and Chris Considine, and huh. Chris got a concussion or something, and, and just quit. He just never, like the first, you know, first injury. He always kind of got that. What are they going to do? And he, he never came back. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, all the good guys were really Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it was uh, Paulie Carpenter and um, 
yeah, I guess I went down to Florida a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, where would you guys stay when you went down there? Or Tall just... Pines RV uh, okay. Park, um, which is Orlando-ish. Or? It was a uh, Croom, so oh, um, just outside of Brooksville, Florida, and uh, it was cool because Ernesto Fonseca, when he first came to the states, he actually stayed with me. Okay. Um, yeah, and you had um, uh, always the, the Hortons were always down there, uh-huh. and you had dude, you had Wyndham, Carmichael. I mean, uh, shoot. Robbie Skaggs, yeah. like there was this whole crew that was down there was super fast and at Croom just at this local. It's like a sand pit, right? Just or, a, or like a, a, yeah. Uh, Greg Rand was always yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, but it was just a sand pit. But you had, if you were to take that, uh, Matt Walker, um, that little crew that we had there and then like where they went, Shea Bentley. Um, yeah, the, as I think about it, like the list kind of goes, goes yeah. on and on. Uh, but Greg Rand was kind of the guy that I looked up to. Um, Matt Maximoff. Yeah. These guys were launching these like just vertical hill climbs. So we'd we'd ride our motos in the front, and then we'd go to the back. Yeah, and uh, it was cool. Adam Cincerillo came, so I just came down one time. We caught two stroke week, and uh, we just go down. Uh, we drink, we have fun. It's just just ride dirt bikes yeah. and just uh, you know get that back on some two strokes. And um, this was years ago. So uh, Adam was on an eighty. Okay, and or an eighty five. I guess you guys call it now. I'm a little uh, still behind. I'm the old times. too. I'm still thinking eighty. Yeah. And uh, he was running motos, and he's like, well, uh, you guys going to go to the back? He's like, I've never been back there. I was like, oh, dude, you got to come. So there was just little, I think, um, shoot, who was back there? Like, uh, Ashley Filek was back there. And Filek, I mean, a great rider, but, like, she just rode up this cliff, no problem. I wasn't even thinking. I'm like, where the hell did, where did Adam go? And, like, he's like, I can't go up that. And this this hill's like, it's it's like that. It's like it's something ten feet or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not even that steep. They don't have huge hills there. I, I know some. There's of some stuff vertical you're ledges about. Yeah. and stuff. But so I grabbed his bike and I backflipped it up, and when I landed, I, I fell over, and Adam just he he comes and walks and he's just shaking his head like it was like I was scorned by my dad. He's like, "What if you would have like bent my bars or, or like broken a lever? <laughs> I couldn't have done my next moto." I was like, "Dude." You're going to be the next Carmichael, but we we can't be friends. Like, <laughs> you and I are we, opposite. <laughs> we have to take you back right now. <laughs> That's funny because when we had him on the show, we went riding the day before, and I said, I got this fun track in the hills. We'll just go play around. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't just have a day of – he had to get his watch out and go, I need to do like – I'm going to just do some 15-minute sessions. And I'm like, I thought it was an off day. I thought we are just going to like yeah, – Let's but, go have fun. But, couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about Villapoto – Villapoto hated motorcycles. When he got done racing, I mean, I'm sure yeah. you guys have gone through all these conversations, yeah, yeah. but dude, like we, right after he got back from Europe, he was out in Maryland. We were riding some, some Can-Ams or something. And, uh, he came down with one of my friends. And the second I brought up a motorcycle, he just glossed over, glossed over. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden he goes out and actually learns how to have fun on a motorcycle. And now He's like the most fun dude yeah. you'd ever hang out with in your life, and he loves dirt bikes. I'm like, yeah. where did, how did you go this long in your career and never enjoy riding? Yeah, I think for those guys, they, they get pushed so hard, and they're able to, to win and have success, so then they just have to keep getting pushed. They, they forget why they started riding them in the first place. You know, it I becomes know such that, a job. I don't even know if some people ever started riding, like, Cincerillo. Like, I think he seems like he has more fun now, and I'm always rooting for that guy, but, like, I, I feel like... Dude, watching him on a, a Cobra 50 or whatever it was, I mean, he was in the four to six year old class, seat bounce, tire tap, and like every lap, I felt like it was Carmike. Like every lap is timed, and yeah. I, I don't know that his, he was pushed or anything. Like I don't know much of the, the upbringing there, but I just feel like dirt bikes are fun. And that's yeah. Jeremy Mallott 
Red Bull, like, he won, and that's why he picked up uh, Sipes. Actually, Sipes got hurt just a couple of days ago. Uh, oh, pretty he? good. He's, he'll be all right. But, uh, but yeah, Sipes is one of those guys that can do everything, and he's good at everything. And just trying to bring some fun back into the sport, because like I said, by the time you get good at what you love to do, this sport, and don't get me wrong, you have to put in the work. Yeah. There's no, uh, uh, Brayton or whatever was talking about, you know, if you look at 2000 to 2010 to, to now, like everybody knows what it takes to get there. And everybody that's on the, the start line, everyone that makes the night program, they're putting in more work than, than I could ever fathom. And they go yeah. through so much pain. And that's why motocross and supercross is the gnarliest, the best sport on earth. But you still got to have fun, I think. Yeah, I don't, you know, to me, it's a really interesting conversation because I, I say that guys like that that are just motos, 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 they're so structured and so regimented and they never go, okay, this day I have a weekend off. I'm going to go, I'm just going to go to the hills and go make some jumps and have some fun, do some hill climbs, ride some wheelies, get back to like enjoying just riding my bike. They don't, they're not doing that anymore. And, and in my, in the 90s, man, that was a part of it. You know, if it rained, no one went to a track. We were out in the hills. As a huge group, McGrath, Emig, Rhino, Factory Phil, Budman, we'd be all out just making jumps and having fun. And that's what... And I'm not saying no, no, it, but it can't be all fun. There, no, there's a balance, though. No, and even when it looked like I was playing, which I played a lot, like I still did, I did my training, I did my motos. The problem was when I was supposed to be resting, I was out <laughs> shenanigans and go-karts right. and whatever. But um, to get back to, to that, if you look at the early Crusty Teams of Dirt, now that was you know, a little excessive lifestyle if you will and uh denny stevenson and <laughs> deegan and all those guys uh but it was a lifestyle that as a kid i'm like that looks like fun i want to be a racer because look at mcgrath yeah. he's launching these dunes and he's having a good time on his dirt bike and he's tire tapping stuff and Wyndham comes in and he's nose wheeling and he's hip transfers and there was so much excitement that it and those guys were having a good time yeah and when you say there's no personalities, I think there are personalities and there are amazing talents and there, there's so much that they're putting in all the work times 10 than we ever did. And there's so much faster than we ever were. Um, but I don't see that culture of, man, this is something I want to do. It's like, no, that's a job. Yeah. Um, NASCAR. I think my dad put it best when, so I was one of my first NASCAR races and I spun, I ended up 10th but I spun backwards across the finish line I was so bummed I'm like man I was going through the infield like two, 200 miles an hour backwards <laughs> lost like four <laughs> spots on the last turn and um, my dad I was so bummed my dad goes dude you were driving at Daytona in a NASCAR you went backwards across the finish line through the infield at 200 miles an hour he goes all of your uncles all of my friends would die to have that opportunity how fun was that and I thought about it I was like I stopped having fun I was literally just thinking what my position is and shoot that Monday morning that I'm going to have to answer to mm. Jack Roush and all these guys about why I didn't do better and why I crashed their car. Yeah. Um, so it, it's an interesting That's a concept. real life Ricky Bobby moment you had there. Yeah. Uh oh, flying <laughs> through the air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not good. Um, who were your heroes growing up? Like, what pro guys did you look up to? I mean, you kind of mentioned like watching Jeremy and stuff, but. Who are the um, racers that, or the guys, didn't have to be racers, that you really looked up to? Number one was, uh, for the longest time, was Guy Cooper and Doug Henry. Those guys were, were definitely definitely my heroes. Honestly, Scott Sheik as well. I went through a, a phase where I just, we were both sponsored. My first sponsor was like Pro Artworks and Gear Racewear. Yeah. But, so we got to 
kind of meet uh, Scotty or at least feel like I was a part of, uh, yeah. you know, what he was. Um, no, but I liked Guy Cooper, and I shouldn't have modeled so much after Coop because he got a lot of seconds. I got a lot of seconds. We both yeah. never won Supercross in the top class. Um, no, but I thought Doug Henry at Bud's Creek. So one year he breaks both wrists. And he walks over to the side, you know, both like compound, yeah. and a fan's taking his his you know helmet off, and that's just. And he comes back, and he breaks his back, and he, I, mean, I don't know if you guys know. There's well, it was been, the back first, and then it yeah, was the arms. But the so there's a wire that I didn't believe it until I actually like, slow mo that footage. He goes over a wire that yeah. we caught at Cooper Hill, ironically, before because Guy would just launch that to the bottom before it was Henry Hill, but Guy never even got close to touching the wire. Doug Henry went over, it. went over the top. And even in the worst moment of his life, he's double thumbs out out the side of the stretcher. And I just, I love those guys because Coop, he got passed on the last lap three different times at Supercross. Yeah. And every time he threw a whip over the finish line and was like, that was so fun. But like, why do you ride? I ride because I love it. And I got so much shit all through my career because, oh, you could have done this, you could have done that. I'm like, but man, I had fun. Every day on a bike. And when I actually went, I'm like, 2003, I'm like, 2002, 2003, I'm like, we're going all in. Like I said earlier, like. Didn't it, translate to better results. No, it was the slowest I ever, I ever was on the track. I just wasn't, I wasn't finding a way around people in the first turn. It wasn't like everything that I wanted to do to be on the bike. I was just like going through the motions. So it was a job. And I wasn't as fast as the other guys were. Um, if you talk to, uh shoot anyone back in 2000 but uh uh sellers brock sellers was hilarious he's like you were always four or five seconds off in practice but i knew you'd find a way you'd wheelie in the whoops you'd take more chances you'd launch something to fly you'd do some stupid jump that no one else was willing to do but that's why i crashed so much it wasn't because i was good and like you know oh he should have just taken it easy no i need to take those risks <laughs> to to be where i was <clears throat> so at what point did you start winning locally um, so I was, I was just really tall. Mm. So I never really, like, I was probably nine years old, eight, nine years old before I started winning locally. Okay. Um, I know that's young ish, but when you start at four, just because I was on eighties at seven, right? I, You're moving up racing against older kids. I raced, uh, when I was, when, the day I turned 12, I was, ra I raced the 250 expert class, which then I almost, I don't know, like, I don't know how I because it was locals, mama, like it was yeah, 18 yeah. and under or whatever. Yeah. But raced 250 expert at Bud's Creek, got taken out by Denny, uh, Denny Stevenson, came all the way back through the pack, last lap freaking took us both out. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, so Suzuki said you had to be 120 pounds to get on a, a big bike. Okay. I was like 105. Dude, I ate. And I ate and Just I ate. kept eating. I was like, I got this. <laughs> I was, I was, I got pretty fat, but Is I, that I, got, right? I got to 120 pounds. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so I because I remember you were winning, at least I remember seeing pictures of you on an 80 at Loretta's winning championships at Loretta's. No, I lapped up to third place in the mud. I lapped everyone but uh, James Stewart and I think Ben Riddle um, when I was 11 in the 711 class. So I was, okay. but so I was always racing up, which was the thing. So in when I was 10 and 11, there wasn't a lot of competition in the 711 okay. class, but I was also racing the 913, which you still had Shea Bentley, Fonseca, gotcha. Matt Walker. There were still some some good guys. So did you have Suzuki support then at that point on the mini bikes? Suzuki support yeah. from the time I was eight. And I tell you, we had, dude, Charlie Bogard, um, his father, 
my dad, um, Jerry Dostel's father, mm-hmm. they were all out brawls in the just fights in in our pit area just for yeah. fun. Oh yeah, just oh. Gosh. Well, Dostal's old man probably had that Checo uh, moonshine that he'd bring over. Oh, yeah. Did that come out? I'm sure. <laughs> I didn't know a lot about that. But, yeah, that was – dude, and then it was just such a – it was a small group for Suzuki. Like, I feel like Team Green had everybody, and Suzuki yeah. had this. Um, yeah. But it, it was fun. Huh. That is – so, but um, did you say Bogard? Charlie okay, Bogard. Yeah, yeah. So I was at Suzuki with Jeff DeMent, if you remember that. So it was kind of maybe the era just before you guys – and it was the same thing. We always had a smaller group of guys, and we were fighting with the Team Green guys. <laughs> always. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's competition. Um, so what was the first amateur nationals you started going to? Probably Loretta's. That's not far from you guys, huh? Uh, yeah, Loretta Lynn's. Uh, Race of Champions, maybe? or So, yeah, English Town. I only did English Town once. I, don't, oh, okay. I was always hurt during oh, okay. that time of year. I don't know. Bad time of year. Yeah, um, bad time of year for you. <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we'd go down to Minio's over Thanksgiving. And mm. we'd go out to uh, to Loretta Lens, and then we started doing Ponca a little bit, and um, had the chance to go out to uh, to Las Vegas for World Mini. So we, by the time I was nine, eight, nine, uh, Pat Alexander was running the Suzuki program, and we he really was adamant that we hit the the main kind of four or yep. five nationals. So that was it was tough, you know, tough as a family to do it. What stands out for you uh, in those amateur years, um, like when you think back on it, kind of the main memories you have? Is it is it the struggles you guys had to get there? Is it the fun you had at the races? Is I mean, what what kind of stands out for you? What rivalries, you know, all that stuff? Um, yeah, what was interesting, like I said, with my dad and my mom as well, like they both were just doing this and they were putting everything they had and I could see it, but they were doing it not because they expected it to go anywhere. My mom was always a little more optimistic than my dad was, um, but they just wanted me to be able to, they wanted me to train hard, they wanted me to work hard, they wanted me to have fun. Yeah. Um, and I think World Mini was a good example. I was, um, you know, I was 11 years old, it was last year on the 85, and all I had to do was just ride around the track, and my dad's like, just don't do this triple. I know you're going to do this triple, because there's no 80s doing it, but like, I think Carmichael was doing it on his big wheel. Okay. He's like, ah, don't just just don't do it. And last lap, I, tr- I had to. I, there was no way I was not going to try it. And I came up short, and you know the rims on the eighty, especially I was you know I was pretty tall. Yeah. And it sh- it shattered, and it just buckled and went over and bent the forks and the, the handlebars. And my dad comes over, and he was livid, and I was just laughing. I was like, Did you see that <laughs> jump, dude? I almost had it. And he laughed from that point on. He was like, You know what? I'm not going to crush this guy's spirit. I'm just yeah. going to let him do it. Uh, yeah. And like I was always doing tricks and nothing's like no hand, no feet. Yeah. And he kept getting yelled at by all the other parents. He's like, ah, I don't know. My son's an idiot. I, what, what do you like? I, he just he loves it. Like, there's what are you a, take there's a picture of you and I'm pretty sure you're on a mini bike and you're doing a nothing and you got the double thumbs up. And I'm like, that is the most Travis Pastrana <laughs> picture. Right. Like date for Davey Coombs took that photo. Oh, did he? Yeah, that was uh, that was Pleasure Valley Arm Cup. Um, no, it was, it was cool. Like we had a good, good kind of group in that, that Northeast. Yeah. But so my dad always said, I kind of jump off on tangent here. He's like, be a man of your word. He's like, I didn't grow up with a lot, like, but not with a lot, but what I had to do. Yep. And he goes, look, you look people in the eye, you shake them in the hand, you give everyone respect. And if you say you can do something, you do it. So Guy Cooper, all time hero. Like, so we're at, um, at Ponca city and uh, it takes pretty much everything for my family to get to Ponca city. And Jeff Cernick would always He's like, all right. So I'd always have a good stock bike. So okay. he'd give me a new bike 
going out there. And, and Jeff didn't have a lot either. And Cernic, like, that was a big deal. That got back to you for years, man. Like, huh? Dude, back to, yeah. like, if we needed gas money, if we needed whatever. And, and Cernix, you know, it's it's a dealership. They're not yeah. making a lot of, but he wanted to see, you know, Gene Stahl, Brandon Jessman, me, like, Cernic just wanted to see the best for his area. And he turned our whole area Suzuki. He was a Suzuki guy. So he got Brandon on Suzuki's, me on Suzuki's, uh, Gene Stahl on Suzuki's, and our whole area was mm-hmm. was just northeast was Suzuki capital for 80s. But, Long story long, was at a, you know, we're at Ponca City. This is a big deal for us to, to go there, and it's a couple weeks off work for my dad and, and mom there, you know, to go to Ponca and then straight to Lourdes. It's gnarly. So, like, that's our, like, for most normal families, that's your one vacation you get a year, right? Yeah, you get two no, weeks that, a year, and that's it. No, it, that's it. Yeah. And all my uncles are, are chipping in. The family's chipping in. We're trying to figure out how to – so, practice, Kevin Windham – on a 125 and 250 is doing this tabletop single over the finish line. It's nine, 95 okay. feet. Yeah. And uh, I had a I had a big wheel at the time. Like so I'm like a power to weight. Like it's it's there. It's no. gotta be close. Yeah. Doing I, the math in your yeah, head. Yeah, it is fine. <laughs> so Guy Cooper's standing there and he's we're watching Kevin, who's the only one on like the A class that's doing this jump. And Coop goes, Man, this jump's so cool. I want to get out there and hit it. I was like, I'm gonna do it. Watch the next practice. Oh no. <laughs> First lap comes by, I'm like, I can't make it. Second lap, I'm like, I'm not even going to be close. <laughs> Check your flag. <laughs> this is going to suck. Oh, no. <laughs> Launched it. Same thing. Landed, uh, broke the frame. It was the softest landing I ever had. I think I got a black eye out of the deal, but it was pretty good. Um, the frame <laughs> bent like my forks went straight out. Uh, blew the, the front wheel. The rear wheel crushed most of the spokes. The bike just, like, disintegrated. You just destroyed it. It disintegrated on the landing. And I cried. Was I this like, the stock? Oh, this was your super. This super. No, okay. it, was, it was good. Like it was, but like, so my dad. I th- I thought my dad was gonna cry. I've never seen my dad cry in my life, and I could just see like because this is you know you practice. I think we had the first race was like later that day or the next day, and this, it the frames done, the forks are done, the the rims <laughs> are done. He's <laughs> like, what the fuck are we gonna do? Uh, that was pretty fun. What did you do? I don't think I raced Superman. Oh, you year. just skipped the Superman. Yeah, class, yeah, that's huh? good. But it was a cool jump, dude. And you know what? I <laughs> I feel <laughs> like you, I, I really hope that Guy Cooper that, that was his last of memory, and, and he probably didn't oh, even. God. I don't even I know have if he to watched. ask Cooper yeah. if he remembers that. That's if you can, that'd be great. Um, so your biggest amateur rivals would have been who? Uh, amateur rivals were Johnny Marley, Matt Walker, um, Shea Bentley was always a little that that class above was never quite as, as good as Shea but always was trying to track him down Okay, uh, Ricky was always completely out of my league but we raced sometimes just because he was almost four years older but he was small and I was tall so okay. we kind of overlapped yeah. in the Super Mini uh, Nick, you know, like I said Nick Way um, Hortons were always a little older but yeah okay. that Terra Firma video uh, there's a segment with you and Ricky and James in a motorhome maybe at Loretta's or yeah, something yeah. It's, it's Minio's the, was that what it was? Yep. I just think, man, what are the chances that all of the that talent just sitting there in that room, whatever you guys were doing, playing video games or whatever, do you ever think back on that and, and think how crazy that was that the three of you are just sitting there and we're buddies or riding together? Yeah, but if you look at it, I mean, you just named the names of the guys that you grew up with, right? So if you go to the national championships at at an early age, you're you have a similar group. Um, there, there's more people that are going to come in. I know I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like 
the only two people in, were- in history that have ever done a perfect outdoor championship are James yeah. and Ricky. Well, listen, the three of you are are three of the most iconic motocross racers. And, you know, f- for you, you expanded on what just a motocross racer is. But, like, I, I don't know that you have three other guys like that. <laughs> uh, hang out or get together. You know I mean? That's just a really cool clip. But Fox at that time, too, was, I mean, especially because that's the start of the Terra Firma series. But they were just cool. Yeah, you they, know, were, they was, were on it, was, it back then. It was a sure, really, yeah. yeah it was they a had really good company. I mean, imagine it would be like, I guess, to your point, like if you were to go back a few decades, it would be like having Bailey, Johnny O, and Wardy, or yeah. RJ, as little kids, all in a, you know what I mean? No, it. It's and they rad. grow up to all be these legendary guys. I don't know. To me, it's just a. Dee really... Burns, never forget that name. What's that? <laughs> oh, Dee Dee Burns. Dee Dee Burns. <laughs> yeah, it's just hilarious. You know, you it's know. such an iconic little thing. Um, okay. No, and the place place by my house called the Dairy Queen. Those are some Dairy good Queen. ones. Yeah, GL always laughs at that because when he lived in South Africa, he'd be like, "Oh, Dairy Queen, I want to go find that place. That sounds like a yes. cool spot. <laughs> chain restaurant." <laughs> yeah. um, so, when did you get the? You know, at what point in your amateur career did you start talking to the factory team? Was it Roger? I mean, who who kind of instigated those talks when you were going to bump up? Um, I signed my pro contract in a wheelchair, um, which, so it was really interesting though. Like I was hurt almost every other year. Okay. Um, but whenever I'd come back out of being injured, like I'd always kind of be up front and it was one of those things where I just knew I was going to be up front and I didn't, I, it's weird because in cars I haven't been able to do that in most things. And I've found that most people kind of can't or aren't willing to do this but I could always go as fast as I needed to and the further you are off the pace the more chances you have to take and that's yeah. why I was hurt and injured a lot and always on the ground really but <laughs> but I could always if I wanted to go faster I could go faster okay where on the track can I wheelie over something or do something and I think it's from all that the free riding and all the different stuff that I, I did I could always find something that no one else could find or sure. you know when the track was very one line when you come out to California where it's kind of blue groove and there's not that hero dirt that you can kind of get away from stuff I, I had a much harder kind of harder time to, mm-hmm. to do that mm. but, well um but sorry to, to back to your question um was it Roger you were dealing with or how, who kind of Roger did not want me a hundred percent. Roger was was against it, uh, but Pat Alexander, uh, Colgress, they said, "Look, there's something about this kid. I, he, like, at the time, this kid, like, I, I, he's he's an idiot. Like, he's all over the place. <laughs> but he always he finds a way to be up front mm-hmm. all the time. Doesn't matter long race. He like, I did work hard. I trained hard. Um, I had that kind of marine background. I just like to play. I like to have fun. Yeah. Um, it was more important for me to." kind of like i'd rather be in a battle than be out front yeah like kind of deal uh where a lot of guys just wanted to run well i'm gonna gonna jump ahead because i got somebody brought this up and i couldn't quite remember but it did ring a bell and i wanted i wondered if you have like a bit you have some add or are you just you like a lot of stimulus they were bringing up a race i want to say it was either maybe it was 2002 Anaheim and you were leading and you were gone. Yeah. Is it two, 2002? Am I right on this? Year? Yeah, I wish I. That's the one race I wish I could head back. <laughs> and it was like halfway through the main event, you're checked out. I and got you, bored. You, and somebody, yeah, that was what they said. He get. His, I started looking into the crowd and like I'm thinking about other stuff, and you were just bored. Like, it's too easy. I'm like, what's going on? And you cartwheeled. Yeah, I cart. I I hit neutral over to the on off jump. 
Yeah, tabletop, tabletop, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sucked. Well, so is that a thing? Like, do you need to be just have stimulus kind of coming at you? You get bored easily with stuff. So, it's interesting. We've done a lot of tests. Red Bull is, is cool. They actually they want to know about their athletes mentally, physically, where they got them, and they do a lot of tests. Actually, a, a couple of my friends went uh, through the uh, Navy SEALs, became SEALs, and uh, the West Coast group, they actually go to Red Bull and go through all their testing. But Red Bull has all this data on different different stuff. And it's interesting because they have this one test where they just basically put you in a room, and it's really easy stuff. But every time you hit, you got to, you basically have to hit a button like it's two giraffes and a zebra or two, whatever. And you just, you hit a button, and every, if you take longer than a second to hit it, um, and it's four pictures or whatever, or okay. different colors, it could be anything, or different sounds. Um, if you take longer than a second to hit it, you fail. You get three fails, and you're out. Okay. Um, but every time you hit it, it goes, the next one pops up. So if you hit it in a quarter second, it's faster. So, you know, the next one pops up. Yeah. This is, sorry, a long tangent conversation, but there have been two people that have aced, or two before me that had aced the hour. Okay. I was the third. And they're like, what was funny was most people a half hour in or something, they just mess up or they take longer than a second or they hit the wrong button or whatever. They said, because they wanted you to do it on time too. So it's a competition with yourself on how fast you can get it. Okay. So every one you're trying to get like within a... And it goes for an hour? It goes for an hour. At a half hour, when like most people are throwing stuff through the windows, I'm like, all right, we're on. Not only did I not make a single mistake all the way through, but I got better and better as, as it, it got as time went on because I'm just super, super competitive. So I'm, okay. I'm kind of a, an anomaly on a couple of things. So in that race, when you got bored, I mean, what are well, you... Where I, was, did, where I is, wasn't bored. I just, like, it was surreal to me. Like, I'm still a fan of the sport. Like, I'm super stoked. I'm just looking. I'm like, how do I... I'm like... Eight seconds out in the lead, 10 seconds, I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, come on, this can't be right. And I just, I, I don't think I, I, I just had big feet, and I, I went down a size on boot after that. My biggest regret is that when I, I crashed, and I, I hit pretty hard. Anaheim, the dirt's really hard, hard there. Yeah. And it took me a second to kind of like get my bearings, but I got up, and the throttle was stuck, so I started it, and it took off, and I'm trying to full with that and LaRocco went by me while I'm full with my throttle and the bars are bent down and the levers down and whatever it's you know it is what it is and it took me about a lap to get going and then I catch back up and I end up third just behind LaRocco or LaRocco wins last lap passed on Villeman I've never been so disappointed in myself not for crashing but that playing with stuff like just go who cares your bars but like I, I well your throttle stick and you got to fix your yeah throttle. I, I know but I I knew, you felt like you took too long? I knew better than that from my upbringing. I was like, get up. My dad always said, get up. If you're broken, you'll fall back down. You know, like, it's, it's, it, it's true. I did that at X Games. I got up, felt everything crumble, and it fell back down. I was like, wow, dad was right. <laughs> if I'm really broken, I won't be able to stay up. Yeah. Um, okay, so you signed with them, and you were already doing freestyle with that. Like, what? when did the freestyle thing sort of get into your 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 mode, like... You were an amateur already, but doing nothings and like just having fun. So freestyle really wasn't a thing. It was just you know you had the terra firmas and the crusties, Knack and you had yeah, yeah like uh, the Deegans and the the guys that at that point was the guys that weren't quite uh, the Meskers. They were good, or they they might have had a shot, but they weren't quite on top of their their game. And yeah. you, you know, of course, you had McGrath and that kind of stuff. But um, I was down. I had an opportunity. I had a friend that had a track in Florida, and all the Suzuki's, all the test tracks, the factory teams came down. Okay. And he's like, hey, don't tell anybody, but. Suzuki's going to be there. 
So I showed up just to watch. But I brought my bike, of course, because, yeah. you know, just in case. Of course. And uh, so Roger's there, and all the Suzuki guys are there. And I was, I was 12 years old. Um, just local, like, whoop sand track. And uh, Krusty Demon's Dirt's there at the same time. Yeah, Bubba. And my dad actually knew Bubba. I didn't know. He was a race tech uh, suspension guy from, you know, Northeast. Okay. And same Seth Enslow from Northeast as well, like uh, Pennsylvania or whatnot. I had no idea. Like, it just seemed like California guys. But so my dad, like, knows Bubba, and he starts talking. And um, Anthony Pokoroba's down there. And there's this jump. And they're just taking so many runs up to it. Because you got to come through the woods over, like, this trees down or something. And I looked at my dad. I said, can I do that? My dad's like, I don't know. Can you? So I got the bike out, not to do the you know the riding with the factory team as i'm watching like uh uh Pashan and those guys were all out there and i did the jump and then pokeroba tries it and lands short and he's got to go to the hospital because his, his throat's all messed up oh, and then seth tries it and he crashes and hurts his wrist or something and crusty's down there filming and they're like hey can we film with you and I was like, well, am I allowed to ride? So they're like, yeah. So I took a few warm-up laps, and I got now Roger and all the factory Suzuki guys are watching. So I'm going, and I'm wheeling through the whoops and feet off the foot pegs and felt like, uh, you know, just pin like I always am and yeah, always yeah. have been. <laughs> and so I started doing nothings, and I did a nothing, and I missed the break, and I went into the water, and my dad's like, oh, no, but the bike just got wet. Like, no, nah, I just flip it upside down and kick it out. It's fine. It's, it's not salt water. Um, so, yeah, that's my start. So I was going out two weeks later to test with Terry Varner and um, and Rob um, Hendrickson from um, yeah, RG3. RG3. Yeah. Um, and they said, hey, can your son come out to, talking to my parents, can he come out to do, we're going to go Glamis. And then we're going to go, uh, we're going to hit Dumont Dunes, we're going to hit uh, Pahrump, all this stuff. And my mom's like, absolutely not. I've seen your videos, no <laughs> way. So my dad goes, he goes, look, he goes, I think this is a great opportunity. He goes, please don't make me regret this. So I went out to test with FMF, did a motor test, suspension test, and this was the start of my parents going the other direction. I went uh, basically right outside of Vegas uh, with the Crusty Dames of Dirt guys. Okay. And Mickey Diamond took me under his wing, and it was the greatest time ever. And I rode all day long, and I got to run the dunes and Dumont, and I got to do all the greatest things. And we ended up at the diving board which actually I just saw that someone was still hitting that recently, but um, they said, hey, McGrath came out and didn't do the step down. Do you want to try it? I was like, hell yeah. So Deegan comes out that day, and Deegan's like, ah, oh, can't do it. It's like, wait, Deegan just said he's not doing it. You said McGrath. There were so many people that had tried this jump that there was a whoop section going off of it. So I <laughs> went off, made it. So I tried to heel click it the next time, broke my wrist. Oh, that's right. I know it's when you're talking about this. And yeah, yeah. then the camera guys got there, and they got a picture of Deegan. He made the front cover of everything doing it. I was like, you son of a, always coming in and stealing the, the uh, glory. Yeah. But he's, yeah. <laughs> he's Brian crafty. and I, we've got a history of that. <laughs> um, okay, so the first freestyle contest, was it 99? That one in Havasu or, or uh, Vegas or Whatever Las Vegas uh, Free Air Festival or whatever they called it, the World Championships, uh, E.T., Edgar Tron Terrace. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, it was so cool because they had Imig and McGrath were judging, and uh, I w went over the jump on the last jump, and my handlebars were a little bit sideways. I was like, hands are staying off, hands are staying off, and the bars just tucked, straight belly <laughs> flop, jumped up. Emig jumped up with a 10. I was like, Jeff Emig just gave me a 10. <laughs> so that was cool, yeah. So I was 14. And was that the one where you cased that jump and messed your pelvis up? No, no, that was Havasu. Yeah, that was that Havasu. Was, I was 15. There. I was there. Really? I don't know why I went there. Um, what year was that then? That was 
99? So that was... That would have been... No, it couldn't have been then. It, have been it was 98. It was, yeah. it was uh, my 15th birthday, 98. So like October or whatever. Okay. So now this was interesting story, though. So I had done well, uh, Laura Lynn's that year, like whatever. But here I am in a wheelchair, broken back, shattered pelvis, um, and... Fox Clothing was like, yeah, we're not sure about, so we're talking, we're in negotiations for signing pro, pro contracts. And Suzuki reached out, Pat Alexander, Colgress, said, Roger, you want this guy. So they offered me, it was, wasn't much. But they said, hey, look, and we're going to put a good win incentive. And Roger goes, hey, like, the one through ten. And my dad said, nope, we're going to do like David Bailey did and what Doug Henry did. So first through third, if he's not on the podium, doesn't even matter. Roger liked that. He's like, all right. Makes sense. So I had a good. But good those those numbers were big. Those for for the day and one twenty five. Yeah, it was it was for us. <laughs> yeah, it was huge. Yeah. I mean, my dad was making less than fifty thousand a year in construction, and my mom was a flight attendant making you know just just over that. So, yeah. you know, to sign a contract about that for Suzuki was, was you're like, stoked. Oh, yeah, dude. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's we're on free money at this point. But Roger didn't want you, huh? He was like, eh. he didn't. Well, I got a story on that in a second, but. What was cool was so Pete Fox and those guys who had been backed us the whole time. They're like, yeah, well, hey, let's let's see how things work and this and that. Jeff Sirwell, or, um, yeah, no fear, yeah, comes on, and they said, hey, this is the most we can offer. We want you. McGrath's going to be on it. Wyndham's going to be on it. We're doing no fear. Um, you know, be be a part of of no fear. And Dad liked that Suzuki, Suzuki and no fear. No one else was at the table. Mm. Kid in a wheelchair, hurt freestyler. Like, who knows what? Yeah, you you were a little. You were definitely an anomaly even back then. I was, yeah, I was a a big gamble. Yeah. Um, so Fox says no, we're gonna pass. So we didn't sign with No Fear, but everything's in there. So I go to Loretta Lens that year. Was on the motorcycle for. Are you wearing No Fear at that point then? No, no, I'm Fox. Okay. Um, so I basically go out that year, '99, win X Games. Um. Come out Loretta's, win uh, five or six motos, Loretta Lens, over Justin Bucklew at the time, who everyone thought was, I mean, he's still, he did phenomenal, but yep. like, like everyone's like, oh, crap, he can actually, he can ride. And obviously he's in shape, it's Loretta Lens, it's hot, it's a mud race, like, yeah. hey, this is pretty cool. So Fox comes out and flies my family out and sits us all at the table. And I was actually disappointed in my dad at the time, but they offer, they're like, hey, what kind of car you want? You're about to turn 16? I was like, I want a Viper. Dad's like, Dude, that's, no, that's just stupid. You shouldn't. And I learned later that that was probably a better idea if I didn't have that. But um, they were like, yep, it was like $200,000. And it was like all these, these numbers were, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. My dad goes, nope, my son's not worth half that much. Thanks for your time. And walked out. I was like, what the hell just happened? We just got offered literally like eight times more than any other company's willing to pay. I was like, they're willing to throw in a, a, a car. Like, it's a signing bonus. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? And he's like, it's principal. He's like, no fear came through when you were in a wheelchair. Suzuki came through when you were in a wheelchair. And he didn't take any other. He goes, we're on house money. He goes, at this point, you're 15 years old. You just signed a contract for more money than I'm going to make all year in construction. He goes, enjoy every second of it. Make sure that you love every minute of what you're doing and surround yourself with people that are going to back you no matter if it's highs or lows or what you're going to do. And... We've kind of basically lived on that. And then the bonuses worked out good because I actually had a good first season. Yeah. But back to the DeCoster story. Sorry about that. Um, 
No, I love it. So Rod, I, I love your dad, dude. I, <laughs> I I love a principled man who who will even. We do, really could have used the money. At I'm the sure. That's what I'm saying. For him to turn that down, and the way he said it, no, my son's not worth half that much. Yep, man, straight that's up, just, Pete Fox was like, "We could offer you less." <laughs> God, that's awesome. All uh, right, so keep going. Sorry, Roger. No, so Roger DeCoster. Now, everyone thinks Roger and I didn't have a good relationship. Roger was like a dad to me, man. We, He is one of my favorite people, and, I mean, as much as I gave him more gray hairs, like, we've still got an awesome relationship, um, okay. him and, and Ian, all the, all the guys. But um, so I told Roger, hey, I'll be out. I'm going to do the my first ever Supercross. It's going to be uh, World Supercross at Pasadena. Um, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a good race, yeah, actually. Yeah, it was a good race. Um, so I was supposed to be the next morning in California for my first test ever with Suzuki. And I go, and I had a chance to be on David Letterman. I was like, well, I can't pass up Letterman. So I go on Letterman, do a knack-knack. It's raining in New York. Slide out. Oh, that's right. Separate my shoulder. So I have a second-degree separation. I can't lift my arm up at all. And I go to the track the next day. And I'm riding the motorcycle, and I'm like, hey, guys, let me just ride in the, the hills a little bit to get used to it. So this is my first time ever on a factory bike. Lee gets this bike. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I made it, like, halfway up, and I kind of got off, and I, I was on this pretty long, big hill. And I stepped off because I wasn't going to make it to the top, and the bike tumbles all the way oh. down. Uh, subframes smashed, handlebars, levers, like, the whole bike just looks like a taco. And I ride back in, and they're just like, what like DeCoster at that point is just like, so you show up, you show up hurt, tired, no rest, like and oh, you just destroyed our motorcycle, destroyed a brand new bike, <laughs> and so they got everything fixed, and I rode, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't ride. Like I blitzed the whoops once, and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't ride. My shoulder hurts, and DeCoster is just about to like shoot Pat Alexander and mm. Cole Gress, who's like looking down at the point, and Lee's like, what the hell did you just do? And I was like, Roger. I'll race this weekend. I said, I'll win. I will win this weekend. And that was obviously way out of where I should have been competitive. And I didn't get any practice. And I wasn't in shape for Supercross or any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was, dude, I was breathing through my butthole and talking to Elvis by lap four. I had arm pump so bad. I was hoping I was going to crash and just <laughs> hurt myself bad enough that I didn't have to get up. Like, that's how bad it was. You were there. Uh, Talon Volan. Ernesto was there. Fonseca, yeah. yeah, who just dominated the Supercross last year. I hit Volan, so I couldn't stop. Like, I aimed for the inside. I had arm pumps so bad. I, shoulder wasn't where I hit Volan so hard. Over the berm, he landed on, uh, uh, can't say his nickname uh, anymore, but a great dude. I forget what his real name was, but landed right on his mechanic. His mechanic's all pissed off. We were good friends before that. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I finished, and I ended up, I won the race. Yeah. And somehow pulled it off. It was mostly because Ernesto was right behind me, but he ended up crashing. Somehow I didn't fall off the bike. I think it, I crashed in the whoops. You did. And he uh, he either hit me or he fell after that or something. But It was it was actually. It was a good you, race for a while. Thank you for falling. I was literally, I was cross-eyed. I lost my hearing. My vision came in. <laughs> I was like, I was in no condition to be out there on that race. But I was like, I got to go. I got to go. I didn't quit. And I ended up winning. So thank you for falling and taking Fonseca with yeah, you. That was, that was awesome of you. Welcome. And then Volan obviously went down when I helped him. Helped him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, DeCoster on the podium, he gave me a hug. And he was like, I think I think this is going to be the start of something great. And then 2002, it kind of <laughs> went the other way again. All right, well, we'll get back to that. <laughs> That's crazy, man. What a story. Um, okay, so go back to the, the jump where you broke your pelvis. This was before that, right? 98. Yeah. Uh, you got yeah, hurt. End of 98. 
That was in the Vegas one or the Havasu one? Uh, so Vegas was the year before. Vegas yeah. was. That uh, was the very first, first one. freestyle event. Yeah, we got there. Dude, we ended up getting $5,000 for the win. Like, we went out there. My dad's like, all right, what's last place pay? <laughs> and kind of same deal with Loretta Lynn's. Like, yeah. can we can we make it out there and back, basically? And then, uh, dude, people showed up. Dude, it was a party. It was it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Okay, so the Havasu one is where you got hurt. Yeah. Because I was there. And um, Why were you, why, were you out there for the jet skis? No, I just think we heard about the Vegas show, and then a group of us, Chad Pedersen yeah. and um, Chad Watts, who I was living with at the time, I don't know, we all caravaned out there just to watch, I think. And I remember you coming out of the, like, were you out of the stadium and to hit that jump or? Yeah. Or what kind of, it was like a horse arena. I can't even really remember the specifics of it. But I remember you just sending this thing Didn't and then it. to a stop. I think Sink Mars actually, might have been Rourke. I forget. One of the guys jumped it first. So it wasn't like, it but wasn't you impossible. were on 125, right? They yeah. were all on 250s. So I hit it. And it was weird. I remember coming at it, and I just hit every other thing so perfect that day. It was literally my 15th birthday. And I was like, man, I'm really like, because all the jumps were always different back then. And that was kind of what made freestyle cool, was yeah. that you got to the track, and you were like, oh, what can we link? And there was like an inner bowl and an outer bowl. And I tried to jump from a landing over the takeoff, over the, basically over the whole bowl into the another landing. And I, I was kind of blind, and I came at it. I was like, I didn't want to go too far. And that's the last thing I remember. I passed out on landing. Mm. Um, basically, pelvis just shattered. Um, every time I woke up, I passed out. Woke up, passed out. Learned that day that you can only take so much pain before your body shuts off. So that was good. Mm. I experienced the most pain I'll ever be able to take. <laughs> there might be tougher men that can take take more pain, but that was You found that was your it. limit. Found my Multiple limit. Multiple times. Happy about that. Woke up finally uh, to my mom basically crying in Southern California. Um, had the third known case in, in medical history uh, for that to happen without having bled out. So I bled two-thirds of my blood volume over three days. Um, they finally got me put all back together. And at that Jeez. point, my mom's like, are you, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? Um, you know, that week she had looked basically, you know, aged her by 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mom, I think I don't want them to take that jump down. I want to, I, kn I know I can, I just got shift to shift up to fifth. Like, it'll, it'll work. And she just, she kind of giggled. And she's like, even right now, in the most pain you've ever been in, knowing that you're going to be in a wheelchair for the next little bit and hopefully we'll be able to get you back on your feet, this is what you want to do. And I said, yeah, this is, like, I love dirt bikes, no matter what the, the cost. Like, and it's amazing because as a parent now, that point to be able to, to look your kid in the eye and say, I'm going to let you chase your dream, when it had taken, I mean, you know, like I said, at that point, we three mortgages on the house, hadn't really made a, a dime from anything, had freestyle that was, we won $5,000 in the first event, but it cost us, you know, 2000 yeah. to get out there, whatever. Um, you know, and this is that moment where they've put everything into it, but never hoping, hoping that, mom was always hoping that I'd, I'd make something of it, but just to help give me the best opportunity to yeah, well, go as, through school and to whatever. Exactly. As a parent, you want your kid to be successful long-term. And I'm sure she's looking at it going, look, you're busting your ass, you know, every other year. Yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're totally Bad. broke. <laughs> we haven't made any money. What are you going to do down the road? I mean, as a parent, that's, that's your primary responsibility, right? Make sure your kids grow up and become successful in something. I mean, I can't imagine how stressed <laughs> they yeah. must have been and, you know, 
this is a super common occurrence in everyone that comes on here for the most part because it seems like rich kids don't really make it in this sport if you if you don't it's a tough sport if you can't appreciate how hard that you need to work and the things the sacrifices your family has made to get you there you're probably not going to do it you know what i mean it's just too hard yeah so um but it's just yeah as a parent i can't, i man my heart breaks for your mom back then thinking i'm my, i'm watching my kid just put himself into a wheelchair over and over and we're broke and you know we're in debt and, yeah, like, and now are, how hurt are you that you can't now maybe the fallback is construction and can can you work construction mm -hmm. now like can you lift that can you and you there's unfortunately there's not a lot of for all the parents and all the the kids that get pushed into this there's there's a and off on another tangent but i every time that i come home i have a pile of letters and i'm it's kind of like david bailey had talked to me about the same thing it like it i have to be in the right mindset to open it because every single week i get 3 to 5 letters of injuries of bad injuries and they you know for auctions or for charities or mm -hmm. for a uh, friend passed away or whatever and these these you know and it doesn't it's not just with motocross it's it's just yeah. life yeah um but I, I can't even imagine for for the parents on on mm. that side and and what you sacrifice to get there but my parents, it was always about let's live the best life that we can, each day the best that we can. And when I was hurt, my dad, they, my uncles, everyone came together and we got like a, a nicer wheelchair. And as I started to be able to go, my dad, he used to run, you know, 50-mile runs every year just for shits and giggles. Uh, like, and he would run with me. So we'd go to the track. And at first I could only do like he would run five miles and I would get around the track once, you know, a quarter okay. mile. And got going and eventually I got down to like eight minute miles in my wheelchair and then we got kayaks that summer because I wasn't able to get on my feet for you know, a couple months and we'd go and you know at first you know I couldn't really move much but and my mom and my dad we'd go kayaking every day and we'd go to the track because my mom was she ran track in, in high school and we got to come together as as a family and they helped me my uncle Alan who uh you know coached uh you know health at, at the community college we go to the community college we had access to all that and this whole family came together, not caring where I was going to come back to, but just let's get you as healthy and let's yeah. learn as much as we can. Let's let's do this as a family. And that was one of the best bonding experiences of my life, that, that four or five months where, you know, I, wow. <laughs> I need a lot of help. Yeah. Well, and that exercise probably sped your recovery by tenfold. Yeah. Had, in, in, unless you had just sat on your couch, right? Like you probably yeah, what healed, else would way, you, yeah. you healed way quicker, I'm sure. Um, I want to go back because before we even get to that 99 uh, World Supercross round at Pasadena, which was your very first pro race, right? You did the grab or the X Games, um, and that was a first X Games ever, right? 99. Uh, yeah, first X Games is 99. San Francisco, and you win the gold, right? Which, you know, can we go back to getting there? Yeah. So we couldn't really. I'm trying to figure out how to make it out there. And my mom's like, X Games is, and talking to Davey Coombs and everyone like, this so is. Had you already signed with Factory Team going into that? No. Okay. They, it was, I could still mess it up, but okay. it was, we were pretty good with Suzuki. They were pretty sure what was going on. Did I they see I the be, value in this I, yet? No. Or no. No. Okay. No. Okay. I thought it was going to be Primal Impulse, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I mean, still, it was under Suzuki. We could have been teammates. Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> yeah, but Roger, Roger just wasn't. It wasn't until later that Roger said, "Okay, to, to okay. the factory." But you know, it still still would have been similar setup. Yeah. Um, no, but so convinced my parents 
that I was like, X Games, I have to go to X Games, I have to go to X Games. And they're like, this is not where a career is going. This is not where we need to be. Um, and I said, look, the weekend before, like a couple days before, is Mammoth Mountain. I said, last year I saw Steve Lampson go. I said, there's a chance to race some of the, the, the best riders in the world at, at Mammoth. Like, we, we have to go there. And talked to Jeff Cernick, and Jeff Cernick's like, you know what, Mammoth's pretty good. He goes, I'll help you get out there. And, and we had a lot of people kind of help us. So we took the box van across country, race Mammoth. And your dad, who would, who would be your mechanic or who would go with you? So I guess you're a kid. Jeez, yep, yeah, so my mom was a flight attendant. Okay. Um, so she would work the opposite days that my dad would work. So my mom and I drove to, to California okay. with the bikes. And then my mom went to work that weekend. To, and he'd fly out? And he flew out because we had the passes, which, which worked it really okay. nicely. Yeah. So he was my mechanic. Too. He, was so, he was the first dad that I, factories know that was so excited just to – he never touched a bike since I turned pro. Yeah. As soon as I had he a mechanic, wanted, he wanted he to be nothing to do with it. Um, no, but he always did a, did a good job. But So we went out, and I broke a foot peg on the downhill, and I knocked myself out. Oh. Like, I don't know. I was first moto, something stupid, and just tomahawk, cartwheel, knocked out, all banged up. Um, so we get in the, the box van, and we're going for Mammoth. Practice is the next morning. And I'm for X Games. For X Games. Yeah. So I'm hurt. And you get one day of practice, and then they go into the, the event. And it's, it was like on a Tuesday or something, on a Wednesday, something like that. Um, so the box van breaks down. So my dad goes out, and he, the alternator goes up, whatever. So he hooks the generator. He basically duct tapes the generator and <laughs> hammers some, some wood that we had from firewood and puts it on the hood. So we get the hood off, and the generator's sitting there, and he's got them with uh, jumper cables hooked oh my to the battery. Okay. Eventually, it finally dies. Dad hitchhikes to... Mom and I were actually, she had come back to that day. We, we were both in the, in the motorhome or in the, the box van. And we're there. It's cold. We're in the, like the, the mountains or whatever. Yeah. Dad hitchhikes to, he doesn't get a rental car place because they can't rent it or whatever. So he gets, we ended up with some guy's van that he found, comes back, loaded the bikes into that, leaves the box van on the side of the road, gets there, and we made it just in time for practice for, uh, for Exiums. Oh, my gosh. So... And no, at no time in any of that were you thinking, ah, maybe this is a sign I shouldn't Mom, do Mom, the whole game. time. It's a, it's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she's like the psychic thing, like you said, but yeah, she's like... Well, you is... get knocked out, you know, your van breaks down. Yeah. That's a lot of a lot yeah. of roadblocks you plowed through. Well, also, Dad knew that last place was like a thousand bucks or something. So, so he's saying last place money. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. All right. So did you, going into that, did you have a routine down... Like, did you know what? I mean, this was real early days of freestyle, obviously. Yeah, I was the did only one that took it seriously. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. I. I mean, so mom was good. She. Uh, my mom. She said, going into that, she's like, "Look, I don't believe you should be here. I think this is dumb. <laughs> I think this is you. You have a chance at a great career as a racer, uh, but if we're gonna do it, you're gonna do it right." And she sat down and we used it just like we did all through homeschool and everything else. Said, "Okay, what do we have to do to win?" What does Twitch have? What does Deegan have? What jumps are they going to do it? Where are the judges sitting? And she used it as a full, because mm -hmm. like, at this point, my parents are still not thinking career. They're still thinking, how can we use this to help you in life? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, okay, so let's think about this as a quiz. These are your judges. Who are the judges? What are their favorite tricks? Where do they ride? What do they like? What don't they like? Like, so we went through everything. And that, you know, a lot of times I'd win these, like, I, I didn't get beaten freestyle until I'd pretty much knocked myself out uh, when Ad Nate Adams beat me, you know, six years later. It wasn't always the best rider there, but, like, just having that 
my mom thing instead of ever yeah. just going out and riding. Yeah. yeah, which was what. Now, to be fair, like Brian said, that's not really what the sport's about. The sport's about having fun, and you yeah. really ruined it. So I ruined the sport right off the bat. But well, yeah, but it was a really cool, uh, you know, dichotomy of you two. You know, the the metal militia crowd, and then you. And there were some other characters in there. Feist was sort of his own little kung fu deal, and. There was different characters, Mad Mike Jones. The and, Flying Hawaiian, yeah. Mad Mike Jones, uh, Cowboy Kenny Bartram. Yeah. Everybody had a gimmick. That yeah. was, Which, you know, it was very WWE, but with a real component. You know, it wasn't fake wrestling. It was real jumps and really gnarly. No, Brian Deegan helped make me a star. Yeah. That, uh, us us to combined, yeah. but yeah. It, it, and I didn't. I didn't even know I was part of the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even realize what was happening? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you get through that run. You you jumped into the... This is when you jumped into the bay. How did that come up? I mean, who started that conversation, and how did that evolve? Before I even walked uh, the track, everyone was like, dude, I think you can make it into the, into the bay. And everyone was kind of joking. But nobody really... I mean, nobody said, don't do it. So... We, <laughs> We had a guy, Trent Cameraman, and uh, it was you know new guy on set with uh, with ESPN, and he's following my dad around everywhere. And Pete Fox was was awesome, and he, he went down there, and they had the wakeboard boat from uh, cause at the time Parks Bonifay and everyone they were you know um, Shapiro they're all doing their wakeboard contest. Yep. So they had the boat out there waiting for me. Had to put a life vest because I had already won the the event in the first round because um, I qualified first and then I won in best two out of three. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going. If I'm leading. I'm going. That was the plan. And my dad's like, you can backflip that. I was like, yeah, I could backflip that. And then I chickened out totally, and it was the lamest attempt at a backflip <laughs> ever. Uh, but dad was where I was going to backflip and come up short. Oh. So you can see he's out there like trying. I don't know what he was going to do. He was trying to catch me or something. Um, uh. You know, parents. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I got you, kid. Do it. Yep. He's going to be coming at you at 40 miles an hour. <laughs> so I land in the bay, and everything's great. And Trent, cameraman. Was it sketchy? I mean, when you were coming up to it, were you... I mean, I know it's water, but you're still coming up from pretty high. Like I was, I mean, the pier's about 20 feet high or so, um, plus another. I, I love water. I'm a, I'm a fish. I like jumping off of stuff. I just, I was bummed that I chickened out, but it was hitting it third gear on a 125, and it was pretty, like, it was a kicky jump. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Def, It would have been tough now after knowing how to backflip, and it, there was no way that was happening there. Yeah. Um, no, but it was, so, I, I didn't really think much of it, to be honest. I was like, dude. Just won ten grand. This is freaking awesome. Won the X Games. Like, so pumped. Was there any thought of like, okay, is ESPN going to get no, mad? Or the no. P- or what about the bike? So, they were because I heard there was drama afterwards. Huge drama. Yeah. So I come out. Trent Cameraman, the, the film guy who became great friends, who then filmed like all. The, they're like tape, and they just took the tape out of his camera. Like, he thinks he's going to get a raise, and they're like, "Did you know anything about this?" And Dad's like, "No, he didn't know anything about it." Like, why are we, never mind, we'll talk to you later. Took us straight to the back room. That's where I met Steve Astafin. Oh. Super agent Steve. He comes, he's like, here's my card. Anything you need, you tell us. And we're kind of laughing, and we're like, what? Like, we still had no idea. Oh, okay. No idea. Yeah. So we get to the back room, and this, <laughs> one of the, the ESPN guys, big dude, he's just hollering and screaming. And he's like, you're going to jail. You could shut this all. And my dad just starts laughing. And he was, dad almost fell out the back of the chair. He was laughing so hard. And the guy, you think this is funny? You think we're going to shut down the XK? Your son's going to jail. Dad's like, he's 15 years old. He's like, then you're going to jail. He's like, for what? So it was, it was really 
quite funny. Um, but after about 45 minutes, and they're like, and we're, we're taking away your winning, and we're taking away your gold medal. And that's where I started. I'm like, so my dad started crying. He's mad about the money. We're taking away your winning. <laughs> You're mad about I'm the like, medal. You can't take away the medal. <laughs> like, I won it in my first round. So they didn't. They took away the money. They um, did? But not the medal. So now my dad's actually crying. <laughs> but so Pete Fox, at that point, he goes, look, you let us have the bike. We'll, we'll cover the, we'll cover the, uh, the basically the That's bike. cool. So that, that was really cool. so he cool has Pete. that bike on display somewhere, I That imagine. bike, I think it's in, um, uh, I think it's in Japan. Oh. Wherever he one of their shops somewhere, but yeah. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's in one of the Fox shops. But yeah, so it was, it was and, cool. And it was a like an EPA issue, right? Like the fuel and oil that were in the bike, or yeah, what we, was I there? Mean, what we were they so balled up about? I, they made me get a techno shot to get out of that. It was so polluted. But yeah, I think that was a. Uh, that's. So you know, Tony Hawk, got in a lot of trouble. And I had no idea because he jumped his skateboard. So philosophically, I said, "Why do you think you're better than everybody else? That you get to do something that no one else did? That you can steal the limelight?" Um, and I was like, well, I, I, cause I won, <laughs> like if I didn't win in the first round, I would have done my second round. Yeah. Um, but then the, the environmentalists uh, came out. There's, I just didn't really think about it cause they like, jet skis or whatever. Like it, yeah. it was not much in the bike. We got it out. Yeah. It was really deep actually. Was it? How, how deep is it? 60 feet. So a dive so team yeah, go down? Dive or? team. Yeah. yeah. It cost more money. Honestly. I'm sure it did. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and you know. At the time, like I, I, I just, it's amazing that you guys just weren't charged ahead on any of that stuff. Like I would, I would think of the repercussions. Well, what if, what if we get in trouble? Ah, you guys were just like, let's do it. That'll be sick. You don't think about it. Right. And, and that, I mean, really X games, ESPN should be thanking you, but they still never aired it. ESPN has never aired that footage. Um, I, I think, I mean, you had Esther Van Hoisty, like there was a lot of people in there that. They kept it, and it it still exists. But it's there's footage of it though. Maybe ESPN didn't air it, but there's footage of it, right? Yeah, there's people had cameras, but yeah. yeah. No, it was. But again, along all the oh, stuff, they, they were just so worried about the environmental groups, huh? They were worried they were going to shut down the rest. Of, there were still two more days of events, uh-huh. and they almost shut down the rest of X Games, which would have been really bad. Yeah. So now I, I don't know. I was 15. My dad, we just, our whole philosophy on life has been live every day for the moment, have fun. And yeah, there's, I mean, especially a lot of people on this podcast and race, the racer X audience, I I still feel like there's so much animosity towards anything freestyle. And definitely like you could have been so good. I don't think I could have necessarily been any better. I could have probably been less injured. Um, I I don't think, I think what made me who I was, um, yeah. Do I wish I would have won a supercross and that kind of stuff? Yeah. But um, even if they would have taken all the money and it would have been shut down, I would have been thrown out of whatever. And uh, it was pretty fun, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> it's good times, right? Like it's worth it. Like yeah. Well, my, I listen. I like I said. I think that there was a lot of talk in that not not that early, but later on in your career, we're like, man, if he would have just focused on racing, he oh, he really screwed up by doing this. And I think. And at the time, I might have been like, man, maybe you're right. Because no, we don't know, right? We're just seeing that yeah. you're doing I, both I wasn't, things. I wasn't as good as, like, I was in practice. Roger came out to me every single race. And by the end of it, I, I was like, Roger, like, I was five seconds off every single practice. Is that right? Like, if we had time practice now, I'd be, I'd be screwed. Yeah. I'm like, look, I will take the risks that I need to, to take Glenn Helen. I'm going to hit those downhills, and I'm going to make, like, Tortelli, he'd pass me in every lap. 
I'd pass him back on the downhill. <laughs> and Tortelli was beat bomb the hills pretty yeah, good. But I'm yeah. like, I, it's free time. Yeah. And then I ended up flipping over and, yeah, anyway, the bottom one of the hills, I caught a breaking pump bad. But I, you can always go faster, but that's, you, it has to be worth it. And if yeah. you're not having fun, it's not worth it to be yeah. on the ground every race. Well, in retrospect, looking back at what you've done, if I, if I could have, you know, if you could have peeled right and won, let's say, five championships in racing, but but none of the other stuff would have happened, right? You you gave up freestyle after that ninety nine thing, and that was it. You just were a racer. Versus what you've done, it's a no brainer to me. I I tell racing bye bye, and I'd do exactly what you did. Yeah, dad. My dad always says you've messed up in reverse more than anyone on the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, no, but if, you, if you follow your passion, you follow your heart, then every single day that you're doing, as long as you're doing what you love, then you're not wasting it. I mean, yeah. But but we get so focused on. And to your point about just living it and having fun, we get so focused on the end result. And, okay, I need to make money because I want to, you know, I want to be able to retire, whatever it is, you know. And if you have goals, like if championship's your goal, which for me it always was, I was too scared to do the freestyle tricks. I did a knack-knack one time, and my left foot came off. Oh, no. And I was doing a whatever that <laughs> is. And <laughs> I almost died, and I'm like, I'm done. Like, freestyle's out. Um, but, man, you know, you, I think that we – I think we lose sight, and even current riders today, like we talked about, I think they lose sight of that, having fun and really enjoying what you're doing. But and that said, will bring out a joy in, in your job that will just make everything maybe, better. Maybe not. Carmichael did. I mean, you look at the greats. The greats are, are there because they hated to lose. Mm. The guys that were good, the guys you remember, are the guys that, well, not the guys you remember, the guys that were, were fun, like your guy Cooper's, your, they just loved to ride. Yeah. Doug Henry, dude, I mean, Paralyzed now comes out to the the race. Uh, we hold a like a with Jeff Cernick. Yeah. Um, try to get everyone together at the end of the year, and it was snowing. Damon Bradshaw showed up. Like I was so stoked the beast from the east came, and yeah. he's like, "There's, I'm not going out there. It's cold. It's rainy. It's muddy, and there's no one out for like the warm up lap. Like it's just to like get on the bike." Freaking Doug Dog's Henry, out he's out there with like three other people just trying to get it. I mean, you know, he falls over, he can't even pick himself up. He just <sighs> loves to ride. Yeah, he's a special. He's a special one too, that guy. Well, anyway, sorry, I get off on too many tangents. No, that's man. fine. Those are fun. Um, okay, so we get through '99. Your first series, first full pro series, is 2000. No, yeah, right, 2000. Yep, yeah. Um, what were so, so? I I thought you won your very first. Did you win the West Coast in 2000? When did? No, I got second. Shay Bentley. Shay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> way to way to pick it a scab, buddy. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, yeah, who Roncata won East that year? Roncata won East. Yeah, and Sellers was in that mix too, right? You and Sellers got uh, second every single race mm. until the last round. I think he ended up third or whatnot. But yeah, okay. Um, I because I could have swore you won your first round, but it says fourth in the results. Is that right? That is correct. And did I, you crash on the parade lap? Yeah. So that's a good story. Let's hear that one because I do remember that and thinking. Oh man, that's a that's a rough way to debut. <laughs> and oh, what poor happened? Leroy, man! I yeah. tell you what, you um, aged him a little bit. Yeah. So, well, it all started with Ronnie Renner. Um, so day qualifier, I, my starts were never that good. Um, I was even, you know, one hundred eighty six two on. Were you that one, that heavy even back then? Seventy five. Okay. Fish maybe racing against guys who were one thirty, one forty. Yeah. What were you like? One thirty five. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that's a tough freaking jockeys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should have been a road racer. <laughs> yeah. 
So starts weren't the best. Um, you know, Suki, we had a good bike that year. It was before the uh, the four strokes came in yep. the following year. Um, but I could usually work my way around the first turn pretty good. But that was usually from having a good starting pick. Yeah. But the first round, I didn't have a good starting pick. And yeah. then, so I'm way out in boonies, and I was doing this triple in the corner. And most people were going double single to the outside. But every now and then, someone would go double single to the inside. And I was already lined up triple in. And um, Ronnie Renner, I didn't know at the time, goes double single inside, land on him. That was the end of his racing career. You're welcome, Ronnie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he did great in freestyle and yeah. step up. Uh, but then... That was in practice. No, that was in the day qualifier. Oh, day qualifier. Okay. So I get dropped in the day qualifier. I have to go to like the LCQ day qualifier. So I'm starting, you know, pretty far wide. Get a bad start, whatever. Make it through to the the main, and then in the main of or the for the main event, we get a parade lap. And I go out instead of looking at the track like every normal sane human being. And I already have a cast on my. I'm riding with a cast got a broken thumb. So oh, I've, I do vaguely remember that. Okay. So you just cut around the thumb or something, or what'd you do? No, nothing. I just ran with the cast. You just ran just left it? hand. Yeah, ran it. AMA um, didn't say anything. They were a little loose back then. Yeah, looser than now. Yeah. yeah. We had Duke Finch. He didn't like me from the get go. Oh, I, yeah. I don't blame him. It's already <laughs> landed on someone. I'm already, you know, whatever. So we go to the the main event. Got a cast on. Do a heel click over the first jump. Crowds on their feet. Heel click over the next triple. Like, yeah, I'm wheeling through the whoops. I'm like, this is great. I haven't looked at the track at all. I haven't studied any of the ruts. I'm just like kid in a candy shop. And I go around the last turn, and I actually made eye contact with uh, Jeff Stanton. And I just saw his, his crossed his arms, and he's just like, just a smug Jeff Stanton look. And my heart kind of sank, and I kind of, and then I went to do a Superman seat grab, but I have a cast on my left hand. Oh, no. So in the time, it was a fender grab. So I'm reaching all the way back, and I missed. I, I blame Jeff Stanton a little bit and the cast a little bit and maybe nerves a little bit, but I miss. So I miss the bike. I Superman one hand, land, launch the bike. <laughs> the poor camera guy jumps off the stand. The camera goes falling. So I don't know. It was a big camera. It had to be expensive. Um, bent the, the lever. The handlebars are bent down. <laughs> I come back and Leroy, you couldn't, you couldn't fluster that guy, man. He's just looking at me. He's shaking his head. No rush. All right, what do we need? Bend it back. Do this. He's like, you, you ready to stop fucking around now? It's <laughs> like, yeah. I got the best start that I've ever gotten. And, dude, it was a pretty packed. Field. That, was a, like, that it, was a stack season. It was yeah. a stack season. East Coast. And he had, you know, everyone thought Fonseca was going to dominate. And Roncada was in shape for the first time in his life. And, um, uh, what, Brandis or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. Brandis I think he had primal, a right? winning that one. Uh, but, yeah, so. However, was stacking up. Yeah. It was a good battle. Yeah. And um, Sellers. So lap two already. And I'm already running like 200 heart rate because I'm like, I was jacked up. But I, I got a good start. I think that helped me. Like yeah. being so discombobulated from the <laughs> completely messing everything else up. That I, I day. would be mentally, after that parade lap, I'd be mentally just destroyed. You know, I'd just have Jeff's. That look yeah, that, I still have that. <laughs> I still I can picture him. I can picture him doing it. And I, was, uh, I didn't even see it. So. Second lap, Sellers goes wide. I have a chance. I'm like jumping. I'm like, I'm gonna take the crowds just still on their feet from the parade lap. You know, they're pumped. <laughs> and and they're all watching in, you at this and point. And he does double single inside, land right on him, both of us. Whoom, off the course. Come back. I crashed another time, and then I, I still ended up fourth on on that race. But um, yeah, and I remember Art Ekman. Yeah, Art comes up to me, and he's just shaking his head. He goes. 
and just walks away. He didn't even say anything. And later he comes <laughs> up and he's speechless. like, he goes, you just seemed like such a normal um, art crate. I, I get along with art really. But you seem uh, so professional and articulate and smart. And then I, I watch you ride and it's just chaos and mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Gary Bailey comes up to me and goes, okay, first thing, because, you know, I'm. He's a longtime coach of yours. Long yeah? time. Gary, yeah. he's, he's awesome. He's yeah. been great. I've basically lived with him for forever. He's like second father to, between him and uh, Roger and, and my dad. That was kind of where I, yeah. my father figures, if you will. Okay. But um, so Gary, Gary comes up and he goes, I was like, you know, talking about the race. And I'm pretty excited. I am fourth. I crashed twice and got fourth. He goes, all right, wipe the smile off your face. He goes, right now, you've got to go over to Brock Sellers. You've got to go over that pit. You've got to look him in the eye. You got to apologize. You're going to go past a lot of irate family members. You're going to go past a lot of irate team members. And what you have to do right now will establish how these riders will treat you for the rest of your season. He goes, every rider that you knocked down, every rider that you jumped on, every rider that you injured out there. He goes, let's go, let's go handshake, let's go eye contact. And he goes, then coming for the next round, he goes, we're not going to worry about what place we finish. We're just not going to piss anybody off. <laughs> it's like, all right, GB, thanks, man. So we had two, two more rounds in there before it got four one race. Then it, then it started coming together. Yeah. Because I think you won. Uh, I've got the results here. You had that season. Daytona. You had some wins, right? Yeah. So day, Daytona Supercross. Um, so you ended up that first year third overall in the championship, right? Yeah. I think we were like, I was one point behind going in the last round. That was close. Oh, let's see. And I was, you know, I was really shocked to see how few seasons you raced. I, I, for whatever reason, when I think back to your career, I think maybe you went six, seven, eight years. Two. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't race a lot. Yeah, three. Well, three technically. Yeah, it was a lot shorter than I thought. So, uh, four, four, five, one, one, two, three, three, one. So I mean, it, definitely those first few were a little learning yeah. curve, and then you had her dialed. So. What was interesting, um, I got the flu at the second round, um, and I shook a lot of hands. Always did, always will. Yeah. Um, ran hot, always did, always will. Like, just as far as just excited. When I was out there, I always, it's always 110%, yeah. like, whatever. Like, just, I just had fun. Yeah. Um, but that was an interesting, uh, interesting round at the, the second round um, because it was pretty cold. Okay. And had jackets and whatever, and I. It's the first time. Pontiac. Like, yeah. Right. That was time. Yeah. Freezing. It was like really cold. Yeah. Um, had the flu, and I would go to the bathroom. When I came out, there was people waiting for an autograph, and I'm sick, and I'm like, I don't, I shouldn't be like shaking hands or talking to, like just because, you know. And then I really got to get back to the, and then like I got, booed a couple times, like, just people yelling like, oh, don't even have to, because you'd sign autographs. That's what people don't really get, like you'll sign a bunch of autographs or whatever or and then you walk around the corner and people are like oh i can't believe i caught you dude you can just walk around here no one's even but you already told like 50 people there that you had to go somewhere and then you're yeah. like oh so i gotta go and those people are like what a dickhead because yeah, right. they don't see or that you're sick or that whatever's going on or that you gotta like it's your job is to not only say hi but it's to perform so when you see the guys you're like oh they're just in their factory rigs chilling no they're they're going over every lap time, every data, every. Uh, now we got POVs and there's all kinds of stuff like um, the telemetry and everything. Um, so you're going over all this stuff with your team. But I was sick and I stayed there till the last fan was gone. And right at the beginning, someone ripped my jacket off and just ran and took off. A fan? A fan. And I'm, I'm already, I'm sick. I already threw up like before the main event. 
miserable. I'm tired. All I want to do is just die, basically. And I, I didn't have the result that I was really hoping for. And I was kind of like, I got up and I was like, what the hell? And someone was like, oh, what, what do you care? You get them for free. And I kind of sat back down and I was like, yeah, but I'm cold now. <laughs> like, like, I'm sick. I'm miserable. I'm tired. I don't have to be here. Yeah. Like, I thought, I was like, what are you guys going to chase him down or no? Anyway, but it was just, it's, there's some inter- interesting interactions. Yeah, know. listen, that, that happens. To, there's nobody better than with fans than you in my book that I've ever seen. You will stay until the last person gets an autograph if you can. But to your point, you're, you're also there to do a job, you know, and that, that primary job is to win races. And they just don't see that. They're, for them, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They get to see you and get an autograph, and this is the only time they're ever going to have that chance. But you do this every yeah. single weekend, you know, over and over, and you have this actually isn't your job. It's this. This is something that comes along with it. Yeah, well, the that's only, honestly the only reason that I'm still it definitely wasn't my results. And if you stay at something long enough and you work hard enough towards it, like with car racing, this was the first year of my life that I actually felt like a professional race car driver. I finally had the seat time. Um, until then, I knew what my job was. My job is entertainment. My job is going out, talking to the reporters. It's going to the, um, it's doing press for the events. It's getting mm-hmm. people to to watch. It's you know building up the the series and and the the sponsors. And that's I'm good with that. You know why? Because that gets me the opportunity to be able to drive these awesome yeah. cars and to do things like Jim Connor and uh, get to still ride dirt bikes. People still think I race dirt bikes. Like, shoot, <laughs> I love riding, but like I haven't been competitive like you said since 2004 probably. Well, I, my point is just you're never going to please everybody, yeah. and you and you you know you have to just get okay with that. I because I thought I was pretty good with fans. I always yeah, tried to good. be professional, and I have people go, "Oh yeah, dude, I tried to get an autograph from you back in 2003, and you were a dick." And I'm like, "Really?" They uh, but they don't see. I, I who yeah. knows what I don't even remember what he's talking about. But it's like, well, dude, was I doing something? Was I headed to the line to race? I mean, like you know, can't sign everything no, at R- any Roger time. Roger had to make me stop signing. He's like, when you're on the starting line. When you're walking to the starting line and you're on the starting line, because people would always, but they didn't call for like Ricky because they knew he wouldn't. But like you seem so, uh, like approachable. approachable. Yeah, like yeah. just come over and say the, the card's not up yet. <laughs> <laughs> and like Roger's like, no, no, okay, look, you got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah, so that's, that's funny. funny. Okay, so that 2000 season, what stands out? Because um, you had a decent outdoor year. Um, well, you won the outdoor title that year. So what, what stands out from that season, Supercross and outdoors? Um, you know, I mean, the, really, you got a third in Supercross with a bunch of wins. You win the outdoor title. At this point, you got to be thinking, I'm the guy. Yes, <laughs> I, this is going to be. I'm wait, making it. Motocross of Nations. Probably yeah. the greatest moment of my life, especially having Gary Bailey as a coach and looking up to David and Osho and Rick Johnson and all these guys and, and you know, kind of the prime for the U.S. going over and just dominating Motocross mm-hmm. of Nations. And to have an opportunity to do that my first year when Steve Lampson and Talon Volan were both the the sure picks and then to be able to win the championship um you know it's difference between first and second is three points i won the championship by two points my goal halfway through the outdoor championship was just to not have roncada wrap it up before the final round Mm. um and then interesting story though like um i knew roncada was better than me a hundred percent in my head and there was so if i got out battling with roncada I just I knew it was better, and I, I tried my hardest, and I wasn't giving up, but I was getting thirds and fourths, but I was battling with Talon Volan, mm-hmm. and I knew I could beat Talon, and Talon knew he could beat me, and dude, we hit so hard, so my first ever overall win was Southwick, Massachusetts, 
and we put I put Vaseline on the goggles so it wouldn't get dirt in them, but the goggles fogged up from the inside. So I threw my goggles second lap. My mom and dad are screaming at Roger and Lee, pull them off the track, pull them off the track, and I'm battling with Talon for the lead. And thank goodness now we didn't, but like his eyes are more important than this one race, you know, basically. Um, but they didn't pull me off. And I hit Talon so How hard. How are you battling with a guy with no goggles? No, I could actually, I pulled out at the end and I scraped sand out of the underneath of my, <sighs> um, my but so we hit, I break his foot. He rips the brake rotor, the, the, um, the front or the, the rear brake rotor off my bike. So I only have front brake, which in Southwick doesn't work very well. No, that's a struggle. And we've got no goggles, but we're just so worried about ourselves. We didn't worry about anybody else. And we're out there. We're like, we're gone. Uh-huh. And I got you know, no rear brake at Southwick. And I come down. I slam three or four more times because I can't stop. <laughs> oh, you're coming in hot. And I was screaming and yelling. And we finished the race. And he had lost that race, came over and gave me a big hug. He's like, best race I've ever been on. But I, I think you broke my effing foot, basically. And we had such a good kind of, I loved racing him because uh-huh. we always knew we were going we to battle. So season come around, we take off first and second at, um, at Washugo. Now, at this point, we're third, fourth place riders. We're just trying to hang on. But I knew I could beat him. He knew he could beat me. And we went at it. And every lap, I'd pass him through the whoops, and he'd pass me on this other section. And I'd pass him through the whoops, he'd pass me on this other section. And we get the halfway flag, and I kind of looked around. I took a second, and I'm like, we just yarded all the riders that I thought were better than us by 35, 40 seconds. We Which are, would be who, like Sellards, uh, so, Ron Ron? Yeah, I mean, basically you had, yeah, Stefan Roncata was, was definitely the biggest, and Steve Lampson. Okay, Lammy, yeah. So Lammy, Ron Ron. Um, I mean, was, I was back there somewhere too, but I wasn't. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, Supercross was always. Yeah, I, I know. It's more of a Supercross yeah. guy. Well, I, I didn't. Yeah. So where were you guys in the points at that? Were you leading points by Washougal? No, I was 42 points de- behind oh. at Washougal. I won every single moto from that point out. Ron Ron was leading, and then who who would have been second, third? Lammy so, and uh, so, and uh, Volan, yeah, Roncata, Lampson. I was probably th- Volan and I were about the same. Okay, I had I had some good East Coast West Coast. So I broke my wrist in the in the first round. Okay, um, just scaphoid. So it's that little bone that doesn't really yeah. it's done it's, it doesn't do much. Although now my wrist is fused, so there's that. Um, but yeah, so at the top I just fell over. Stupid. I had uh, Glen Helen. Mm. So I go out now. The first year Glen Helen, I get a three four moto finish. Happiest moment of my life. Like. Uh, yeah, basically. And I, I broke my wrist at the on the fourth. Mm. Um, second year, I get the same motor finish, and it was like everyone thought I was like, yeah. the worst rider ever. Worst like, thing ever. It would happen. But anyway, so um, go out there, break my wrist, race Sacramento with cast. Blood just, because it's 110 degrees out there. And, and I had cast blister, is digging into you. Cast was digging. I went the second race, and I had no palm left, and just bled through the glove. And then I had it duct taped on, and everything, like, it just... Basically, there was so much blood, it got through all of the, the, the tape and everything, and the glove came off. But I was able to, I fought back to second um, in that moto, uh, to Lampson, who was, yeah, yeah pretty Especially amazing. Especially at Hangtown, he was the man. He's the man. Um, but then we, sorry, we go east. So, super mud race. I love the mud. So, was battling uh, um, uh, Kelly Smith. Okay. Oh, high point. High point. Yeah. For a lead, went inside, last turn, dove to the inside, and my spark plug comes off. I don't remember they that. They used a jet ski spark plug so it wouldn't get watered in it or whatever. Well, the spark plug comes off. So 
I'm done. Now, no one can see this. It's in, the, like, the last corner. Everyone, including all my family, all my uh, uncle, like, like, what an idiot. Crashed last He last crashed time. last turn. So I never come up the hill until right at the very end, like, ended up getting 12th or something, that first moto. Uh, but they lapped, luckily, they lapped through, like, 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come up, and Roger didn't believe me. It's like, sure he didn't, sure he didn't. So the guy comes up who actually, so a fan jumps out, puts a spark plug on my bike, and Roger goes, what color is it? He's like, it was blue. Roger's like, all right, I believe you. Spark plug cap fell off, so blah, blah, blah. So that guy saved my ass because no one believed that I didn't just dump it in the last turn. And then was able to win my first moto. Heel clickered across the start finish line, first lap. Won the first moto uh, at high point uh, second race, so that was cool. Okay. And then, so you guys are battling all year long. After Washougal, that was, that, that was sort of a switch mentally for you, huh? We weren't. Battling. When you realized you could beat these guys by. So everything kind of got, at the beginning, there's four four main guys. Um, and there always was kind of, but like, shoot, uh, Glenn Helen, I was in 20th at the halfway of the first moto, riding my ass off, yeah. just like, you know, it just didn't spread out until people started getting tired and worked their way up, whatever. But by the end, I feel like people kind of, Almost you start knowing your place and you start, you don't think about it, but mentally you're just like, this is where I kind of belong. So you kind of, there's a pecking order. Like if Roncada's behind you or whatever, you kind of think, okay, well, it's beginning of the race. Like I'm not going to fight him too hard. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just kind of just happened. And then changing the guard, all of a sudden I realized we could do it. Talon and I go out, have a great race, win every single race. I knew I needed to win everyone from then that point on. Mm-hmm. Didn't think it was even possible but was able to do it it's not weird where you it just subconsciously like you said you just settle into okay this is i'm i'm this is i'm kind of right you're still trying yeah but like it's when people think you're like oh i'm two seconds a lap off no you know what two seconds a lap off two seconds a lap is is a half of a tenth of a second in every corner it's jumping every jump a little further it's never just kind of settling in and i think what the only spot because roncado was still quicker but he wasn't in great shape. So Rancada coming in, um, what was it, Binghamton. So he got the lead on me. And halfway through the race, he started slowing down. So every time I was in the same rut he was, he would slow down. I could almost, like, see his... Taking a big breath. Taking a big breath and take back off again. It's, you won't get that nowadays, but, you know... I used 2000s. that technique before. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pass me here. <laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah, a little tight S section. You just take her down to first gear. <laughs> so... At, you ended up winning this by two points, so it came down. Was it Steel City at the time? What was the last round that year? Last round was Steel City. Yeah. Um, had to win both motos. Uh, won the first moto. Jessman, the second moto, Brandon Jessman, gave me a run. And he's on my team. And I remember thinking, I'm like, you know what? If there's anyone that I want behind me, it's Brandon. But Brandon hasn't had a win mm. yet. You know, he's young guy. This is his hometown crowd. You don't give up a win. Yeah. And we we were half lap ahead of everybody but else. But you had to win. If he beats you, you lose. He beats me. I lose the championship by one point. And we're going. And then finally he was able to start pulling a little bit. So last lap, I don't know what Roger was thinking, but I ended up. I, these whoops were really, really big. And I tire tap through the whoops. No one could even see it. But tire tap all the way through the whoops on the 125 which real easy to like loop out or do something stupid. Uh, hit the back double, the big double. Superman seat grab, which oh, no. went off the fender. Did an indie air. Like, lazy boys, heel clickers, all the way to the finish line, wheelie up the last. Yeah, I, Roger had to have been just having a heart attack. But yeah, it worked out. Jeez. Did you not, I mean, did, did, did the pressure of the championship not even really 
phase you? I mean, because I got one whole shot all year. It was the final moto, final final time. I, I do the more pressure you put me under, it's just really hard to get in those situations. Yeah. You know, you gotta have a really good season to get there. But when you put me under the, the fire, that's that's, that's the crazy, best time. man. That's crazy. Who does that? Who's gonna do all those tricks on a last lap? No one's smart. <laughs> ah, you national champion, man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I really tried to get GL here to co-host this. He he couldn't make it, but I, um, I tried to get into the pit bike race. I really thought he was going to come out. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, he tells me a story. He really wanted to come because he goes, "Man, I've got some history with Travis racing at the Nations in 2000." But even going back, he said, he, "Did you go to South Africa?" Or he came here and oh, you yeah. guys raced mini bikes, right? Went to South Africa with FMF. Okay, broke my thumb literally two days before I went over. Had a cast on, cut the cast. Grant Langston over, so I was 11. Grant was probably 12. Okay. So go over there, and he is. Was he the man, like, when the, you went there? The, dude, he was, like, faster than anyone over there other than, like, Greg Albertine. Yeah. Like, and he's on 80s. Yeah. And we went over there. Like, there was probably, I bet there was 30,000 people that showed up to this race. Is that right? And most of them were to watch this battle between us. So I cut my cast off race. Was it a supercross? Was it that Sun City one or what it was, was it? an outdoor? Um, okay. but it was, it was very like uh, South Africa had a lot of, it was a supercross style track. It okay. was all in this, this, uh, this hill. I'm not sure where it was, but we had a big step down that went into okay. it. And, uh, well, I went over with Robbie Horton and, uh, Mitchell Hodges. Okay. Um, no, it was and Paul Curry. Actually. All right. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. But so we went and he wins the first race. So I cut my cast for the second one. I'm like, I can't ride with this cast on. So I go and I re-break my thumb. But I'm like, I'm not pulling off until I'm ahead of him. So I go and I just park him in a berm and I pull up to the, the start-finish line and I just stop. And I just, like, re-broken my thumb. It was, I was in a lot you of pain. F- you fell or just what happened? No, I just landed. I, I cut my uh, cast off. It wasn't healed yet, but I just uh, it re, like, still messed. Like, that, again, that whole wrist and th- that just never really healed right, but makes sense. So I got bagged on the whole time. They're like, oh, you knew you couldn't beat him, so, which was possible. Next time I hear of Grant Langston, he wins the World, uh, MX, world Championship. Yeah, yeah. World Championship. Uh, I win the U.S. Championship, and we go over, and it's so Motocross the Nations, you qualify down. So it's um, all, the one, all the lights, all the 125s, then all the 250s, then all the 500s or the open class. And we start out 1-2. And, I and this you, is, this, I'm going to screw it up. St. D'Angeli, France. St. D'Angeli, France. Okay. And this was, I remember watching this, you jumping down that hill, like to the bottom. And I, I mean, it was classic Pastrana, but that was a crazy race, huh? We went back and forth, and I loved racing Grant because he was such an asshole. And, but he was, he was crafty. It wasn't like, so Talon Volan, he only hit you when it helped him go faster. Okay. Uh, Mike Brown? He hits you to try to knock you down if he thought you were better. Okay. So you, you but you kind of know. But you knew their mindset. But you knew where you sat. Grant would go out of his way just to mess with you, just <laughs> mentally tear you down, just to just to make a point, even if it slowed him down or made his position worse or someone else went by. Like when he, he was crafty and his brake checks, like Fonseca was pretty good at brake yeah. checks too. When you just didn't expect someone to be slower, you yeah. just expected them to do their thing. Yeah. And man, I, I got. He took me for a, a, definitely schooled me on that first one. I ended up, I got the best of them just because I was willing to launch the downhills further. But it was so cool racing Grant Langston there. And it was such a cool, like, we battled all the way across the finish line of that heat. And then he beat me in the, the actual races. He got better starts. Um, 
So he was he was like seventh overall or something on a one twenty five two stroke on a hill track against five hundreds and two fifties and all the world guys in the US. Like he did phenomenal. Yeah. And then he came over and yeah, he was he was very hard to beat. Well, so that that leads us into our our O one season. Um and you moved did you race you rode a two fifty at Anaheim one? I think I did top five there. You got a fifth. Got a fifth, yeah. Which was your second series season ever of racing Supercross. You jump up and ride the 250 and get a top five. Yeah. Just There's not many dudes that do that. I think Reed maybe had a good finish early on. Ah, Reed was in that one. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, his first year of racing 250s. Yep. Was it that year? Oh, no, no, it was, no, it was the next year. You're right. You're totally right. He jumped in and did really well right away. I think, uh, obviously, Jeremy had some good finishes early on, 93. Yep. Maybe even 92, he might have done some East rounds and did well. Anyway. My point is you're in pretty rare air there where you can just jump up and kill it. Well, like I said, I could always go as fast as I wanted to. It just came at a very high price. It was on the ground a lot. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. So first round that year, um, and it was cool because it was Carmichael, McGrath, like McGrath, those, that, their air when they're crossing. Yeah. Um, no, so I was battle McGrath in my heat race. Um, you know, it was right up there. I was running, moved up to fourth, and then got Tyler Larocco past me in the last lap because he's in great shape. and. I was running at 205 heart rate the whole time. And then the next round, I uh, knocked myself out and had a, like, really gnarly concussion. Mm. Um, Where so was that? What round? San Diego. I was switching to fourth gear. Uh, in, come out of the turn in third, switch to fourth. I don't know why. I was one of the gear belly things. If you can grab another gear, grab it. But I was shifting. So I'd go, I'd try to go four whoops in, and I'd shift to fourth on the 250 as I'm, like, tire tapping my way through, and I, I false neutraled. Oh, I, I guess that's it looked like it anyway. Maybe I just suck, but <laughs> ran out of talents one way or another. Yeah. So when you say bad concussion, just were you, what, you're having symptoms for a while, just dizziness and. So tried to race the following race after that. I don't honestly. I, I don't remember. Like I remember getting to like I was fine that week. I was just super tired, and I got there and I just lost my vision. I I, I lost my balance and I I pulled off the track. I don't remember pulling off the track. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so that. It's one of those things. But then I went and started the East Coast. So I, because Roger at the time, he's like, dude, yeah, you're 17. You're supposed to be East Coast. But if, if you're running top five, <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Oh, really? So yeah. that was a discussion early on. Yeah. I just didn't. Um, he was kind of like begrudgingly let me ride it. And then after the first round, he's like, shoot, you got like, you know, second or third in your heat race and had a chance at podium in your first ever. 250 race like mm. that's not bad a 250 to be in the, the main class yeah, the time. yeah. Mm. but yeah no i definitely wasn't ready for it so but you were able to, to come back and be ready for that east championship which you won right well that, what do you remember from that 125 east championship uh season four strokes were super had a lot more power than, than was we it had. ramsey was he riding it nathan over there? ramsey yeah. was smooth he was good he was on fire he had a lot of um had a lot of confidence coming into that season too he needed that season that championship uh, first round, I, I connected with uh, my teammate going down the first straightaway with Jessman, and I got flung completely off the. So I think I, I might have won the first round, and then um, second round was Atlanta, I think. Let's, let's have a look. We're going to go back here. 2001, first round would have been, well, fifth at Anaheim, 20th at San Diego. You raced Anaheim 2, 20th. That was when you pulled off, yeah. yeah. You won Indy, which was your opener. Then 14th in Atlanta. So in Atlanta, going down the first straightaway, Brandon Jessman and I, we connected bars. And everything went right, and I went left. Luckily, I landed on a tough block, 
and just tumbled down like two or three tough blocks. But my bike was, I had no clutch, I had no front oh. brake. So just getting it started was, it. was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get lapped there, and Barry Karsten actually pulls off thinking I was lapping him. So I got an extra, <laughs> extra spot there. At the end, he's like, son of a gun, I want to stay in front of you. <laughs> um, yeah, so then pretty much I was in the same scenario that I was the year before in outdoors. And I was like, all right, well, this is great. I don't do well until I have to, and I have to win every other round. The championship is still in my hands. So then was a good battle because Ramsey's good, man. He was solid, yeah. solid rider. Um, though you raced Ramsey Lux. He came from West Coast. He was racing you, I guess, yep. earlier that year. I before. raced him in 99. Um, 2000, I don't know where he was. He wasn't on my coast, but, yeah, I mean, I was living with Nathan and in 2000 so or 99 anyway yeah he's a super, super awesome guy dude good great guy. rider the only rider i ever raced clean except for this one time and his family was really upset at me but you try to race the guys how you race yeah you know for a podium anyway it doesn't matter um, <laughs> so ramsey uh we had i won like pretty much all the rounds but not by much like i was riding everything that i had and he always got better starts he had the two the first year they had the 250f um so the four stroke was out and he could do stuff that i couldn't do out of the corners oh, i yeah. just everyone's like i thought you were a jumper i'm like I, like if you give me enough run like i'll hit jumps that most people won't hit but yeah. I, I physically i'm just not good enough out of this corner to make this jumps um so he always had something on me everywhere every track that was was extremely tough so we come in and i convinced roger at this point i'm like roger let me run two fifties. I'm like, I, I want to, I want another shot of this. Like my head's good. I've been training hard and I got off. Ramsey didn't have a good run at, um, at one of the rounds, uh, right before St. Louis. And I was like, Roger, I'm not even tired. I haven't even like broke a sweat. I want my heat race. I'm like, this is, let me race two fifties. So he goes, okay, we'll let you run two fifties and one twenty five same night in St. Louis. So I go St. Louis. I had the second qualifier for the one twenty fives, first qualifier for the two fifties. And I, had a knockdown drag out battle in the 125 qualifier. Okay. Go to the podium and then straight to the line. Forgot 250 second gear, 125 first gear start. So I was first gear, botched my start, almost took LaRocco out, hit him in the, on the, the triple first lap. <laughs> like we always came together. I always, I, he was such a hero to me. And I always, he thought I was retarded, I'm sure, because. I could never talk well around him because it was like Lampson and LaRocco, that whole era yeah. of like, dude, I well, was. Well, he's a little intimidating too. He's just a. Very stoic and, and yeah, he was like the first jersey that I ever had signed. I was dude, I was so pumped. I was such a big Larocco fan, and then I always just step my tongue and say stupid <laughs> stuff, and then I always ran into him somehow. And yeah. but anyway, long story long, so I I got second, I think, in my heat to McGrath, and I'm like, holy crap, that's pretty good. And then so in the main, but I I raced. So holy, you raced the 125 that night too? Yes, yeah, so I raced 125. I don't even see, you don't have even results there for St. Louis, just the 250 class. That's very weird. Just the 125 class. No, this is 20th in the 250 class, St. Louis. But yeah. there's no result for 125. So, yeah, well, 125, I won. Okay. So I had to. You look at 2002, 2001. No, it's 2001. Yeah, 2001. But yeah. there's no result, I'm saying, on uh, where I pulled these out about the internet. It's so funny. They just have I you in the 250 class. crashed in the first turn. And so I go my heat race in the 125, knockdown drag out battle. 250 race um, from mid pack or whatever, come up right on McGrath, but like pushing. Okay. I'm like, dude, I almost beat the king. This is freaking awesome. Um, 125s, I crash in the first turn. Ugh. Pass Nathan Ramsey, 
which we need to do for the championship, with two turns to go before the finish line. Oh, my gosh. Not Like, from, not last, there was a pileup, but, yeah. like, pretty much Way last to, to first. And Roger, they handed me, Lee handed me the 250, and I said, absolutely not. I was like, I, I've never been Vapored. more tired in yeah. my life. I'm going to, I got, arm, like, I'm going to die. So I would have liked, if that would have been the round from the round before, it would have been interesting to see how that uh, 250 would have gone. That's crazy, man. I, I didn't know you did that. So, but technically I, I didn't that. race the 250 meter. Yeah, so. well, that's why they show you as 20th. Yeah. But I don't see a 125 result for St. Louis. They only listed you on the 250. Weird stuff. All right, so you won that championship that year. Did that take, um, how did that feel? I mean, you're already a 125 national champion at that point. Does the Supercross one feel like, eh, or? I think it was expected from most people, um, mm. you know, including myself. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always tough when, you know, like I look at uh, Fortner right now. Fortner, when I was riding with him at, um, at Raynard's place, he was the fastest rider I've ever ridden with. Yeah. Ridden with some pretty fast guys. I know they've gotten faster since we were, we were in there, but, like, Dude, to see that he was battling with Ferrandis and now just mentally or whatever, um, you know, it just some something's not clicking. So you always think you're going to do it until you don't. And then I went out there, and now we have, um, yeah, who came over that that outdoor season? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't going uh, going great. You had Mike Brown was doing uh, phenomenal, and uh, you had Langston, GL, and Brownie. And Langston yeah. won like almost the first two rounds. It was I didn't have a shot. Mm. Um, not a shot in, in hell at, at staying with Griffin. Was that an extra motivator for you, having the, the history you two had? Like, were you like, I want to beat this guy? Yeah, I mean, that's he's the best in the world. He's coming over, won the world yeah. championship, and, I mean, he everyone he thinks he got me in, in on 80s, and I think I got him, but, you know, broken thumb, whatever, he won. <laughs> um, no, and just to, to prove that you could do it. So um, I think where it all came down to, he said he was the best sand rider in mm. the world, and I was like, you're not touching me at South. I grew up at Croom, grew up uh, with with all those guys down in um, you know, down in Florida. I'm like, there's no way you're beating me. He goes, I'm gonna whoop you like a girl, and you know, beside the sexism out of, out of the way here, I had an all pink outfit, and uh, pink helmet, pink everything. I was like, all right. So in practice, I was gonna bust it out for the race. So okay. in practice, um, you know, I had just won the first East Coast round in the mud, just because. Well, I love mud too. Yep. Yep. Uh, being from the East Coast at High Point, we had a great round with, race with Kamikaze. Last turn pass it was awesome race. I feel like every race I was in was a good battle. But so we go. Grant Langston, here's the showdown. He's the the dominated the first two rounds. Says he's the best sand ride on earth. Talking so much crap. There was no one. Yeah. GL, I wish you were here. There was nobody that talked more crap, and that was. Uh, more conniving, smarter <laughs> asshole racer <laughs> that I ever raced against than Grant. Um, and he just talks, just made you want to just just kill yeah. him. So I never looked at practice times. Like I said, I was always four or five seconds off. I didn't care. So I go on the first practice, and I was actually second quickest. Like, I was caring a little bit. Like, And they're like, oh, Grant's two seconds faster than you. Oh, you're going to get. So my next practice, we go out, and I looked at Grant at the start line. I said, oh, you, because Grant was gloating. A time practice. I'm like, oh, you won, you won practice, man. Congratulations. I'm like, you want to you go? Like, you're going to get your ass whooped this practice. So we go out, <laughs> and he rips his shoulder. He uh, dislocates his shoulder or, or uh, towards rotator cuff or okay. something pretty bad. Um, and I go out, and I knock myself out. <laughs> 
So we talked so much crap. That <laughs> You're both in the Astros truck. We were both, yeah. Like he shouldn't uh, race that that race. His shoulder was compl- his shoulder was destroyed, and I I didn't know who I was for the first round. Luckily, it wasn't the same protocols we have now. And now that I know what was going on, that's probably not good. But they gave you all the tests, and I think I failed all of them. But they're like, ah, I'm like, I'm fine. Touch your nose. You're tapping yeah. your head. I don't know. <laughs> Remember these three words. I was like, yeah, that's not. I couldn't do that anyway. Come on. Uh, so I still. I don't even think I wore the, any of the pink. Um, and then still had a great battle, and I ended up winning the overall, but it wasn't a fair assessment. I would have loved yeah. to wear so, the pink. But he outfit. still raced, right? Yeah, he raced on that shoulder. He did well for, I mean, dude, he's tough. Yeah, he is a tough guy. He still thinks he would have won. I still think I would have kicked his ass. But. So you were going, that season, that outdoor season was 3 2 1 1 4 2. I mean, you got to be up on the points lead with that kind of scores, yeah? Uh, so I had a 40. I, mean, I thought you got knocked out at Unadilla. Was that 01? Had a 48, 47, 48 point lead going into uh, Unadilla. Led every single lap until the very last lap, get knocked out, made the biggest fool of myself because I woke up, didn't remember waking up. Heel clickers, can cans, whatever, after the race has been done for forever. But I DNF basically the second race. Everyone was done. And, and it was that sweeper kind of before you go back up the yeah. hill. And what happened? Just swapped? Don't know. I, I watched it on yeah. TV like you did. I don't know. <laughs> but I, so I'm doing hill. Everyone's like, what an idiot. So I just rode around the pits for a while. But so I made a deal with Roger Costa before that race. I said, look, Roger, if I, and Carmichael had been talks that if he had won the, he was going to try to get the 125 championship or the most 125 yep. wins by dropping down. I said, Carmichael's dropping down to 125's last round if he gets, because we had both about 40-some point lead at that point. Um, I said, I want to race 250s in the final round. Roger's like, all right, if that's what keeps you motivated, that's what keeps you going. Um, so my goal was to have a 50-point lead so I could race uh, the 250s Steel City. in Steel City. And Carmichael was going to race the 125s in Steel City, which I think would have been yeah. pretty neat. But uh, as it would turn out, knocked myself out that round, um, was throwing up all through Troy, didn't know – just and still from the, the concussion earlier that year, um, then went went to X Games and I could still do X Games because I wasn't like a I would, my equilibrium was a little bit off, but I could do a trick or do whatever, and that's what Roger didn't understand. But I couldn't once my heart rate got high, my world just I just said yeah. vertigo so bad. Shouldn't have done X Games obviously, um, but then kind of lost a little respect from Roger there to do X Games. Came out, knocked myself out again, um, real bad at um, uh, Washougal that mm-hmm. year so now the points race oh, went, I remember that went from a huge lead yeah. to I think down by 10 and I came in so I did X Games straight into Millville I uh, was running second uh, to Grant and my world just started spinning mm. throwing up my helmet didn't know which way was up kind of confused pulled off um, championship was done at that point and then I went back to X Games to do best trick and I think that's the point where I think most of the moto industry pretty much gave up. I mean, they didn't really understand. I didn't understand. I shouldn't have been riding anything with, with those concussions. Uh, but from that start of the year with the really bad one uh, on the 250s, uh, and then I had Unadilla, three. Washugal. Unadilla, Washugal, and then also had the dinger um, at uh, Southwick. Mm. So you're looking at three bad concussions and one that I probably shouldn't have raced that race all in the same year. And for whatever reason, I went from being in the best shape of my life to I couldn't, when I'd stand up, it took me a while, vertigo, spinning, and walking to the mailbox was like, it was hard. 
Like wow. it was like, and I, my mailbox isn't very far. Yeah. It's <laughs> not <laughs> like you're running. Not to like it. Wyndham's house. <laughs> so just, you would just lose. It was just vertigo was kind of the main symptom. Tiredness, fatigue, mm. vertigo, anger, sadness, emotions. Just, oh, really? Um, yeah. It's uh, concussions, which you don't realize when you have a concussion um, or other people have, you know, you'll see nice people yelling, screaming, cussing, yell, you know, whatever, yeah. or crying for no apparent reason. And that's, you got a lot of stuff. It's just emotional roller coaster. Does that, you know, does that, is that something you worry about now? You know, you're kind of through a lot of the motorcycle stuff, and but you start adding up all those concussions you had cumulatively over time. And I know your buddies with Dave Mira. Um, you know, you, we've seen some of these football players that have, which is different. They're more like small hits, but repetitive. Ours are bigger hits. Maybe not quite as many, but it's still. Is that something you worry about over time? Have you, you know, do you have any lingering effects from that stuff? No, I feel, I mean, I feel as sharp as I ever felt, for sure. I don't know how sharp that, Marble, that is. Marble, like a mar. Yeah, yeah that's good. Mar <laughs> Good-ish. Bowling ball, sharp, I don't know. So, interestingly enough, I uh, had the opportunity, a lot of military contacts uh, from being on the East, East Coast, uh, my dad being in the military, and just a lot of similarities now with uh, Black Rifle Coffee and um, having some opportunities. A lot of physical therapy we went through, um, uh, especially with uh, Phil and um, it's magical after after his big mm. big crash, just to, uh, going down to with different SEAL teams and different stuff and, and their training, like Virginia High Performance, um, where a lot of those teams train, um, to kind of learn more. And had the opportunity through Marcus Luttrell, well, Morgan Luttrell, actually, but Marcus Luttrell was a lone survivor. Uh, if you ever read the book or seen the movie, um, Mark Wahlberg played him in the movie. Yep. Um, his brother, a twin, was also a SEAL, um, went down in a helicopter crash. They said he never basically walk again, figured out, like, head trauma, all this stuff, and he's seen it all. Um, so he developed a program for the military specifically, uh, but was able to go through boot campaign and uh, basically all the the fundraiser kind of guys we go through and said, hey, what is that program? And, and you know, paid to go do it, but they said, look, we're going to take uh, a couple NFL players and we're going to take a couple from Nitro Circus, and you guys will help add to our data and, you know, we'll give you some information and some stuff, the best in the world, the best that the U.S. has to offer. Okay. Um, kind of use that as well let's also let's find out for myself but let's for nitro circus like what are the protocols we need to put in because we just had harry bink um did a trick lands on his face uh gets up wins world games biggest event lands the trick the second time he's on the podium and he didn't remember what trick he did if he landed and he said oh like how do we <laughs> this could be a problem yeah well yeah, yeah. no but just like he should and it's hard to take someone's dreams away and yeah it worked out for him but like what are the risks? Yeah. Should he have been stopped, even though he knows he could have done it? And obviously he did it. Um, so we were able to go down to Texas and did like a two-week program on myself, uh, Jim DeCham. Jim DeCham. Wow. DeCham. Jim yep. DeCham. And uh, James Foster. And we w go down there. And what I learned the most was that they don't know a lot about head injuries and that each person is different. Mm -hmm. What I did understand was that repetitive head injuries are – the worst and motocross is actually a pretty good sport to not have CTE um, okay. or long-lasting effects because when you hit yourself hard enough to be knocked out generally you're broken mm. <laughs> so you're not gonna hit that same spot again um, CTE the number one um, per capita if you will is female soccer because you usually hit the same spot for um, it's that low-impact multiple right 
time over and over. So and headers over. just over and over and over, in, in the same spot. Heads. So yeah. even if you look at football, they tend to tuck the same way. Boxing, when you when you tuck, you tuck the same direction. You get hit in the same kind of way, mm. and it's over and over and over again. They said airbags um, and resis are going to be the downfall of action sports because we can hit, we tuck the same way, but you still you're not broken from those. You get back up, but that's kind of where you'll see more. And you see a lot more with BMX than you with motocross as well because you tend to f- have more smaller falls. Yeah. And you again, people tend to tuck the same direction. So um, we learned a lot about basically genetics and predisposition. A lot of people, if you make it in a contact sport, if you're a professional in football, motocross, boxing, you're probably pretty tough mentally. You're probably okay. Some people can get hit w- once, and they can have brain damage and lasting effects and stuff for the rest of their lives. And if you get hard, hard enough, of course, that's with anything. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, it's making sure that you recognize I'm hit, I'm not 100%. And sometimes that could be a day, and sometimes it could be a year. Um, And it's being tired. It's being angry. It's being fatigued. It's being all those symptoms that you don't really recognize um, if you haven't had a concussion. And that's why they have the protocols in there for so long. But that doctor, the main guy in Texas, said, look, there's guys you could hit upside the head with a baseball bat. They could be out cold for 15 minutes. And he goes, the next day I'd approve them to go back to compete. Mm -hmm. But Other guys are drinking applesauce out of a straw after that. Yeah, 100%. And you know, it's each person's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I find that really, you know, for racing from a racing perspective, the AMA or Feld or MX sports, whoever has given doc Bodner the authority to say, Nope, you can't race. Like he can tell guys you can't race. So I think that's, that's awesome because I, I would have never said no. And doc, doc Bodner has helped me so many times. It's so good to see him and that, that program still doing so well. I know he's helped you out. Look, he scraped all of us off the floor at one, you know, one time or another. Uh, if you've been doing this for a while, but I, I think it does put riders in a tough spot. Uh, you know, you've got to think long term. But if a guy's in the middle of a championship chase, which you have been in, and, and if you have a hit, and now you got a guy telling you you can't go out and do this thing that you've been working for your whole life, that's tough too. It's a very tough position to be in. We've pulled uh, a couple of people from Nitro, uh, you know, and that's their livelihood. And, that's, and they know they can get back out there and do it again um, and be successful and make it work. Or, you know, like another Harry Bink situation where, yeah. you know, look in the eye and make sure, like, you know, our doctor was like that. Rick was never again will that happen. He goes, I wasn't able to get over there. He goes, I have, if anyone hits the ground, I got to be able to look him in the eye. I know these, these riders, other doctors out there might not know what their function is. But if you have two injuries to the same spot before it's healed and the rider is the only person that's going to know if it's healed or not but there's no rider there's no athlete that's ever going to say i'm fatigued i'm tired you know what i mean they might but yeah. there's no rider goes against our nature yeah yeah. That, yeah how are you feeling i feel fine you yeah. seem angry not at all <laughs> why are you crying i don't know but it's not from the concussion i it's with a wind you know so it's <laughs> you need someone there that can put that into perspective but also know that there are some riders that can get up and they, they're not tired. They truly aren't. They're physically 100%. They pass all their tests. And that's why the, the impact test has been really good mm-hmm. because the impact test doesn't, you know, wherever your baseline is, that's got to be your baseline because there's some people that are still better than other people's baseline, even half concussed. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just a tricky subject to your point, And that doctor confirmed it. It's like, it's just still very unknown and it's very different person to person. So, like, to your point, if the doctor knows the athletes, like Bodner knows the racers, your guy knows all your your Nitro Circus guys, he can tell, pick up, like, eh, you know, he's a little off. 
He's either his eyes look a little glossed over or his personality is not quite right. You know what I mean? They would probably, that would be a better assessment than going to a doctor who doesn't know him and he'll go, okay, let me see your pupils. Oh, they're equal. Do you yeah. remember what happened? You know what day it is? Okay, well, cool. You're good to go. Right? Because if, if those can be passed by certain people. If I could give any advice, it's just from the concussions that I've had, from what I've learned down there in Texas. If you feel tired, if you're angry, if you're emotional, not, it doesn't matter if it's been past the time they say you're good. Don't like, it's your best interest not to go back out there. It's your best interest to get your brain fully healed. But at the same point, if you are 100% and it's hard to tell a lot of times that day, but you know, you'll find those fatigues and the, the different symptoms that, you know, after you had a couple concussions, you kind of understand and you know your body and you'll know when you're when your brain is healed. The problem is, they said if you ever have two hits to the same spot before it's healed, and your body will tell you by the, the tiredness and the mood swings and the crying and the, the random stuff, um, you will have brain damage. 100%, if you get hit twice in the same spot before it's healed, it's brain damage. Mm. So that's one thing they do know. Dane Bramage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's scary stuff, dude. That's, that's like the one, you know, I tell people, protect your, your torso and your head. Everything else you could snap almost off, and they can fix it. Or you get a new one. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, but your head and your your vital organs. Sometimes you know, there's only so much they can do. Um, okay, so tell me what. Well, how many concussions have you had? Like, I I'm the one guy I I protected my head with my body when I fell. Apparently, <laughs> nice. Like, I've never been knocked out. Never. Never. That's an anomaly. It's very weird. I mean, I've had a couple of big crashes where. I, you know, like you get the little sparkles or whatever, but like never knocked out, never, never like retrograde amnesia where I couldn't remember what happened. Really? Never. Super weird. I always put my arms out or my legs and snap <laughs> those off. Well, so. I, I, honestly, it's probably best long-term policy. Well, we'll see. After I get my knee replacements, you know, whatever I'm going to need. My knees are probably, you're probably the only person that I know that has worse knees than me. Yeah, well, McGrath already had a knee replacement, I guess. Yeah, he's riding. He's doing well yeah, with it. Looks, looks fine. That's motivates me um that year then what was going on with freestyle in 2000 back to x games gravity games happened as well was that new for that year 2000 so i missed gravity games i was actually at uh troy ohio racing okay and carry hart that was the first backflip so i always was surprised you weren't the first one to do that Kerry, so it's TJ Lavin was a big influence on this. Mm. So TJ's a BMX guy, um, looked up to him my whole life. Like him and Nyquist were always battling at X Games. And TJ's like, why don't you guys flip? Flip your dirt bikes. And we're like, that can't be done. And he got that bug in, in our head. And um, so we went to, Kerry uh, and I both learned right around the same time, pretty much at Woodward. And okay. doing backflips on BMX and resis, and we're like, all right. And then Kerry, so Woodward started working with him and trying to get airbags, and then he landed on the airbag, and it was a crappy original airbag, and he bounced off and broke his collarbone. Uh. That didn't work. Um, yeah, so it was really TJ Lavin that kind of put that ball rolling. Like, I had talked about doing a backflip, and I'd done one on, like, a Z50 into, like, the water, and I'm like, ah, it's got to work. My dad, who can't ride dirt bikes at all, was like, yeah, it's got to be easy. He's like, I'd do a backflip, basically. Um, you know, and he did after, you know, we I'm, all started I'm this, sure but. he did. Uh, yeah, so it was interesting. But Kerry, that really, that divided freestyle. It, it, it Before it was a bunch of guys that 
maybe or maybe not could have made it in motocross that were just having fun. And that took it to a sport. And as much as Davey Coombs and Racer X and uh, all of the moto industry kind of hated freestyle and really thought that was going to ruin it and there's going to be a lot of deaths and everything that came of it, um, it really separated freestyle and I, I think a, a pretty positive way from that point on. Hmm. I've, and then maybe I'm wrong. I'm just outsider looking in at it. But it was almost like what Ricky did for racing. Pre-Ricky, it was a lot of good times and partying. And you know, guys were serious, but they also had fun. When Ricky came along, it was like, it's all business. If you want to even be in the ballpark, yep. no more fun and games this time. You're just going to have to work hard. Yeah. And when that happened... The backflip ruined freestyle as much as Ricky ruined racing, but also both elevated that yeah, to the next level. Totally. Because, you know, the, the Clowers, the Mike Jones, the Ranners, I don't think he really got into flipping. No, he was not it, into it. it. Kind of, those guys kind of, well, time to do something different. Yeah, Drake McElroy. Yes, there was a lot of guys who were really on top of their game yeah. in FMX that just it just did not want to do that. And I, I, I don't blame them. I mean, it's it's scary. If you can't get that out of your head, what could go wrong? Or Right? You just got to. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a, an 11-year-old girl uh, from England. Um, she had come to a Nitro Circus show when she was like three or something and convinced her dad to get her a motorcycle. They don't really have a lot of motorcycle background, and she went on. She's pretty much the, the best female, uh, you know, under 18 in, uh, you know, in England. She's okay. a great racer, uh, but she's doing nothings and all this stuff, and she reached out on Instagram and was like, hey, I really want to come to Astrano Land. So that was, we're trying to get her over last year between for COVID, but she came over this year. And, on, and actually, uh, Jack Sipes, Ryan Sipes' kid was over. He was five. So Sipes gets a flip around on an electric pit bike into the, the foam pit. Okay. Which, Is that the youngest one ever? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, he's still, like, he got it. I mean, it came around. Jack just wasn't quite ready. He was, his motorcycle skills are enough. He just couldn't piece it together. He's five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Understood. It's crazy. Yeah. That, yeah. Might, might have been just turned six, but, like, right, right in that area. Um, and then, so this 11-year-old girl, second day. In the foam pit. She was like, no problem. Just sends it. And she got it, and she landed it to a, like an airbag landing, but she's on a 65 uh, KTM. Jeez. And it's like, this crashing, trying this trick got Carrie Hart a date with Pink. Like, <laughs> you know, a rock star. Yeah. And now there's 11-year-old girls. Yeah. It's, so, it's so cool. Oh, the, the evolution and progress of it is wild. And I always think, okay, we're, it's gone as far as it'll go. And then you see... Was it she, Sheehan? Sheehan. Sheehan just did the triple? So, yeah, that was 2016, maybe, 17? Just, but I don't know. It just keeps getting crazier. What, crazy. what I like, though, right now is it's going like Axel Hodges and uh, Bearman and all those guys. They're bringing it back to where the Clowers and, and you guys really, like, free it riding. To, it's free riding. It's yeah. fun. It's technical. It's, okay, let's. You know, instead of seeing how big we can go and how many flips we can go, and, dude, don't get me wrong, that's where I'm all about the big stuff, and that's, yeah. you know, the, the bigger the landing, the we invented so much stuff, like the airbags and all. Yeah. We got so much flack at World Games for running airbag landings, but I'm like, dude, the guys are going 80 feet in the air. Yeah. Like, we, we can't not, it still hurts to go to an airbag landing. I mean, uh, still, we had, a, what, Harry Bink broke his femur on it, but you're dropping from 80 feet in the sky. Like, we have to do something yeah. that makes this safer. Or we're not going to have a, a yeah. sport. Could be the difference between living or dying. Yeah, no, 100%. For real. Yeah. Uh, so Josh Sheehan does a triple backflip. Over 100 feet off ground level, so the landing was 65 foot tall, and it was a wooden landing. So he's still dropping, you know, 35, 40 feet onto a wooden landing after flipping and a, rotating a 450 cc yeah. motorcycle yeah. three times. Dude, un to not if you 
You guys are all insane. Video as far does not as do that justice. No. No, that's when I realized though. I was coming up to that jump, and I had been trying this for with Red Bull and with Nitro, and then we Sheehan's paying his own way to get over there, and we're he's we're James Foster's welding his ramp to try the quadruple backflip, and we're it's all of our own money, like putting into to yeah. do this, and we're building it ourselves. And um, I was coming up to the I did my first triple that it came around like where I belly flopped, and Sheehan had belly flopped and was pissing blood. Just the airbag, like everyone's like, oh, I'd do it if it was an airbag. No, you wouldn't, dude. It's it's brutal still. Yeah. You're still dropping a long way. But anyway, and you got to hit the airbag, which we found has been difficult for people to do, too. Yeah. Um, so coming up to the ramp after my first one, I'm like, all right, it's a little more pull, a little more. And my heart's through my, like, it, it's, I think I'm going to have a heart attack on the way up. I thought, all right, I'm old. I finally, that's where I finally, like, stepped aside. And I was like, if I'm scared to do this to an airbag, what makes me think I'm going to be able to come up to this jump at 70 miles an hour, wide open? I was trying it on 125. I thought lighter was better. But the six-gear pinned, as fast as the 125 would go, <laughs> all the way up, and just pulling at everything you have just to try to, like, get it around perfect. I'm like, it's not worth it. Yeah. I, I, so when was that? When was this point when you hit that? 2017, I think, 2000, when, whenever his triple. Okay. And I was, his first time, like, you know what? I'm going to do the best that I can to help the people that are going to do this stupid stuff anyway, learn from the mistakes that I've made and give them a chance yeah. with the, the technology that we have to make this safer. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I still love doing stupid stuff, yeah. but there's a difference between doing stupid stuff and trying to be the best in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's at a point, everybody at a point has to go, all right, time for the next guy. You know, I've, I've gone as far as I can go with it. Um, okay. So what, what, what year was you said? Oh two was when you got really serious and tried to really dive into the training and just be focused. What year did you get jacked up up at the Castillo Ranch? So coming into the O two season, um, yeah, that sucked. So it was oh oh three actually was okay. the year that I was with. Uh, we really that was oh three. Yeah, oh three was the year. But uh, okay, well then let's so, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that. Let me start with oh two then. You get through 01, you win the Supercross title, the outdoor title uh, goes to Brownie, but you're in it. Good season, right? Yeah, four concussions or whatever. Yeah. Lots of concussions. Any fallout from that? Did you, you still won X Games gold? I mean, by and large, still a great season. Yeah, just understood a little bit more. Took a lot of heat from that, a lot of, a mm -hmm. lot of flack on just. That's when it was coming heavy at you. Yeah, and why are you doing the freestyle? And this is, you got to focus one way or the other. And I, I did. Um, and I, that was the most. I worked in the off season. Usually, I'd start December one. I'd fly to. I'd usually take get surgeries because I always had. <laughs> the, I, I was, September I, October year surgery, surgery months. Yeah, no, but seriously. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'd do Thanksgiving at home, and then I would go west because East Coast was my my main thing. But I, I came into that year and I was like, oh shoot, I got to skip Thanksgiving. I got to actually like as soon as I'm done surgery, like I'll do physical therapy here, and then I'll go to you know Castillo Ranch and I'll go out there and we're gonna go. We're going to come into that 250 season more ready than I've ever been. And my head felt good at that point, like had lingering effects to ish. Um, but I came in and I went, I, I was riding mountain bikes at Castillo Ranch and cow poop because um, I was always on the cow trails. So I got cow poop in my mouth, didn't know it. <laughs> I ended up with Parvo. Oh, really? So Parvo is like something that dogs get because my immune system. So That'll kill dogs like yeah. uh, at a very high rate. Yeah. So I, don't, I just thought it was the flu. So then I got, I got the flu on top of that, and I had chronic sinusitis um, just because I had broken my nose before, and I'd 
deviated septum and whatever and uh-huh. didn't really nothing that really mattered too much but i just kept piling it on i kept training i kept training i kept training I kept training um so i got uh basically mono or epstein bar mm. um which i know a lot of people are like oh what like that's a, a a scapegoat but it was it was just the weirdest thing like i had you know i was just tired all the time and i kind of thought it was concussion related and i wasn't sure what was going on but i had the i had basically the flu for two weeks and I was too sick to to really train, so I, I so I finally stopped training. I was way past where I should have stopped training, and I'm now two weeks out from Anaheim one, and I hadn't written like I was in great shape right after Thanksgiving, but yeah, the whole two weeks on the couch, two weeks on the couch. So when did you learn about the parvo? Did you go get blood work eventually, or what? So yeah, well that was so I came in and went uh, saw Roger and got all that stuff down there. What we're doing is trying to do testing through this, but now I'm in getting in worse and worse shape and trying to now go through. I didn't know about the parvo, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I just knew that I wasn't, I didn't know about Epstein-Barr. I just thought I had a, this cold just wasn't going away. And, you know, heart rate, because you're resting heart rate in the morning. And usually I was, at that point, I was like a 38 to a 40 and I'm running a 55 heart rate in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, something's off, but like, I don't know, like, just keep training. That's all I knew is military. Mm-hmm. Hey, train through it, work it out, sweat it out. Um, so I was like, I got to get back on the bike. And I went out and I did like three laps on the supercross track. And I was just, I was spent. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I got, I, I can't, I'm about to throw up my helmet. Like I, I can't train, but I want to ride. So I went out and just started hitting the hills. And at that point, uh, Greg Godfrey was out there. They were filming something. It wasn't even with me. It was just whatever. I think, yeah. uh, Albrecht might've been out there and, uh, Castillo, uh, Dave Castillo and the guys, and there was a jump, and my dad was like, don't hit that jump. What are you doing? And I was like, hey, just go build something around back, and he was building it. And I looked at it, and I came at it a couple of times, and it wasn't, I was like, I'm not going to clear over the landing like what we initially planned, but I was like, I'd make the two barbed wire fences. I'm like, it, it's not that high. I'm like, and looking at it, everyone's looking. I'm like, it, it looks okay. Chuck Carruthers out there. He's like, yeah, it looks all right. And every time I came up to it, I'm like, dude, I just feel like it's going to kick me over the bars. And Godfrey's like, just hit it, man. What are you doing? I'm just, you're right. But it was, if I remember, it was like a, there was no transition at the bottom. It was, it was like a V. Yeah, kind of. Um, but it had such a flat, long top. It just, visually, it looked like it was going to, but I hit it, went up, and this is where I realized I was really mentally had some issues. Because I was flying through the air, fifth, like as fast as the bike would go, 250, and just hit it, buckled on the takeoff, straight off. And I'm flying through the air, and I'm like all panicked. And I kind of, I smiled. You ever <laughs> had that where time slows down? I've had time slow down. I never smile when I'm going over my handlebars, though. Dude, and I was like, all right, well, I can stay on the bike, but I'm going to catch, like, the front tire for a second before this thing just eats me. So I jumped off, and I'm just floating through the air. And I was like, this is the greatest feeling I've ever (laughs) experienced in my life. I'm like, and I had so much time, like, all the sights, the sounds, everything. I'm like, I feel... I feel like Superman. I believe I can fly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going like literally 70 mile an hour flying out the same. I'm like, I can't run this fast. So this is going to, this is going to really suck my head. Um, and I, I should have tucked out of it better, but I, I just, and then I knew it was going to hurt. I knew it was going to be bad, but like, it's like, enjoy this last second before everything's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Life, life's going to be uh, terrible when I hit the ground. Yeah. So. And I hit and I, I blew out my knee, ACL, PCL, tibia plateau fracture. I tried to convince everyone I was fine, and I didn't get checked out. I didn't go to the doctors. I was still sick. Uh, trying oh. to the first round. Like, it was, it was just miserable. So there was that. That was before the 03 season or before 02? 
Um, that was before O2. Uh, this is what because O2 is year you said you tried super hard to train. You were getting all serious. Yep. So no, this was this was O2. Because I didn't do O4. So this was O2. Okay. Um, no. Yeah. So O2. No, I got parvo and all that stuff. Shoot, I'm. You know what? I'm messing. You mixing up. years up? That's. I mean, look, it's been a minute. Yeah. In O2, Dude, it you got been that long since we were. You got 19th racing. at Anaheim, second at San Diego. So like, you had, you know, you had speed. It wasn't like you were putting in bad results. Third at Anaheim, second at Phoenix. Yep. And seven, then eight, and I then it kind of went. I got sick. Yeah. I got. And then I pulled off. I threw up my helmet and pulled off in Atlanta, and I got so much flack. The world was, was, was that me. for the like uh, Epstein Barr? Yeah. Mm. So that was being sick. Um, so it was dragging the whole first part of that season. Yeah, I huh? didn't know what it was though yeah. um so the it was coming in 2003 that i got the knee that's okay. where the yeah the, i think that the, sounds right knee. so oh two you had the sickness that's what you're trying to fight through and you know damn it i think the frustrating thing is you were you were getting great results and that was being sick and you know not having the the health right until it caught up to you here it looks like mini atlanta you went 19 20 27 yeah you it, it caught got up to you quick. but well, and then also, outdoors too. But just... mentally, so I landed on Larocco. Um, again, my hero, who I'd always looked up to, who still thinks I'm handicapped, um, <laughs> <laughs> and always came together because he just did he did random things. Larocco was he. Most people you could kind of they they stuck with the same rhythm or whatever. If Larocco had a bad whoop section, he cut that. Like he just went places that I just wasn't. I would set my passes up probably too far ahead. Obviously, yeah. Um, but, like, okay, I'm better here. He does this. He goes there. And when stuff changed, a lot of times, like, when you're going through whoops or something, it's just... You're too committed. I was, I was in. Yeah. yeah so well, tough. you have to... A guy like you that can just generate a bunch of speed, whether it's through whoops or jumping something big, you've got to be able to anticipate what that guy's going to do. And if, if, if he deviates from your plan for him... <laughs> yeah. That might have been his plan the whole time, but <laughs> <laughs> it's on you. Mike, not... you were supposed to go left. You know, that's how uh, I had it figured out. It wasn't your mistake, but it is your problem. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So I, I, this is the thing that's, fr I think a lot of people would look at this, this set of results, right? That 02 season. I mean, you're starting off with all these podiums, right? And O2 was heavy competition still, right? That was a stacked field between K-Dub and Jeremy and Ricky. Yeah, Villeman. Villeman. I mean, Lusk. Uh, it was yeah. It was not an easy class, and you were able to be up there at any at, at, at will. So, so I think for a lot of people, they go, well, man, if he would have just stuck with, you know, gotten healthy, and I think that's where the the, no, and the question comes in about that. You know what was cool for me coming into to O2, um, other than so starting to get sick at the beginning of the season and kind of getting more and more sick uh, throughout and not really stopping to – to understand that you got to take some time off. Like it was the military kind of yeah. mentality of just you know, tr sweat it out, train through it kind of deal. Um, but coming into that season, Carmichael, you never knew if Carmichael was hurt. And that's what was really cool. I had so much admiration for him. Um, I know I called him a weeble wobble a couple times and some other short jokes, but like at the end of the day, as far as his riding and his training and his work ethic, um, you got to have respect for someone that, that, just put it all in and he never showed weakness he was like you know rick johnson was like hey if i knew david bailey had a broken foot i'd line up next to that side and i'd kick it before yeah. the when the card went sideways and you don't see that type of mentality anymore and i don't think that you 
could. And so she made everyone to kind of, they'd kill you for it. Um, you know, when you see Damon Bradshaw launching his bike at Chicken and vice versa, it's just like, that's not racing anymore, but yeah. that's what it was. And yeah. I, I, I like that a little bit. And I kind of, I like that mentality. Um, but Carmichael broke first round Anaheim. He breaks his foot. Um, I crack some, like I, my bro- bike ended up, uh, overheating or something i broke my radiator on the first lap and then it i saw i only made it halfway through um second round ron Cotta actually had the fastest lap time of that race and he was a lap down is that right just goes to show you so i i came around i, I lapped jeremy mcgrath i lapped mike brown who had been battling with that whole year before um messed up in the whoops and i was just so jittery out front i had pretty good arm pump um and then i kind of settled back in and i'm like huh villain was leading but i'm like i think i can catch him and two laps from the end, started making a charge and actually came across the finish line pretty much right behind him. I'm like, all right, I'm in good enough shape to do this. I'm fast enough to do this. I, I belong up here. And Carmichael being hurt, like he was still out there. Nobody even knew he was hurt. No one knew he was broken. I mean, I think he might have had a broken hand. No, That's when he ejected over that, yeah. before that whoop section. And, not and cut, I think even yeah. coming into that season, he had something else that he just didn't he tell He caught people. his leg. Yeah, he crashed and hurt his leg. Cut it with a foot peg or something. Yeah. So, but what people don't understand is that it's it's really hard to stay in shape when everything's healthy, but when you're you have one crash and you got a sprained wrist, it's not a big deal. But okay, uh, now you hurt your knee. Now you can't cycle. Now you hurt your shoulder. Now you can't swim. Um, it just it takes all of your your kind of week away. And yeah, you can always compete, but it, you don't just compete. You have to be in shape enough yeah. to compete. So when you get hurt, your your week's screwed. Um, so Carmichael's fighting through all of this, and I'm like, I got a shot. I believe I can kind of beat everybody else out there. And I still, I was, I was pretty confident in general, and just knowing that I could go the distance, knowing that the work that I put in. Um, so then we go second round is Anaheim two, had the lead. I was like, holy crap! Like I'm way out in front, and just. <laughs> Never mind, I was going to use a phrase that I probably shouldn't, so I'm going <laughs> to not use that one. But uh, yeah. uh, can we, can we, is there like pauses during this or no? Sure. Okay, so I was going to say I stepped on my dick, but it was, I just want to, don't put you that whole totally thing in. You can totally say that if okay. you want. There's nothing here that, we, we don't really have a lot of rules. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Anaheim 2 comes around. I knew I had the, the endurance to do it. Um, had this awesome like jump into the whoop section. Everyone else was doing like, you know, wheeling in or jump. I just launched all the way, jumped into the whoop section, was making up like a second there. Wyndham and I had an awesome heat race. Um, this is A2? A2, yep. Okay. Felt good. Ready. We had awesome no fear gear. Um, you know, it just everything felt great. Dude, Roger Coster gave us the best 2002 Suzuki RM250, best two-stroke ever made, bar none. We had everything. We were getting out. Our starts didn't even have to be good. We still get to the first turn. On is that time. right? But these things were, yeah. we were, this is what we were made for. And, uh, yeah, so went, went around and had like a 10-second lead. And I was like looking around. I'm like, what the hell? Like, there's got to be something going on. Like, how am I this far out in front? And I stepped on my dick and right over the bars. And the most disappointed I've ever been in myself as I, I throttle was sticking when I got up and I'm messing with stuff and I'm like, oh, the bars are bent and I didn't blitz the whoops and Larocco passes me. And Larocco goes on to win and I'm like, but I matched his pace. Mm-hmm. And back to the Nathan Ramsey thing. This was the only time that I was ever aggressive with Ramsey and kind of the same deal. I came in and I'm like, I was probably eight bike lengths back starting the whoops and I'm like, I got him before the turn. And he had a pretty good whoop <laughs> session and I was not making that time. And I came out the end of those whoops and I was like, 
Sorry. I'm he, already committed. Oh, I was fully committed, and I just I leveled him, and it was sucked because it was a podium for him, but for me to have have crashed, have all that to come back, got yeah. third, and at the end, I never really got to tell him this, but like, I'm looking at the championship. I'm looking at me with a DNF in the round one. With Ricky had a DNF in round one. I'm like, Ricky is going to be healed up soon. I believe that every single point that I have is going to matter when it comes to the end. At this point, I believed in myself. I believed it was going to be, like, I was going to be in this hunt. Yeah. So I go out, and in practice at Phoenix, I blow up my ACL. Mm. And I still won my heat race, and I did a heel clicker in the heat race, and that was probably the most excruciating thing I've ever done, and I wasn't Your thinking on adrenaline. Whole, and that, honestly, the heel clicker is kind of what made the knee swell up. So I'm, and, and it was a, it was a good race still, but that's the race that Carmichael came back, and Ricky and I start out like fourth and fifth or whatever we were, and we came through, and we're passing people at the same time. He would move up to third, and I move up to fourth, and he move up to second. And it was it was an awesome race. And that race, I rode the fastest that I've ever ridden. I'd only experienced it one other time at Bud's Creek with Stefan Roncata, where a person is two bike lengths in front of you. And you were riding everything that I could. I always said I could make up time. I can always go faster. Phoenix, that year, I could not go faster. I could not do anything that could go any faster than I was riding. And I did 20 laps. On the limit. On, like, every risk that I could take, every chance, every berm, every aggression, every half a tenth of any second that I could get and Carmichael beat me and I could not make up those two bike lengths and that at that moment I was scared and I had a torn ACL and I had parvo and the rest <laughs> of the year just went to absolute shit from there so I'm throwing up one of the next so Anaheim doesn't go great um uh, Anaheim three okay we go east right okay so Indy I was convinced this line that I could make this line work because I hated this this triple triple whatever out of the corner, and then all the 125s hit it and they took out my my jump. So now I had to do a line that I hadn't really practiced all day. Oh, throwing up all day, sick, from, horrible. From the parvo, or I had just flew everything. Oh. Once your immune system was down, like I was catching everything. So after and I wasn't riding in the week or tra- I couldn't cycle. I couldn't mm. and I had hurt my shoulder. <laughs> I was I was an absolute. I was a train wreck. Right. Okay. And I'm still trying to pretend like I'm not telling the media and everything this. I'm just like, I'm just going downhill and I can't, I can't train during the week. I'm racing on the weekends, but every weekend I'm getting in less and less yeah. shape and you're having more and more issues and you're not as comfortable on the bike. So then you're not even, you're not in as good a shape, like, you know, and then you're also not riding as fluidly. So you're using yeah. more energy. A little more tense, t- holding on tighter. Yeah. So I'm just trying to save up. So if you watch the race. At Indianapolis, the race that everyone stood up until everybody was gone and booed Ricky Carmichael out of that stadium, that was not on Ricky at all. That's on me. I line up on the starting line. I can barely lift my leg over the bike. I am absolute miserable. My knee's screwed. I mean, I'm just, I'm a pile of, of crap at that point. Are you still just telling yourself, though, I can do it? I mean, oh, yeah. what, it's, I'm going to train through this. I'm going to get better. I'm no problem. So I go out, and somehow I ended up with the lead. And I'm like, okay. And I did oh, this it. is where Ricky hits you, right? Knocks you down or something, or what so happened? I did what Roncata did and what you said. Every time I got to a corner that they couldn't, and it had like a weird over-under crossover. Uh-huh. The top 10 riders at the halfway mark, a lap, lap nine, there's 10 riders still 
bottlenecked. And I don't know if you, if you like have the footage and you actually like look at it. I was going so fr- it was the slowest race ever <laughs> led for that long. And I'm just like, I'm just wheezing snots coming out. My nose. I'm just like trying not to throw up. And then Ricky goes by me, and I'm like, oh, man. And then he messes up the whoops. I'm like, I got it. And I shot back by him, and I'm still blocking. And everyone's just riding around the slowest pace that's ever been for any race ever at a, at a Supercross. And I messed up that line again, the triple out of the corner. And I'm like, ah. And I just took my whole body, and I just, like, dropped it in on, on Ricky. And he gave me a little extra push. But he was like, dude, you're literally, you're going so slow. Uh, and then I just got sicker and worse and that was the end of then i found a good trainer and then the next year was actually the story we're telling where we came in got sick again before the start that fence jump i when when we used to do ride days up there i'd tour people around and show them a couple of different spots you know and that i'd always point out this is where travis ruined his knee (laughs) and yeah whatever the year and i said he tried to jump this over there and they'd be like why would he try to do that? It doesn't even look fun. Like, even if you cleared it, you were going to land into an uphill face. I really, when we built it, I thought I could get over the uphill. <laughs> you well, did. I was, dude, I was as fast as the bike would go. Yeah, I yeah. know. Well, you had a habit of that out there. I remember one year, I, I think we were on 125s, both of us, and you the big jump kind of out in the middle there where you drop down the hill. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You built it, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And it was the first time I'd seen it. And you're out there riding with somebody, and I go, hey, what gear do I hit this in? And you go, <laughs> See, give me six fingers and then wide open. And I'm like, huh, all right. I guess that makes the, it easy. The landing was the landing was forever. Yeah. It was good. Chuck Carruthers. Still actually, one of the coolest jumps I've ever done. Like just Because you're still going up, and the land starts to drop oh, away. Like, I've messed up. And you're looking down into a valley that's hundreds of feet down, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a neat, neat jump. I still I like the lower side before we put the lip on it. It's probably it's more fun. Doesn't yeah, it is hard. Well, so good, I good I've stuff. got I got a fun story for you on that. So we okay. we got this uh, thing together with um, uh, black rifle and whatever, and we're setting this thing up for a video we're doing called Action Figures or whatever. And uh, so we got a, a helicopter shooting a minigun, blowing up some cars. Like a minigun's like shoots like hundred rounds a second, okay. or probably more than that. Um, something ridiculous, and a fifty cal rounds. Oh, so. And then I'm going underneath because I had a broken wrist at the time. So I'm going underneath sliding a car. And we got Ronnie Mack to go over the top. Oh, with, I, s- I saw a clip of this. American flag. Okay. Uh, I'm like, this is the most American thing we can ever do. It's uh, way over budget and has no use, <laughs> but this is great. Um, so Ronnie Mack, he breaks down on the way out there. Um, and then, so he misses practice. And then that night, there's a, some kind of a concert in town. And he goes out in the concert and he parties. And he shows up and he's probably not completely sober. Mm. Definitely not rested. And he misses call time by an hour and a half. And I'm like, dude, I built the jump the best that I can, but I can't jump. I've got a wrist. Like, I, I think you're, you're good, but we got to, like, we're on, like, we're filming right now. So he walks out, he looks at it, he goes, uh, how far can I go? And I was like, the jump's 150 feet. And he's like, no, how far can I go? I was like, I don't know, landing's like 100 foot long. He's like, and the jump's 150. He's like, so what are we talking about? <laughs> I was like, what? What do you mean? And he just hits it the first time, boner airs across. He's like, I'm on a 96 CR 250. He goes, if it's over 150 feet, or if it's under 250 feet, I can't go that far. So you're saying my landing goes to 285? I'm wide open. Like, I, I have nothing to time. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, it blew my mind. I've never thought of it like that. Uh, he's a smart guy. 
Yeah. Ronnie. Sorry. Um, that sounds like uh, exactly like something I'd expect him to say. Uh, how I'm curious when you were, you know, what you were making racing between Suzuki salary, no fear, you know, all of your sponsors there versus what you're making in freestyle between X games and, you know, whatever was, were you making more money at that point in freestyle than racing? Everything was really convoluted because Suzuki sponsored me until 2007, I believe, um, as a racer, they never sponsored. So I had to buy my own bikes for X Games and stuff like that. They never supported mm. X Games. I had to be on my own bike that they didn't provide, like that kind of That's stuff. That's illegal. That was a legal issue. A legal issue. Yeah. But I didn't really, like, they still had me under contract and still getting paid until I think 2006, 2007. And it definitely wasn't for my racing. I didn't do much. After <laughs> right. 2004 was like my last hurrah of like when I was really trying to buckle down. So I got my years confused at the beginning of this interview, but yes. Okay. Um, so. Uh, Nothing really, like, I never had a travel budget. Like, so Steve Astafin, Super Agent Steve, who we met uh, in the Bay, he did a really good job and put me with sponsors that were just like, here's your budget for the year. We don't really care if it's racing or freestyle or whatever. Um, you know, there's, I didn't even really get, like, bonuses and stuff. I just got, kind of like Carmichael when he signed on with Suzuki, it's like, this is what we're paying you to be you. Yeah. So after probably 2003, I just got contracts to be me. Yeah. They said nothing. They were like, here's just open ended, basically. Be you. Um, but it was really difficult for my wife. Like when we come in and, you know, it looks like on paper you're making really good money. Um, but then me being me, my budget, like for, for travel budget, for uh, build budgets and whatever, like for instance, we did uh, action figures. As a movie, Nitro Circus says, okay, with our, we think we can make probably 400000 on this movie. Your budget is 300000 Well, I spent $1.1 million. I knew I wasn't getting it back, but we were building the ramp for Josh Sheehan. And Josh was paying his own money, too, and we're welding our own stuff, and we're building all this stuff. And we needed an airbag for him to land on. So we had to design an airbag with, uh, um, you know, with those guys. And yeah. You know, that's a $200,000 bag the first time uh, with, with bag jump. And, you know, we had trial and errors and all this stuff. And it all helped Nitro Circus as a brand. It all helped me as a, as a brand, if you will. And I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And I'm still, my wife never understands it, but it's still kind of like, I'm not saying it's house money. I'm not, don't spend on, on well, I guess you could say all that stuff, stupid stuff. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's about... What can we do to, to make this yeah. kind of kind of work? So you're investing back into yeah, your own so brand. Yeah. When you have, say you're making, just whatever. Say you got a two million dollars in sponsorships through the year at like a great year, but you're spending, you know, almost the same amount or more mm -hmm. at, at doing what you love to do. So it, it's a really interesting thing because like we look at the the next action figures. So I only spent eight hundred thousand, but we knew the the budget was was four hundred. Um, and then at the very end of it, I wanted to do a trick that I'd never done because I knew if I didn't do it then, I wasn't going to do it. And the first time I hit so hard, I didn't think I had a concussion, but when I woke up, someone had shit in my pants, and all my friends were already around me. Did you ever figure out who did that? No. Oh my gosh, dude! I dude, it was so quick too. It's weird. Uh, but anyway, was so that the TP seven or whatever? Yes, yeah, so a double okay. backflip three sixty. So Lindsay walks over to me. And she's like, we have just spent, like, our kids' tuition money for college. Yeah, that's coming up, you know, in, like, 10 years. Like, you, you spent 
$400,000 extra dollars on these that we, we know we're not going to get back on these ramps, on flying other people out here, on building whatever, on doing all this traveling. And now you're probably going to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair because you're too stupid to notice that you're old and you can't, like, what are you doing? Who cares? There's no, you don't get a dime extra for landing this trick. If you do it, still who cares? Yeah. And you just landed so hard, you, you've shit yourself. You're laying on the ground in the fetal position with not just a little shit, like a lot of shit in your pants. You're concussed. You know better than this. And uh, Trevor Jacob looked over and he goes, can you do it? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, then if you go again, do it. And they're like, you're going to go back, change your pants? I'm Clean like, the shit out of your pants and get no, over there. No, that's what everyone said. So I'm like, if I go back and change, clean the shit out of my pants, I'm going to sit in my hot tub and I'm going to call it. I will never, ever come back to this trick again. So I did two more crashes with on that poopy trip pants. With poopy pants. And I landed it with poop in my pants. <laughs> and I rode out and I did it. Double backflip 360 for no reason, having spent way more money than I was ever going to. But what was cool about my parents and growing up is like this has all been house money so invest back in people always say how can i get into uh to rally so we were just talking um axel hodges axel's story yeah dude he's like dude i want to go rally i'm like it's 300 grand to, to well what well, we should be paid to do it i'm like well they don't know if you're good he's like well i, I could win i'm like well if you can win if you can be top five then invest yeah. in yourself yeah. let's go do it he's like well i'm not sure i'm like all right well then do what ken block did and these guys and go and, and spend, invest fifty, hundred thousand dollars in yourself. Go get training from the best drivers. Go 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 karting every weekend. Go, well, that, that seems like a lot of work. I'm like, well, how do you think you get there? <sighs> yeah, tangent three hundred and sixty five. Yeah, no, it's a good one though. That was a good one. Uh, okay, so in O two, you don't have any outdoor results, really. No. It, it ended quickly. What happened there? So you did Glen Helen and Hangtown, and then. And those were 34, 38, 08. So I came in to, I got really sick by the end of that Supercross season. Uh, took a little time off, basically, to try to get better. Didn't understand anything. Parvo was cleaning up. Didn't understand anything about Epstein-Barr. Mm. Uh, basically, chronic fatigue. I, I see a lot of people say they have Epstein-Barr. You've got to really work. You, I mean... You got to grind yourself into the ground. And when you get sick and you get tired, you have to do that for a long time to really get chronic fatigue, mm. fatigue syndrome. Um, it, it was difficult to get. Like, yeah. I, I feel like uh, there's not a lot of people that could B- put themselves that to, hard. To get yeah. That, yeah. Um, but so I didn't know about that, but I'm now not sick. I don't have the flu. Start training again, but I just I felt like I was concussed. I'm like, I haven't hit my head recently. Like, I, I just didn't understand what was going on. Um, race the first round. Uh, Basically, Glenn Helen, not well. Go to the, the second round um, at Hangtown. And I was battling with Robbie Raynard for, I don't know, eighth or something. Not, not where I wanted to be. And I broke my, broke my wrist. Mm. And uh, basically went to, went to Roger after that race and, and said, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not your man. I don't, I don't enjoy – I'm basically not enjoying – this mm. anymore um i i love it i think it's the greatest sport on earth i have so much respect for everyone that does it um i'm having so much fun with my friends filming nitro circus traveling around riding my motorcycle because i love it like i spent my whole life riding the motorcycle with my friends just 
couldn't wait to race Supercross and to be there. And I spent every day there wishing I was back riding with my friends. And I actually had this opportunity. I didn't have friends. Like, honestly, I didn't have all Christmas. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. You're at the test track Christmas morning. Like, um, there's no holidays. There's no whatever. You have acquaintances. Um, You know, some people had good clicks. I I just wanted to win. And I think the, the most, the worst years of my life were probably... 2000, 2001, 2002. And they were Is the most right? successful years of my life. But you just weren't, that's just, you weren't, that wasn't your happy place. It's the first time I wasn't, in my life, it's probably the only time I wasn't happy. Like, I didn't mind being hurt if I loved it, but I just, I didn't have that group. I didn't have that camaraderie. I, uh, I you wow. know, it just wasn't there. Yeah, and it's, you know, like, the racing scene is tough that way. It's, the 90s were maybe a little bit better where guys off the track would be friends. But it's shifted by the time you came in, in that 2000s and on, it was like, it had gotten serious enough since Ricky had come in that you almost, you didn't really hang out with friends. You didn't hang out outside of the braces. You know what I mean? There, there was, like you said, some clicks of guys that hung out, but it definitely changed. So when I came back to Suzuki just to, to do a couple of one-offs, I wasn't allowed on the track the same time Ricky was, was on right? the track. So, you know, because Gary Bailey was always filming. I mean, I understand, but like... And I, I had nothing but respect for, for that. Like, dude, that's, you know, that's what it takes to, to win. Now, what's really interesting is that the times through the early 2000s where everyone was kind of on their own, I mean, you had, there's a couple clicks here and there, but it switched. And all of a sudden now you have all these areas where riders, not even on the same brand, mm-hmm. ride together. And I think it's so cool. Like, I love that. Yeah. I, what do you think about the kind of the new? I th- I think it's good. Um I think that guys doing this, like pulling out of high school to go down and live at a camp, I mean, it's a little bit, I don't know. I worry about that. Like your your folks were adamant you get a good education. Uh, one year I brought home an F on a report card and my dad sold everything, every motorcycle Damn. I had. And it was a lesson, you know, I thank him now for it because it, it focused, made me focus on getting my grades back up and making that a priority. And once I had them back up, we bought new bikes. We went racing again. But even if you are very successful in in motocross racing as a racer, and you're you're a like I said, you're an anomaly with what, what with what you've done. But what's the oldest Supercross champion? Twenty nine, twenty eight, McGrath. Maybe? You're you're done. I mean, no, you're not going to make a living past. No, I mean, there's Wyndham. There's a couple. There's a couple guys, but he, you know, if Wyndham was just living on what he made racing, he'd be having a job right now. Yeah. He invested good money with Planet Fitness. He's done some other things that have generated now wealth for him, you know, long term. My point is you're going to have to do something when you quit racing. And if you're a good, a type A guy that's going to be successful in racing anyway, you're going to want to work. So what are you going to do? At least have that in the back of your mind. Like, okay, I need to at least have a high school diploma so that I can figure out how to be successful post-racing in something. And I'm a big believer that you, if you apply the same work ethic and dedication and focus that you do to be successful racing to anything else, you'll be successful. You know what I mean? People don't realize how difficult racing is. And I, anyone that's made it in motocross or, you know, even if you look at military, you look at the, the top, the elite of whatever, if you've been the best at anything that you've ever done, and it's a contact sport, it's a physical sport, it's one that you got to you know, you put your body where your, where your mouth is, really, yeah. and, and you get out there and you do it. I feel like that applies so much to, to the rest of the world. You can go do anything as long as you're able to walk when, yeah. you, when you get out of it. I agree. 
anyway, so that that worries me a little bit about those camps is that it's it's making these kids just go, okay, forget about everything but just racing. And you're 13 or 14, you know. Yeah, it's it's a tough line because you have to nowadays to get to the top, you kind of got to go a similar route. You got to be with the best. You got to be training and yeah. But at the same time, you know, I I know if I ever if I didn't make honor roll, I, I understood that that was. You know, I graduated high school, so I started in the sixth grade. My mom said I couldn't turn pro until, I mean, you're already thinking that then, you know, you couldn't turn pro uh, until you finished high school. So I said, okay, what's that going to take? So it was seven days a week, 12 months a year, except um, I got a week off for Laird Lens was my one week off of school. Oh, so you're doing summer school and... So all the way through. So we were homeschooled. My dad and mom were against homeschool. They said, look, you know, my dad's like, I work full time, and by the time I was in you know, sixth grade math, my, my parents were like, all right, yeah. all right. like this is already, yeah. now they changed math. I don't even know what's going on there, but math is, you can't even do math anymore. It's somehow yeah. racist or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, so I graduated high school, um, at 15 years old, oh, uh, with man. a 3.9 GPA and actually started college before I started, um, cause I was in a wheelchair, so I had nothing really else to do, but started college, uh, before I turned pro. And did you have a grandpa or an uncle that you went to the same college he did and he was an athlete there or something? Or so, what? well, my, my uncle Alan, uh, he was uh, University of Maryland. Yeah. Um, so I was online at University of Maryland, UMUC. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I also went and attended classes at, um, at Anne Arundel Community College, which my uncle was then a professor and a coach. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of uh-huh. family stuff. Yeah, but that's cool. No, I just went to, I figured I'd take stuff like, uh, you know, speech. And I, my major was uh, communications. Minor was English. I okay. feel like it was that Simpsons show, though, when the football player gets hurt. He's like, don't worry. He has a college education. <laughs> <laughs> oh, communications? You're in trouble. <laughs> well, you've done pretty well with it, with that education. Um, go back to that conversation you had with Roger. How, how tough was that for you to have? How did he respond to that? Uh, so I, I walked, walked and, in. And when you went in, did you already know, like, I'm done racing? Like, racing is not for me? Or were you just thinking, I need a, I need a break? Kind of what was your mindset with that? Um, all I knew was that my dad, he just had a long conversation with me. He said, look, I said, I don't care what you do. He said, I'm proud of you no matter what. You made it so much further than I expected. But you sign a contract with an organization. You, you, look, you look a man in the eye and you tell them that I'm going to be the, your racer. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he had Wyndham and, you know, whatever. But, like, they, Roger really put a lot of the you know a lot of what they were building around me the bikes were evolving around me and um you know they were taller they everything was they they put everything into i hated it. the suzuki yeah, in 01 because it got <laughs> i loved my 2000 my favorite bike i ever had and when i got on the 01 i was like this is awful it's so it's tall it's long you're welcome <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> so he's like but when you look a man in the eye and you tell him you're gonna do something that's kind of what i was brought up on mm-hmm. he said you can't do this other stuff you can't like you have to make a choice and I said well if that's my choice I said you always told me to do what I to follow my heart I said I can't the faster like you know 2004 I think it was 2003 four whatever that year I I trained I did everything that I could and I didn't get better I'm like what makes me me is that I'm able to go and have fun I said the second I stop having fun I start thinking is this worth it is it worth it running so hard you know you're talking to elvis and breathing through your butthole if you can just to and you got arm pump and you're still just absolutely pinned like racing is so much more dangerous for me than 
than freestyle ever was mm. because you had all these other elements and didn't matter. Like Roger DeCoster told me once, I came off the track in second. I said, I'm not even tired. He looked at me and said, if you ever come off that track again and you didn't win and you tell me you're not tired, you're fired. So, all right. He said, you got to leave it all on the track and you can always go faster. You can always find more time. Until that checkered flag goes, you keep going. And I just said, Roger, I'm not willing to give motocross and supercross everything I said i i love it and i, I can't, i'll never stop racing i'm still shoot i still jump into races here and there and do mm -hmm. whatever but there's a difference between me going out and riding a couple laps with chad reed or um sipes or whoever or then trying to go out and actually making a living of it um so that's where cars really came in yeah so it wasn't really that hard for you it was pretty clear cut you once you kind of had your dad's approval I, for you, it sounds like you were uh, you kind of had a decision yeah, made. Yeah, it wasn't really approval from my dad. He just you know and kind of what confirmed my, what you were thinking. Yeah, like yeah. I've always said, follow your heart. But you're an idiot if you don't go back to racing. Basically. Oh really? He yeah. said that? No, I mean not outright, but that's kind of what I was getting out of it. Um, you know, and my mom, you know, she's she was my biggest supporter from from the start, and I was very fortunate to have have a family there. And but it was it was funny. My dad goes at that point. He goes, Hey, you can quit racing. But I have to tell you, as broken as you are, uh, I don't know that I'm going to hire you back on this construction site <laughs> because you're going to you're going to really slow our crew down. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I yeah. know you always have my back. Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to jump back into some X Games stuff, all your car racing. Uh, stick around. This is your TLD timeout. We're going to be right back with more Travis Pastrana. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE for 20% off plus free shipping. It's the new year, new me, with the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand-new ultra-premium body wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Lawn Mower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest parts of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel Bag and Anti-Shafing Boxer Briefs as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped, Solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but in the shower. I shower every day. Certainly hope you do, too. This body wash smells great, too. It's cologne-infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. So kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping using the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. Cheers to new balls in 2022. So, one more time, 20% off and free shipping with the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE at manscaped.com. This is an offer you don't want to miss. It's New Year, No Pubes in 2022 with Manscaped.
Dunlop. There is a reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and a brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable, trust Pro Circuit. Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. For 10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make Seat Concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. Something from nothing. That's what Nihilo Concepts is about. It starts with a spark, an idea, a concept, which leads to a design and finishes with engineered excellence with the highest quality products created with durability in mind. All our products are made in the USA at our state-of-the-art facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you are a weekend warrior, ride for fun, or at the highest level of competition, Nihilo Concepts offers innovative titanium, aluminum, and carbon fiber parts for your dirt bike. We offer a wide variety of products that you can customize to your liking. Browse our site for foot pegs, brake tips, engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, lever grips, carbon fiber components, motor stands, our secondary on-switch plus much more. Head to NihiloConcepts.com and see for yourself why factory teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs Gas Gas, Orange Brigade, Club MX, KLM Gas Gas, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual slalom, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all, Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. OGO Power Sports. OGO has perfected the carrying case. Motocross gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs, backpacks, and travel bags, to name a few, have all been meticulously engineered to maximize space and surpass durability standards that would make NASA proud. Simply the best, OGO Power Sports. Connected. intercom on to be able to hear what they talk about and how fast they should go throttle control, braking, really cool. Extend your leg out, there you go. Good job, good throttle control, Lonnie. That's a great training tool. It was a lot of fun to be on the track with them. Hey, Lono. What? Can you pull off, pull off over here when you get to me and your brother? Okay.
With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. The guys are just breaking in their race bikes, which will leave on the semi this Saturday to go to the first Supercross for our coast in Orlando. Uh, so the guys are just be goofing off a little bit, do some cool photos, do some cool videos. When you go racing, you want to do well, but a big key is keeping the bikes on the track. That's why we chose to work with Motul. Expectations coming in as a rookie is just to try and get my feet wet and uh, honestly just send it, see where I end up and uh, do my best out there, but just ride aggressive and ride like myself in practice and I uh, should have a good time. Challenges of this sport, I believe, is just simply staying healthy. Uh, with how fast we're going um, and what we're doing, your margin for mistake is really, really small. Stay sick. If you have little rippers, then you have had to have seen Stay Sick Bikes by now. We have created bike and experiences that allow kids to develop sooner and empower them to find their own ride. From learning to ride to sharpening skills, the Stay Sick promise is accelerated growth. Whatever path your family chooses, it's going to be the ride of your life. Stay Sick Stability Cycles. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Hey, hey, All right, I'm welcome back. Vacation. That was your Troy Designs timeout. Uh, get over to TroyLeeDesigns.com and look at the brand new SC5 helmet. It's out. Improvements over last year, more EPS, better ventilation. Uh, it's got a brand new MIPS Integra system. They're first to market with that. Uh, all kinds of features into this thing, making it a very, very safe helmet. Very cool looking. It's always got Troy's very, you know, fast, cool looking design. So uh, check them out. Really, really cool helmet. They've been working on this thing a long time. Uh, so coming out of that um, Manscaped commercial, they sent a little package for you. I wanted to make sure we got to you. Uh, so it's a weed whacker for your nose, your nose hairs. weed whacker. This, like is, uh, this is quite a tool. We got some lip balm. We got a T-shirt. This is all going to be going home with you today, so I hope you brought some extra carry-on baggage. This is the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. Dude, I, you know, I've been waiting for the 4.0 to come out. I'm really excited about this. Well, Lindsay is just going to love it because <laughs> everything's about to get tightened way up. Uh, and then we got some shampoo and conditioner and some body wash. This is brand new products for, uh, out of Manscaped's collection, and uh, it's rad. You're going to like it. Very good stuff. So. Not uh, yep. Stoked to send you home with that. Thanks to the guys at Manscaped. They, uh, they make great product, stuff. Great company. Dude, I, yeah, I tell you've worked you what, with them a bit, you said, they, huh? They've helped us so well. I don't know how many people they, they've helped in uh, how many different ways, but <laughs> no, it's been, uh, been awesome. Just uh, the support. Um, just a fun company. Yeah. Always a good time. I, I love that they are just, um, they're just not trying to be super p politically correct. It's just like, hey, we it's make a device to clean up your body hair and your nuts, <laughs> and here it is, and it's good stuff, you know. I dig it. So um, I got a couple questions before we move on to all your kind of post-racing stuff. Um, two stories. 
first thing was you mentioned earlier something about how kids have taught you uh, about fear and how to deal with that or something, you know, a perspective I, you got shifted. I want to hear because you said you had a story on this. I want to. I did. So here, right. here's mine. Um, you know, there's obviously everybody's got different parenting philosophies, right? And and I, I'm not going to name any names here, but we have somebody close to us who over parents. I mean, they, we call them helicopter parents. Just they're constantly, oh, no, no, don't, don't touch that. No, don't get hurt there. Careful. You know, and it's, man, it's, it's too much. Right. And we're pretty loose with our kids. Even if I'm nervous, like, oh, I don't want them to get hurt or whatever. Like if they want to take off snow skiing by themselves or they want to whatever, I just, I, I try to Learn give them to some fall. room. Yeah. Yep. And so there's different philosophies there. We were down in Belize for a family vacation with my, my nephews, my sister and her kids and my daughters. And they were 12 and 13 at the time. My niece, one of my nieces was even younger than that. And I'm thinking they had never been scuba diving before. I've done discovery dives. So like I was a little bit familiar. Uh, and then the program down there in Belize is super loose. Like usually they'll take you down 10, 15 feet, have you pull your regulator out, fill your mask up and clear it just so you kind of know yeah. what to do. They just said go. They were like, they took us in three feet of water, made them dunk their heads under, pull their right. I mean, like. That's my kind of place. Yeah, it was super <laughs> loose. And so she's like, okay, let's go. And we started diving down and we were, we were only 40 feet. Only 40 feet, but you can't come back. You got to, yeah. That's, it's deep enough that I'm going, dude, if, and these kids are like clanking into each other, you know, like balking and, and there's a lionfish and they're right over the top of it, pointing to it. She never said anything like, oh, hey, there's poisonous fish down here. Don't touch them if you see something that looks like this or my youngest daughter's grabbing plant life and, you know, I'm trying to scream at her underwater like, don't, do don't touch stuff. But what I learned was, because um, if I think if we had overdone the precautionary stuff up top. Hey, listen, okay, there's fish down there. You, you, they could kill you here. If you get st stuck by one of these, we don't have a good hospital around here. Like, yeah, yeah. It could be big problems. If your thing they comes out, freaking out, yeah, you, you'll scare them, right? Like to where then it, it might not have been a good experience. I just found if you, <laughs> if you give them a little bit of instruction and let them go, kids are, are capable of doing incredible things, right? And, and I think that's not just kids. Uh, maybe they don't have that full perspective of what can happen, what can go wrong. And, and as you get older, I think that becomes more clear and we become a little more cautious, like you going for your four backflips. But I, I think people th say that kids are fearless. And that's, I found that's completely not true. There's naive. There's certain things they don't yeah. understand can hurt them. Uh, but I feel like that's the same for adults too. Like you on a trampoline or something, some of the most scary times when the kids were young, like I bounced the kids on the trampoline and another parent will get on that's, you know, 230 pounds and it's like, oh, check that. And we got a really bouncy trampoline. I'm like, okay, kids off. He's like, oh, what are you scared? I'm like, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you double bounce my three-year-old, they're going to die. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, I like that. Like a little bit of, of information, but not too much. Um, I think it's also personality. Like if you look at even today, like you look at a guy like Kenny Bartram, he mm -hmm. wants every instruction. Everything can go wrong, everything can go right, and he can put it in this little box and he can make it work. And until he's got everything, he can't figure it out as much. Like where the rally drivers, you always, in motocrossers, you always kind of have stuff that's going to come in that you can't really account for. Yeah. Um, so what I learned about my kid, or from my kids, I thought was the most fascinating um, thing I might have ever experienced. And that's when, so when my wife gets nervous, and I didn't notice this so much until we had kids, but when she gets when she's nervous for one of our daughters, 
she gets angry. So I always see these mini parents that are yelling at their kids for crashing. And I'm like, why are you yelling? But so my wife, Lindsay, she's phenomenal. She's a lot less helicopter parent than even I am. Like she's like, oh, let them do stuff. But if they are in a situation that she's a little hesitant on and they trip and fall or do something that, that scares her, she gets mad. She gets super angry, but it's, it's her fear factor. So my oldest daughter, she's exactly like me. And that's why you see, especially when I'm racing or whatever, I talk at a million miles an hour and I've, I can't ever complete a thought because I'm always on a tangent. And I still do that when I'm not excited. Okay. But you get any bit of nerves, any bit of anything. And everything for me slows down and I get just this antsy feeling. So my daughter, when we went, we went jumping into uh, uh, this big canyon uh, in Moab. And one of my daughters started talking super fast and faster and faster and faster as we got up there. And she just had this smile. Like she had a smile like I've never seen on her before. And she's speaking so fast. Everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and she just yells, Cowabunga! And she jumps off, and it's like a four-second free fall. It's a 500-foot drop, basically. I saw this on your Instagram page, and I, I absolutely would not have done it. And, and she, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no normal person should. But I was, she actually saw it on um, in her friend's YouTube or Instagram or something, uh, someone else doing it. And she's like, Dad, we got to do this. I was like... I might know these guys. And we had Pit Viper and Plammer. Anyway, long story long, we actually knew the exact people in the exact spot that she had okay. seen. So we went out there. My other daughter didn't want to be outdone, but she also has a different reaction. So when she gets nervous, she locks down. So uh, my oldest gets giddy and just like me and excited and happy when shit hits the fan. She's like, oh, I did launch her too high on the blob. I sent her probably about 70 <laughs> feet in the air. And she was doing fine. And then she saw that she was like 70 feet in the air. And she was like six. And she, she did panic. So there, there's, a, there's a limit to your yeah. how happy you can be and how, how high <laughs> that, that affects you. Um, but my youngest shuts down completely. So my oldest has never really had any injuries to speak of. Like she just always makes it, no matter how bad things go, mm. she tucks and rolls she's smiling she bounces my youngest doesn't do any she's more like kenny bartram she does everything she wants all the information we go to iFly, like the where you fly around she she'll listen and she will do exactly what you say my oldest if you talk to her for more than three seconds she's out looking for butterflies like mm. just put me in and i'll fucking figure it out man yeah so um my youngest wanted to do it she wanted to be outdone and i wanted to like i didn't want to like push you she's like dad push me i'm like i'm not pushing you off yeah. a 400 foot cliff like <laughs> like no i can't do this and she's like okay jump like jump with me and i'm like i felt like it was like a dad starting a motorcycle like my dad always said if you can't start it you can't ride it i'm like if you don't have the guts to jump off i i'm so proud of you like but you don't have to jump off like your sister likes this she likes being scared when she jumped off and got scared it was like the greatest moment of her life you you're gonna jump off you're gonna black out you're going to wake up crying with snot all over your face. Yeah. Like, it's just how you react. And they had the same upbringing, same, yeah. you know. Um, one listens, one doesn't. One likes to be scared, one doesn't. And I just, and then I learned with my wife, like, you know, some people, when they get scared, they get angry. Some people get happy. Some people, like, they just black out. Yeah. And it's, it's so cool to see, to have two kids that have the exact same, maybe not exact same, but as close as I could give to the same upbringing. And the oldest, like, I, you know, I'm not like my uh, like parents were and whatnot about a uh, correction, but my wife lost it with with Addie one time, and she just gave her a handprint across the butt, like, and Addie just looked at her and said, "That didn't hurt." 
and walked up. Oh, that's like, not the right thing to say. Holy cow. <laughs> like, and then my youngest, if you even look at her, she'll just start crying. And that's like yeah. all you need to do. So it's, it's so cool with kids to understand how different. And like you think about with like, with like Alden, um, you know, and Roxon and, you know, now this year, uh, guys go different directions. Some people need that structure and some people need, and Alden does a good job of, of kind of working with his, uh, his riders. But, um, the, the same philosophy doesn't work with, with yeah. everything. And, um, I was very fortunate that my dad's philosophy worked really well, uh, with, with me. And we just, we had a lot of fun and, but it was also work your ass off and yeah. don't make excuses, whatever. Um, but my kids, it's just amazing how differently they react to the same situations having mm. been raised the same way. Nature versus nurture, right? We were, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, you yeah, were the saying cab. the, the I, Caballero yeah. show, you know, you like that conversation and my, my producer, Mike, he, he thinks we're, he thinks cabs wrong on that. There's definitely like, he says, what about Mozart? He did not work kids at four or five years old. And I, and I, I go, oh, man, you're right. But I don't know. There's a good argument both ways. So my, my two cents of that argument, like just looking at baseball players, hitters, great hitters. They all have like, 25 vision their vision's so good they can figure like they can actually see and break down which way the ball spinning. is spinning and they can see that at that high speed and they they're there's nothing that makes up for intelligence at, at, a, at a certain rate and this intelligence is, is different there's um you know there's book smarts and then there's uh every day-to-day smarts. learn and, smarts and, yeah sure um but in my opinion uh there's certain traits that are going to help you Mm-hmm. Certain traits, like one of my daughters, like I said, when she's scared, she works better. When one gets scared, she works uh, not nearly as good. Yeah. Um, one takes instruction better, one doesn't. So there's going to be certain things that you're going to be better at innately than other people. Um, you know, And you're going to thrive better in different environments than, mm-hmm. than other people. But at the end of the day, it's time. It's time in a vehicle. Everyone, so I'm looking at this poster over here that's Troy Lee Designs with Brandon Semenuk. Everyone's like, oh, man, overnight success. I'm like, you guys don't have any idea. Seminook, since 14, has been driving cars around the mountains. Like Brandon Seminook, for those of you who don't know, he's the, the world's greatest mountain bike. Legendary uh, mountain yeah, bike, dude. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Look, look it up. And he came out, and in his first full season on Factory Subaru, he ends up winning a rally. Uh, this year, he was ahead of Ken Block uh, almost all the way through the championship and had to miss around going to uh, Rampage, where he won the world championship again in his spare time. Like, guys, <laughs> uh, he's a... F- Phenom, and yeah. he's super smart, and he is great. But they don't realize that, in, you know, 15 years ago, he started rallying on his own. He bought his own car. He goes out to all these um, these races in Canada, and he got a small sponsorship by Subaru that not a lot, still putting a lot in, racing a cross track, and he gets second in a cross track at a Canadian national championship. Um, you know, he goes for a driver search uh, that Subaru Vermont Sports Car put on, and he was hands down the fastest driver there and this was five years ago and he's still putting his own money his own time so when he comes and he's an overnight success and oh all the action sports guys they get everything no he's put in hundreds of thousands of his own dollars and hours and hours of his own time so i believe it's something that you're innately works with whatever your skill sets are whether that's good vision or good dude sebastian tortelli that son of a gun he his vo2 max was in the 80s like it's ridiculous oh really like his, so he was born to be an endurance athlete. An endurance athlete. And he would, he's like, yeah, I get arm pumps sometimes, but I don't really have to, you know, train to do outdoors, like, at all. Like, I just, I, I'm like, man, that sucks for us. But, yeah, good job. Um, so you look at uh, Heath Voss. You know, didn't have 
necessarily didn't start riding young enough to have that natural ability, which in my opinion is starting really early age and kind of adapting it as you're like learning and building and growing. Um, but his resting heart rate was 28. Is that right? Same as his number. Yeah. This guy had a resting heart rate under 30. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's impressive. Well, I, I just think that that's a fascinating um, concept. I wanted to ask you about it. Another, another story. Tangent. tangent 852. The, the Corvette story. Oh, yeah. You This was gnarly, if I remember right. You guys crashed it, and, and uh, it was pretty pretty gnarly. And what happened? Take me through the whole thing. Uh, I just basically stopped uh, stopped racing. Um, love driving. Yeah. Love driving. We'd go out in the middle of the night, and uh, Bud's Creek came around. And some of my friends stopped by. Um, and, uh, the mechanics and they stayed at the house. Like we get every year. Um, just the privateers yeah. come in. Yeah. Paul Parabinos and, uh, and the guys. So Matt Bigos, guy that never met, um, uh, before and we get up and like, Oh, cool. It's two o'clock in the morning. Let's go for a rip. And got in and yeah, made a really bad mistake. Went too fast, ran out of talent and, um, changed, uh, changed Matt's, Matt's life, his whole trajectory. Um, you know, he says today, he's like, if I worked half as hard at just learning to walk again at, at racing, he goes, I, I might have been, might have been a whole different career for me. Mm. Um, so he went over and did the the Paralympics um, bicycles. They have different levels of, of uh, paralysis and uh, phenomenal athlete uh, went over there and uh, he won and he goes, hey, I just want to, he hadn't told anyone the stories of how he got hurt and so I just want to thank, uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that man in the back. And everyone st- stands up and cheers. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> it's, it's not really the you know credit I wanted to get. Yeah, no, but. Um, Was that tough for you? I mean, having somebody else get hurt in an accident you were involved in like that? It still sucks. Um, yeah. You know, and there's there's this magical incident that. Oh, yeah. You know, like just. When you know they can do something and, or you know you can do it, it's worse when it's your fault but even when it's um, even when someone else knows the responsibilities but you're the one that's a stunt coordinator mm-hmm. um or even allowed them in a situation that that's you know yeah. over their head but you you're f- like yeah you, you feel can, a sense of responsibility yeah, i'm like i i still know 100 percent. like these are the speeds these are whatever this this but you got guys like andy bell right andy bell's a cockroach uh he's He's going to live forever, and the reason for that um, is Andy can always, in the worst situation, whatever the Canadian redneck does, he always thinks, what do I have to do to survive? And his self-preservation is, is amazing, and he doesn't mind, like, if you're in the air and you're crashing, most people are like, oh, this is going to suck. Well, Andy will be like, well, I'm going to break my back if I stay on, but I'll only break an ankle if I jump off here, and if I tuck and roll, I'm able to, you know, so it's that, that thinking process all the way through so andy when we're doing like big car jumps and stuff he's the first person i call because i know that at the very least you know the speed has to be exactly right even if you go off the ramp right or left like you'll roll but at least you catch backside so there's it's understanding what'll kill you what'll hurt you what you can live with and what you can't live with yeah and that's the difference between a great athlete and a, and a stuntman um and i unfortunately we've learned um very hard lesson in, in a lot of cases with Nitro Circus where you know stuff can work um, but it, but it doesn't and people um, people have been hurt and yeah. for me 
you know, Matt Bigos, uh, he's gone through some of the, the toughest times that anyone could ever imagine. And, um, you know, he's back right now uh, just trying to re-get back on his feet. Uh, no, no pun intended. You know, he's walking and everything, but he's he'll be in pain for the rest of his life for mm -hmm. a mistake that, you know, like, as 18 and, and dumb, mm -hmm. you know, and just didn't. I was more worried about getting caught by the cops for speeding than I was never even thought about crashing. Ne it never even really crossed my mind. Um, you know, some circumstances outside of, of your control, which happen when you're not on a racetrack. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, and plus thinking I was a better driver than I was. So, yeah, yeah it sucks. And well, just the nature of what you do with Nitro Circus. Uh, those guys are obviously responsible for the tricks they do and all that stuff. But if someone is to get hurt, it's still your event. Right, so you have to feel. I'm, I'm sure that you feel some level of responsibility for that. I mean, when I was managing Troy's team and Christian Craig crashed and broke his, uh, we locked, locked, broke a valve, and he crashed and broke his back. And he, thank God, it, it worked out okay for him. But I mean, as he left in the ambulance, for all I knew, he was paralyzed. You know, and it was it was heavy, even though it was nothing we did wrong. Still, he's on your bike. I'm the team manager, right? I'm at the end of the day, it, it falls on me, and so. That was heavy, heavy duty for me. I just wondered if that, if you, if that bothers you or affects you. In in a lot of ways, and it's changed a lot that that we've done, and you know, a lot of things go right over the years, and you just think, oh, and you're with this certain crew that, you know, when you, you kind of understand what people's capabilities are, and they kind of understand it. The hard part is what we found with, especially my house, people either come over there and they're just shut. Down and they say, I'll, I'm not doing anything, which is smart. Yeah. Or they come over and say, I'm in, I'm doing everything. And they don't understand that you can still break your neck in a foam pit. You can yeah. still miss an airbag. You can still die in so many different ways. And people always ask, can I do a backflip? And my answer is always, I don't know. Can you? Like what? Yes, of course, physically you can, you can do it. But what, what's your background? Like, I don't know if do you lock up when you get scared. Do you get happy when you get scared? Do you... Um, do you have a shoulder injury that's going to, you're going to pull one way or the other. If you get excited and, and yank really hard, you have one arm that's stronger than the other. Like, uh, yeah, a lot do of you factors. Like, yeah. And everyone wants to come over and, and learn and do that stuff. And I've been, you know, everyone goes, oh, you got to, you push these guys so hard. I'm like, no, I'm actually like, I'm, I'm safety. Like, and it doesn't really show so much. And I know a lot of people always think the opposite. Like I encourage people definitely to reach their abilities, but at the same time, you have to understand. And, you know, I think Phil was, that was the last one. Like I, I sold, I sold my house at, at Pastrana land and like, I was so close to selling everything. And I'm like, I'm just not willing to be in a position again where anyone can get hurt yeah. on the stuff. And, but I realized these guys are going to do it anyway, but if they can learn from the mistakes that we've made and we can give them something that's a little safer to try it on, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and help at the end of the day like which is better being on the couch playing video games not having a passion or having a passion and a drive and a motivation and and building these friendships and then not being able to walk the rest of your life mm. um you know it's a philosophical question that i, yeah. I can't answer yeah it's a heavy duty one for sure um well yeah anyway. but, so I, you know i think i started on this and i got off on a tangent but going over mail Every week I get something in the mail from, and multiple, usually around five, um, of people that got paralyzed, people that got hurt. I think I actually, no, I did kind of mention this, but so many times, like I go to schools and encourage kids to be active. I encourage them 
to get on a bicycle, to get on a scooter. And we, we sell all these things and, you know, with nitro and we're, we're selling fun and we're selling passion. And I, I love it. And I love the crew, but the, the, the flip side of that is, is, you know, is that not everybody makes it all the way through without an injury that's going to change their life in some way, shape or yeah. form. My parents have given me an outlook that's a little different and coming from the military background where, you know, a lot of friends are losing limbs or, or you know, whatever. And they come back, but, it's how you deal with those times that makes the biggest difference. It's when I'm in a wheelchair and that was a great time for me because my family figured out a way that we could be involved and we got to, I couldn't go anywhere. Like there was, we, we became a tighter knit group. Um, it's taking every time when I would break a wrist or an ankle or something where a knee where I couldn't get out on the dirt bike where I'd go, you know, go karting. I was very fortunate to be in a position where I, could go kart and we had the guys at no fear and Boris said and those guys at spy and everything and we could go drive on those times when i was hurt and that led to a whole nother career but everything that gets shut down every injury if you have the right attitude about it you can take that and grow from it and learn from it and learn physical therapy like i now learn so much about my body and what it takes to keep moving and to to be functioning um you know even more so than someone that hasn't been hurt. Yeah. Um, to a, to a certain extent, we both got up uh, for halftime and <laughs> took us a while to get moving, but limp, limpy knees, very, very achy knees. Uh, it's better than limpy other things. Um, I figure I better address that word since I said, <laughs> all right, let's, let's go to your X game stats because this is wild, man. I, I pulled some of this stuff off. Um, in fact, I think, are you the? Do you have more? You're one of the top three guys for the most medals, yeah? Palmer uh, and we only count golds. Oh, we only count golds. Yeah. Okay, copy that. Okay, so no, we're... but now honestly, there's there's been more, and there's been a lot more divisions. It's like, um, you know, looking back at Loretta Lynn's, everyone's like, oh, he won so many championships. I'm like, well, we would have won a lot of championships. They broke the age group down into yeah. like two and three years and had a stock and modified for everything. Right. Right, right, right. You were national champion. You were the best of the 7-Eleven group. Right? Yeah. 7-Eleven <laughs> kids with uh, blonde hair. Um, so what was it about X Games for you that, that just clicked? I mean, you, you kind of mentioned you liked the pressure. You thrived under that. And these were like um, super high-pressure events. I mean, even the, like I did Supermoto for three years. And even that, you know, like they got you waiting for TV and you're sitting down there and it's nothing. Are we ready to go? No, we're not ready to go. Okay, we're ready to go. I mean, it's all this tension that builts up and um, kind of what I took away from from my experience at X Games is they take very good care of you financially. I got a bronze medal and I made more money than if I had won a Supercross. It's definitely not catered to live spectators. Like it's all about TV for them. Uh, And, you know, it's... It's it's um, I guess it's very Hollywood. Like I guess you get a lot of see of that TV production side of things. Uh, that's kind of was my vibe. What did you take away from it? And and again, other than just being good under pressure, what was it about this you love so much? Um, at the end of the day, it was being able to. I always love showing off. Obviously, <laughs> I loved no, yeah, a little. Are bit. you serious? But I loved being able to push myself, and I feel like there is a couple different foundations of riding for me. One was winning. Mm-hmm. I, no matter what, like X games, I was never about winning for me. Um, I always thought you couldn't really judge style. Um, there was definitely like, I knew kind of what it was going to take to win. I knew what the judges wanted. I treated X games from my mom, um, like school, like homework. 
Uh, I studied. I did more work and prep. I really was the anti-X Games person. Like, there... I just was so confused. It's really what changed my my life is when you go to X Games and I'm like, yeah, I won. And all your best competitors were coming up and high-fiving you and just hugging you. And like, they're like crying. They're so, dude, you did that. I was thinking about doing something like that and that was so cool. And yeah. you're like, wait, what? You actually like genuinely, have, what's the the stick? Like, what are yeah. you trying to, you're trying yeah. to mentally like, get You're trying to get into some of my TV time over here. Or what's this about? No, no, but I just, I just didn't understand it was a cool camaraderie you guys all had. These guys just yeah. loved to ride their dirt bikes, and they were all yeah. friends, and they'd ride together and train together and practice, and it was these these groups, and I was like, man, this is something that we don't get. I t- I'd knock my grandma down in the last turn and not think twice. You see a Red Cross flag out, and you're just thinking one more spot. You know, yeah. I just it's a different mentality. Um, so I kind of compartmentalized X Games is solo. X Games is seeing what I can do that's never been done, um, and trying to push myself and what and kind of outside the box and then racing is it doesn't matter what your style is just get across results first yeah yeah uh when you did the double backflip i want to talk about that a little bit because it's funny when you mentioned you start chattering when you get nervous um i've heard backstage before this before you went and did that double backflip which there was build up to that all day you were just in the in the back room and you wouldn't stop talking Guys were like, what the hell is, is Travis on yeah. crystal meth right now? Like, what's he doing? <laughs> just, just about whatever, but you just wouldn't stop talking. Your mom's crying her eyes out. Like, that was, and I think ESPN ranked this as the second uh, biggest event in X Games history in terms of like their top 10 moments. Yeah, I got the, the second, because um, Table Center changed the name, and they got the second, uh, second highest. Uh, oh, that's r- what it was. Staple Center. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. And what was the first one? Was it. Uh, L.A. Coliseum, or no, um, what, what's the basketball team plays there? Uh, Lakers. Yeah, it was one of the Lakers. It was the Lakers finals moment. or something. Okay, yeah. so that's what it was. It was Staples Center uh, moments, and you're number two in that. that Pretty was, crazy, dude. For me, the wild thing, and you got to go back a little even further, kind of. I was pretty much done at that point in my head with freestyle. I was like, man, I've taken a lot of risk. I want to get into car racing. I've worked really hard at this. Um, at that point, I was on Subaru, but I hadn't really won. I won one event uh, coming in. It was with Ken Block. We had some good foundation coming up, but like rally was where I wanted to go. And the double backflip was something I knew I could do. But when we got there, the setup, dude, it's it's rock solid. And the the jump's small. So even setting the, the takeoff up to where I needed to, I hit it in practice when they just literally jacked up on car jacks and uh, two by fours. Mm. So it was like wobbly and I hit it and I was like up five, six feet from the rafters and I landed and I landed perfect. And it just, I landed like a ton of bricks. Yeah. That the landing, it's man, it's, it was hard. It was hard. Hard packed. Yeah. It's flat. It's just, I mean, it is, it's blue groove. And I thought, shoot, even if I land this perfect, it's going to hurt. If I land, if I nosedive this inning, like that's, that's end game. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's paralyzed or yeah, broken yeah. neck at least. Um, and then I was leading because rally they did first, except for the super special. Colin McRae, all-time rally legend, comes over. Everyone thinks he's going to absolutely dominate. I'm one-tenth of a second after 60 miles of racing behind Colin McRae coming in to the final super special stage. This is like uh, – I'm, yeah. I'm a kid that's not – I strive under pressure, and it's only – like usually a rally is 200 miles. And Colin came over to jump into our format, which is American format, uh, where you don't get to make your notes. They make the notes for you. So it took him a little bit to adjust. But I got a shot to beat multi-time world 
champion. That puts my name on the list. Like even just competing. Like I yeah. got to go there. I have all my my team. They're all watching. And I'm sitting second place after the first round. And it was the next day, right? It's the next day. I still got freestyle motocross, my best sport. I'm like, I got a podium here. Silver medal. Still, like I said, pays good. It's cool. Didn't take a lot of risk. Tomorrow, I got freestyle motocross. That's my best. And, well, that was the last day. And that's after rally, which is super special, where I got a chance to beat Colin McRae. And uh, played rock, paper, scissors. No, you didn't. I That's sure how you decided shit it. Did play oh with Hubert because I was on the fence, and then I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. And then a reporter comes up to my mom, and I saw her like they were literally like coming out of the bathroom. And a reporter, I literally I never came so close to strangling anyone in my life. And this girl goes, Miss Pastrana, she had her little recorder thing. Your um, your son could die today. How does that make you feel as a parent? And she's like shut down. I like looked at her, and she's like. Do you feel like you could live with yourself if you got him into this dangerous sport and then allowed him to to do something so dangerous as a double backflip? And my mom just like she shut down. And I was Did you say anything to this lady? No, I went to my mom. I just kind of like got I should have, but like I'm like, what but that's and they did a good job of getting that out of her. And that it, it broke my mom. Like yeah. absolutely because she was okay. She's like, All right, I know you're not gonna do anything that you don't believe you can do. And at that point I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I told my mom then. That was same day? So that's why I apologized. I, was, I apologized after because I told my mom then. I'm like, I'm not going to do a double backflip. Don't worry. Like, we're good. And then I went and I was talking to Ron Meredith and everyone. And we looked. I'm like, that landing kind of sucks. I'm like, that ah, is what it is. And I thought, you know what? I can fucking do this. Like, I'm literally, I'm eight for 10 in the foam pit. Yeah, the other two are going to be really are bad. You, are, when you're not making it, those other two, were you short? Yeah, always short. Okay. I was, it was everything I had at the, at the time um, for that ramp and that setup yeah. and my skill level and whatever. Um, so it was just, if I pulled too hard, sometimes it would put my body weight forward. And uh, once it went forward, that actually is counterproductive. So right? I'd get a better snap, but then I wouldn't, it wouldn't continue rotating at the okay. same speed. Um, so I got a, so rock, paper, scissors with Hubert. I won nitro circus. We play winners win. I was like, all right, meant to be fate. I don't know, whatever. So I get up there and then they're like, okay, two minutes. So I'm like, good, get the bike started. Uh, Rafi's up there, whatever, and he's like, oh, commercial break. Ah. And I thought about it. I looked around. At this point, I'm not even nervous anymore. I'm like, why am I not nervous? I'm like, all right, well, I already committed to doing it. And I was like, I guess I've committed that no matter what the outcome is, I'm going to give it everything I got on the takeoff, and I'm not going to bail out. Because if you bail out, something you don't think about, there's a lot of centrifugal force with the bike and you. So if you let go, which I've done in the foam pit, I almost missed the foam pit. Oh, it sends like, you out. You get sent 30 feet one direction or the other, or down faster, or, or you could go 30 feet up. Oh. So I could go, if you let go right here, you get sent into the rafters. So there's a lot, like, I'm like, once you're committed, like there's no... Yeah, you're, you're you're in, yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent in. So I was like, okay, and I mean, it's just double backflip. No, it's just a trick. It when, is what it is. When but. you when you're hitting that and you're spinning, do you are you can you spot like okay, roof once, roof twice, land like are you spotting where you're at or is it just a blur? Yeah, and one of the scariest things was because right here, so I was about six eight feet from the roof. So if you're looking up to like basically look up to the ceiling, and as you're coming along and you're 45 feet off the ground, 50 feet off the ground, and you see that roof, it kind of gave me a, a little fright. And then right after the roof, you see that you're 50 feet off the ground. So, And plus, you get the lights that are on top of the stable center, so you're blind when you go up, <sighs> and then you kind of get... Anyway, all kinds of stuff going against it. But I dropped in, and everything kind of went slow motion, and it was the most calm I probably ever felt in my life because I was like, all right, like this could be it. 
Like we, because usually you only get that moment like when you're in a bad crash or like you're already crashing. I got that feeling. You like, could still say no, and you're just like I was like, yeah. I was like, I remember the smells, the sounds, the everything. It was all like so clear and vivid because I was, I had somehow talked myself into no matter what happens, you can't bail out. So you're committed. You said you're going to do it. You're in. Let's make the best out of whatever happens, and it worked out perfect. Well, I mean, what, and you landed it perfectly. Like, I don't know that it could have ever gone any better. It could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you obviously, you can see in your reaction this, the excitement of, of pulling it. But, like, well, when that, you can, that was, like, such an iconic moment in action sports, obviously freestyle, but just action sports in general. Like, I mean, what? how, how did you take that in? I, I know you went to Texas the next day. and Yeah, good times. <laughs> we heard about that story, but we'll leave that off the air. But... Um, Oh, come on, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> what's the response from that? I mean, how, how, what's the feeling you get after that, when, that as, when you pulled that? As an athlete of any type, uh, but especially action sports, um, most of the things you do are with you and a buddy or, or a couple of friends or maybe a camera. Um, but the biggest things that you do are, are within. It, it's, you want to see that it can be, it's, it's, a, it's a very self yeah, sport. Self-gratification. Yeah, you, yeah. you do it for yourself you do it to see if you can it can be done um so in that moment uh it was one of the few times that what i felt inside was magnified by every single person watching it live my grandma watched i get so many people that say this is where i was when you did that and it was cool like the military i didn't realize that um so many people in afghanistan or iraq or wherever the, the war basically was going on over there and all the all the outposts they're like we don't get many stations and they played x games live mm. and they can all tell me where they were and where they were deployed and like that for me still like i get it at, at least once a week yeah where I'm someone sure. tells me where they where they were during that moment and that's what's cool about that for me is that it's so much stuff you, you just never have a chance for other people to feel what you felt and yeah all the reporters asking those horrible questions to my mom um really brought out just the seriousness of, of what we were doing and as much as i hated it at the time like it it was the first thing and maybe the only thing I've ever done where the whole, what felt like my world anyway, was on their feet and they were all watching. It was cool. Dude, I had the chills watching. I, my stomach was sick. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just, I don't, I didn't want to see it go wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just like, what is this crazy guy doing? <laughs> but now Josh Yan does, does a triple. Like it's just, a, at the end of the day, it's just a trick, but it was cool to have a moment where the world kind of like yeah. almost stopped. It was like when Kerry Hart did the backflip. Like it wasn't totally. live. If that was live, that would have been. But people that didn't know anything about motorcycles all of a sudden were stopping me. Hey, aren't you that motorcycle? Did you see that guy do the backflip? Like yeah. it just wasn't. It's yeah. cool, you know. Yeah, it definitely transcended motorcycles by a long ways. You know, uh, I would say Tony Hawk's 900 yep. was the same type of vibe. Where even if you weren't watching it live, you watched the replay and you were just like, wow. You know, the whole build up to that. But I would say. Your penalty for getting it wrong, way worse than you know. He could slide out of that nine hundred over and over and over. Yeah, with that jump set up, you weren't you weren't getting up. No, no, very very dirty. Um, of all of your golds, and and you have a lot. Um, was it seventeen? Am I wrong on seventeen? No, seventeen medals. Seventeen uh, medals. Okay. Um, what which ones mean the most to you? Um, you know, I'll start with the one that means the least. Okay. Um, it changed my life. So, and Biker it was, Sherlock, uh, yes. Luge. <laughs> Dude, that was awesome. <laughs> I, I love that. And that's what X Games is kind of missing. I think that's what people, 
tangent 19,000, but people wanted to see the unexpected. Yeah, they had, uh, X Games went from this place where they had uh, freestyle bungee jumping. And they were jumping yeah. off with all kinds of like shenanigans and they had downhill skateboarding and luge and all this stuff and uh, super modified shovel racing. Like they would just race <laughs> shovels downhill. And now we take it so seriously and it's it yeah. took a little bit of the fun out and you know, now it's an Olympic sport with, uh, with you know, skate and, and snowboarding and BMX and all this stuff. Um, but, yeah, so my least favorite medal, and that was also that same year that I was trying not to hurt myself because it was during um, uh, basically 2001 championship. Okay. Um, and I knew I had to basically fly to Millville, compete, and then fly back for the, for the final. And I had been concussion and everything else that year was not good. But... I went out, and I did what I needed to do to win. And I got a gold medal, and I thought, I don't come here to win. Mm. I come here because it's the one chance that you have that the world watches to, for you as an athlete to be able to show something that's never been done, to be able to prove to yourself what all you've been working on that you could make it work. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, all the stuff we do is goofy. We're, we're doing they're ballerina tricks on a motorcycle flying yeah. through the air. Like it, it is what it is. But I was like, man, I had two tricks that year that I really wanted to do. And I didn't do either of them. Mm. And now this, they're random tricks that have been done and, and whatever. But I was like, that's what I came You kind of just did the stuff you've always done that you had down. And, and like, it was I, just good enough that you won. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have to do anything to beat that year. The other, like no one had really stepped up that, that year much. And I was a little bit ahead from the year before. And I just, I stuck with what I had. And, I thought that was the most depressing day. Like, like, yeah, you won the gold. I'm like, mm. ah, it kind of sucked. Like, I didn't come here to win. I go to Millville this weekend to win. Yeah, right. I come here to, to do something new. What about when Metzger, and I don't remember the year, it was the year after yeah. Kerry did the first flip, when he did the, dub, the flips kind of back-to-back. Yeah, so that was actually, so I was hurt that year. Um it must, was it two? Was it the? I think it was two years after. It was like two thousand two, maybe. I can't remember. Um, back to yeah. back, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand two. Yep. You were out with an injury. Mets was the first rider to flip. That's not accurate. It's not. Well, in X Games, right? To land flips in X Games. So, what was interesting was Gravity Games was three weeks before, two weeks before. So I was actually the first rider to flip in competition. Is that right? But they did not air Gravity Games until after X Games because I blew out my knee at the end of Gravity Games doing. Step up, which you know. Ah, uh, um, you did step up, right? No, you didn't do step up. No, no, no. What did you, uh, so? What did you get? Just supermoto, supermoto, mm-hmm. podium supermoto. Mm-hmm. That is really good. Yeah, Who yeah. won that year? Wardy, Wardy, Wardy Burkhart, and then myself. Nice. Oh seven, dude, that's rad. Oh yeah, that was a fun sport. I wish it. Wish it would have stuck around. You did some, huh? Yeah. Did a little bit. I I was okay until people got good at specific what the, what they were doing. Yeah, you remember that first year when. Uh, because you had uh, Chad Reed. And yeah, I think, I think I saw you at one in Colorado. I actually had a chance to win that one. And didn't that, Henry got hurt, right? Hen, uh, he crashed on a step-on, step-off, and got hurt pretty good. Yep. And then, and then you did Reno? Did you do the one in Reno at downtown? Did downtown? Yeah. Day I got whooped there. No, but so Kurt Nickel and all the guys. But yeah. I was doing a after Henry did the on-off. Yeah. And he got hurt there. So there was an on-off, and then a right, and then you had a... I could tire tap over, but everyone else was doubling, and then they would single or single, like they had a full single and then double, yeah. and I was just hitting it, and I broke a chain. Oh. So I was second behind Wardy, and but it was like two seconds a lap slower, but I could make that all up right in that one jump. Yeah, chain broke. Doop. 
I don't remember the whole weekend. Oh, it's another concussion. Yeah, weird. <laughs> best part, I don't, I don't remember any of them. <laughs> well, that's probably best. They probably hurt. Um, all right, what else do we got here? Um, 04, crashed while trying a 50-foot 360, sustaining a concussion. Weird. That's, they Seems just like copy a... and pasted that into a lot. Um, <laughs> sustaining a concussion. <laughs> sustained a concussion. Uh, 05, fifth gold medal in freestyle. Uh, oh, you know what? The bar spin bike. Do you know it's up front here? It's it's here. Yeah. No way. It's in the showroom here. Dude, that's cool. Yeah, I'll have to take you over and show you. Is it broken still? No, it's back together. I don't, so I don't know. Uh, tell me what happened with that thing. And that's actually, so did a, we were working on decades. I was really disappointed in myself for only doing basically a, a backflip bar spin. Okay. Um, a decade is, a decade the goes bike around, goes around, around, right? No, that's a tail whip. Oh. Tail whips were really hard. Like you had to hit the brake and I, I wasn't even close, but we had the bike for like a week of practice. Okay. Um, and at the end of the day, it was just like, all right, lock the front brake, bar spin, put your, like, well, eh, it was kind of cool. But with the bike, it was kind of, a, it, the throttle was on a remote. So when you gave it gas, it was like a lag. It was a lag, but also when you let off, it accelerated. Oh, and it only had a couple inches of travel in the front, so I didn't do the the big jump, but I was just doing the small like what Carrie Hart did the flip on. Yeah, and it was the weirdest feeling because did the backflip, did the bar spin, landed just a little over rotated, but the bike broke when I landed. So as I'm going down the landing, my face is hitting the ground. But my feet are still on the foot pegs, and my hand's still on the handlebars. Kind of like probably what you felt in, yeah. was it Phoenix? <laughs> just, no, it was, I, I, it was Phoenix, you? yeah. 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 Uh, it, uh, that it, all just sounded really familiar. No, but it, seriously, I was meaning to ask you about that. Like, I was, I already had, like, I was hurt. Like, I was on the ground hurt, confused. <laughs> Holding on to handlebars. Still, like, <laughs> I didn't crash. What yeah. just happened? How did you feel when you did that? Well, it was the same thing where I, I heard the tone of the bike change as I left the triple, and I'm like, that was weird. I'm going to come up a little short, obviously, and I'm panic revving, trying to bring the front end up so I can yeah. take the case while it's locking up, so it's dropping. Oh, no. And by the time I computed, like, uh-oh, something's not right, and I just I went in just short, and it snapped this way. So there's a picture of me with the bars, <laughs> front wheels underneath me, <laughs> and I'm about six inches from hitting the ground. So I did the same thing. I hit the ground with the bars in my hand. You're like, I can't hit the ground here like this. I, don't, I, I was so confused. It just happens so quick. Just like you. Like, that's not supposed to happen. Like, what just happened? Yeah, well, and, you had a double. Like, you had a bike seize and a broken half. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad it broke in half. It saved me. But um, did you get hurt when that thing broke? No, I just had a... Uh, Sustained a concussion? So, no, <laughs> okay. subdermal hematoma with a right quadricep. <laughs> a little bruise. Um, so when did you get into the car racing? When did you first do that? Um, so I had always been into driving since I can remember anything that I, I could get my hands on. Uh, usually old cars. My grandma actually called my uncle. I should have... I thought everyone was out of town, but she uh, said, hey, someone stole your Jeep and they're driving me like a bat out of hell. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, first time I got in big trouble there. But, no, um, racing cars, I always wanted to race World Rally. I didn't even know about U.S. Rally. And Gabrielle uh, from Alpine Stars in 2000 was trying to get me to go back to Alpine Stars and had some other companies. Like, Alpine Stars, like, we don't pay anybody. Like, there's... Like, we have the best product. You, your ankles deserve the best product. You should be in Alpine Stairs. And at the time, we were like, yeah, that sounds good, but we're being offered X, Y, and Z from whoever else. And he goes, what, what can I give you that nobody else can? 
And I said, well, I see Alpine Star suits on the Subaru Road Rally team. I said, you get me in a, a Subaru WRC car, I will wear Alpine Stars for the rest of my life. Hands down, no contract needed. I'll buy them if I have to. Like, I, this would be awesome. And he said, okay, you win the championship, I'll get you over there. Well, that was actually, ironically, at Washougal. I didn't lose another race for the rest of the year. Um, mm. Maybe slightly motivated by that. But, um, <laughs> so I went over. He brought me to Sweet Lamb uh, over in, in England, um, Wales, to watch the last round. Um, Richard Burns won the championship for Suzuki, uh, Suzuki geez, Subaru. Uh, for which was Alpine Stars team. Okay, I got to drive Toshi Rai, like his the other driver, but the same basic car, like the WRC championship winning car um, that next year. So I was they took he took a year to be able to fulfill his promise, but in two thousand one went over there. So I'm seventeen years old, got to drive a three quarter million dollar car, and they said you got ten laps around this, and I flogged it. Yeah, and it was absolutely awesome. And from that point, Subaru goes okay. You actually didn't suck at this, and you definitely have courage or stupidity, one of the two, because you were sideways everywhere. Um, we're going to take you over to the U.S., where I met Mark Lovell, uh, who ended up passing away rallying, um, mm-hmm. and got to watch some U.S. rallies. And once I figured out that was on, I was like, this is great. So I went, and I bought a rally car. It cost me $60,000, and I sold it a week later for... 8,000 and then decided that practice wasn't something that was going to happen in that sport. Um, Did you just destroy the thing or what? Yeah. Um, I was at Kenny Bartram's house and Guy Cooper and we, we just didn't, I didn't know what rally was. I thought it was like jumps and stuff. So we built like a motocross track. It was yeah. rally cross basically. <laughs> yeah. It didn't hold up. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, from that point on, we just, anytime that I could, anytime I was hurt, I was in a go-kart. Anytime that I had a chance to go rally, I would, put my own money into it. Mm. So I literally took everything they had out of racing and put it into driving cars. And then with Ken Block coming in, it was really good deal. And that was another thing that came back to Alpine star. Um, right before was it 2000, I don't even know, 2004, maybe, uh, 2005, uh, when Ken Block, before he came into rally, I was Alpine stars and, uh, Puma, Puma makes driving suits. I said, you can't be both. Mm. And Puma was my biggest sponsor, financial. Alpine Stars paid me nothing. And I said, well, it's good doing business with you. I'm going to stick Alpine Stars. So I went to Ken Block with super agent Steve Astafin. Literally, this was like three days before X Games. He said, hey, can you sponsor Travis? He'll run DC stickers and whatever. He likes your shoes, blah, blah, blah. Ken said, okay, but he has to get me involved with this, the team. He goes, I always wanted to rally. He goes, I think I'm pretty good. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, man, whatever. So he bought his So you ride. didn't really know Ken prior to that? I thought you wore DC shoes like way back. No, this was, I mean, this is 2003, yeah, four, something, somewhere okay. in that range. Okay. Um, but so that X Games, it was because, and honestly, it all came down to me making a, a handshake deal with Gabrielle. Yeah, you get me a drive in that WRC car in Subaru, and I will never switch. Yeah. And I... Dropped a couple hundred thousand dollar deal because of that handshake deal. But Gabrielle has helped me so much. He got me in. So I raced the Porsche Cup when I was 18 years old, 18 or 19, um, which is basically these GT3 awesome Porsche like road cars at Indianapolis during F1 weekend. I'm sharing a pit stall with Juan Pablo Montoya. Like I'm like kid in a candy shop. Yeah. And he lied so much. He's like, oh, he's got all this experience. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a rallier, and <laughs> I've done this, and what, yeah. Gabriel. Yeah. So he just forged all my stuff. Somehow I got a license to race this thing, 160 mile an hour down the front stretch. 
I had no idea what I was doing. It rained in practice, and I'm like, oh no, everywhere. I went. The first turn goes right, left, right. I missed the first turn completely sideways through the grass and hopped back on and punted someone off the track. These are pretty expensive cars, and I had no idea. But anyway, I, it was a good experience. Uh, so the, the handshake deal cost you money, but he 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 brought you opportunities you couldn't probably pay, even he pay for. He paved right? the way for me to do yeah. exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And another thing that I'm so happy I learned from my parents on there's relationships and just integrity integrity yeah. is it goes a long way that's awesome i love gabriel too he's such a he's such a nice guy i, I hear he can be pretty shrewd businessman but i've only ever he's just always ever been nice to me i, I think he's a great guy he's always helped out for me um okay so yeah, well, business-wise, I mean, I've never been paid, but like... <laughs> <laughs> well, so there you go, to, so. to his point. Very shrewd businessman, but yeah, I mean, he helped you in ways that, you know, you couldn't... Like I said, you probably couldn't have bought those rides. No. You know, so... Um, okay, what else? What, what were some other big moments for you in X Games? Like, if you had to have your top three big moments, obviously the double back's got to be in there. What else? Um, I mean, you probably pretty much nailed him. You had the 99 just to make it to X Games and to go against the grain of, of everyone's like, this is not what you need to be doing right now. And then breaking down on the way and being all messed up before I got there. And then the whole fiasco with uh, uh, jumping into the bay and everything that came with it. But I'd say that one, uh, the double backflip, and then that same year, uh, McRae. Hmm. Racing McRae. Did you end up winning that one? I can't remember. He rolled. So he, Colin pitches the... Jumps have been, that's the only reason I'm still competitive in, in Rallycross right now. And Rally is just learning how to position cars and vehicles. Uh -huh. So he pitched it into the corner. And it, when it hit, one of the tires blew out. And it dug into the rim and rolled him. And the coolest part about Colin McRae is his in-car. As it's rolling over, he's putting it into gear. And it hits. And he lands. He actually made time on that corner. But he had a flat tire. And he had two more corners to go. And he dropped probably a you know second and a half two seconds the last two turns and I ended up winning x games over colin which was the biggest thing probably still to this day that i've ever done as far as what the world has seen as far as me being a driver just colin was oh he's colin, yeah, was he's colin the man, yeah you know that's pretty cool that's crazy what about um uh the seven the tp7 yeah uh i can't remember the year was it two um, years exact same results oh nine that's when you didn't land it, crashed, and broke your leg, yeah? Um, yeah, shoot, what happened? No, 09 landed. I uh, actually still have back problems from that. No, I bulged a mm. disc, but, yeah, still competed um, the rest of the time. So then you moved to 11, I believe, and so I'm racing NASCAR, and my first NASCAR race was going to be right after this and got all my sponsor deals. Everything's lined up. I got a great – with Waltrip Racing, we had a car that year. Like, they were actually – the the team was winning. Everybody was good. It looked. Okay. It looked and are cool. you in? Are you? Is it a legit cup car? It's the same one they're running on their top guys, or is top this... guys? So it's it's nationwide. So it's okay. uh, you had like Carl Edwards was dropping down, but you had uh, um, Trevor Bain who won the Daytona 500 before that. Yeah, um, was running that car. So it's basically the lights class, if you will. But it was a legit lights or a, a nationwide car. It wasn't like a practice car or some step down. It was legit race car. No, so so full well, full factory. So deal. I, I'm I'm full in. Yeah. On on this deal with with Walter Racing. And are they paying you? Is it just sort of a free ride? Like how does car racing work that way? 
Um, so it was my only chance to get paid, and I blew it. Okay. Um, but so we go in, and so the the thing was, yeah, let's I'll do X Games, and then I'll do the first. We'll set up because it's ESPN was doing some of the stuff there, so they're like, we'll do this through NBC or whatever, um, and we'll feed this into promoting NASCAR. Okay. And NASCAR into promoting this. Uh, long story long, shattered my ankle. So I go. That was the TP7 yep. jump? So okay. I try it the first time, and I had this dial. It was so dialed, so dialed, so dialed, and then I lost it. Like the trick. You had it dialed at home and at into, home. into a pit? Or? Just into a pit. I've okay. never done this. Uh, I'd never at the point done it to dirt. Okay. But I was like, I was 100%. I couldn't go wrong. And then something's changed. I don't know what it was. So I came out to Red Bull, the foam pit out here, and it was on scaff. And I don't know if it was moving or I wasn't getting the same pop or the bike was there. I no idea. Um, but I lost it. So I went in knowing, I'm like, shit, I don't, like, I haven't landed one for 15 in the foam pit um, the day before. So a little nervous, jumped it in, and adrenaline took over and over-rotated. Same thing that happened two years before or whatnot. And I landed, and <laughs> it's going to sound like I shit myself a lot, but that was, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was one of only three times in my life that I've hit hard enough. Uh, and the other time was off a bridge, so I don't know. Who are these people shitting in your pants? Yeah, no, no, I remember this oh, one. This was, this was me, okay, for sure. The, okay. I don't know, the other one, some right. random, that was, that okay. was weird. That's gross. Yeah. But, um, so I hit. And I was sore. I, I slammed the ground and I got up and I knew it wouldn't count because you got to do your first run and then you wait until everyone else goes and then do the second rounds. But I, someone had just crashed on a front flip and it was just the vibe was really bad. And I, I went up to the top and I was, Cam Sinclair was about to jump and he's freaking out because this is the first time he's done a double backflip since um, he had broken his neck and didn't even remember anything about oh. his life for like two years. So he's up shitting a gold meat axe and I'm like, hey, give me another run. I got to do this right now because, well, I pooped my pants and I just wanted to prove that I could do it. And I spun and did the same thing and I landed and I put my foot down and the bike landed on top of my oh. foot. And it's called a Liz Frank when your foot breaks everything across the middle and the top of my foot went over the bottom of my foot and it just crumbled the whole thing. Um, and then tib fib, like I... There's a mess. The whole, yeah. They said 40 fractures over seven bones. So I don't know if they rounded up or down, but it's basically powder as my doctor said. Um, so, but... My dad always said, get up. So I hit the ground. I got up. And I just remember hearing crack, Ugh. crumble, pop, and I fell down. And I actually kind of giggled a little. I thought, dad was right. If you're broken, you'll fall back down. Yep. You sure enough fell back down. That's awful. Now, interesting moment, though. So we go into the, <laughs> we go to the medics, basically. They're like, oh, it's probably not broken. I'm like, dude, it's broken. They're like, okay, we're going to pull your boot off. I'm like, you got to put me under before you pull this boot off. So I'm still sitting in my poop pants. No one knows I got poop in my pants. So we, and I, I had forgotten this point. So now we get to the hospital and they're like, dude, your foot's fucked. Like, so they cut the whole boot off. And then Chad Keggy comes in. He had a broken femur. And the doctor puts his hand on Chad's femur. So Chad's screaming. I mean, you wouldn't believe the screams that that guy was making. And I'm kind of making me almost laugh because now i'm on painkillers and whatever else because my foot's just jacked and he comes in and he is screaming bloody murder and the doctor they're trying to reset his femur to where they can get the traction to where it's like lined up yeah and he's cussing every name in the book and his wife's yelling at the doctor and and i'm so i just start yelling because i thought it was funny so i start screaming over my side <laughs> and we're all in just that initial place like just bed and the, one of the Red Bull, the younger skaters was like, I don't know, like 13 years old. I forget who he even was, but he was walked in at the time and he had like a 
I don't know, jam thumb or something. And he just like, <laughs> turned around and like walked back out. It's like this, ah, I can't be in here. Yeah. So as that story gets longer, that night I get released to go home. And Surgery uh, already or no? So no surgery. So okay. doc, Dr. Chow, he's been great. And he goes, dude, you're not going to be, you're, you're not only can you not compete, because um, I asked him about like NASCAR and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, I'll be good to go for like driving cars. He said, you're going to be six months before you can put weight on this again. He goes, I can't do anything with it. So I was like, well, hey, if you can't do anything with it, can I race tomorrow? And he laughed. I was like, what if I get hand controls? So I called up my team and we got hand controls. And that was pretty cool. A whole separate story. But so, and then Ken Block goes, well, you can't have any painkillers in your system if you're going. So I've got this foot that's just unbearable. Oh my gosh. And as I'm like coming to that night and pretty much just about thinking I'm going to die, I remember Lindsay going, you stink. I had made it oh, no. all the way back to the hotel that night before I realized I had a... Poop pants. I had poop pants. You had spackle up and down your whole crack. Yeah. I mean, it was it was solid spackle. Wow. Yeah. It so, had firmed up at that point, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's... Thank you, Lindsay, for staying with me through that. <laughs> Did you ever break both arms? Yes. And have to... Have, were you married at that time? So my right arm, I didn't have... Uh, the cast only came to here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did, so you, you, have, did you have both? I had both. Like all the way up? No, but it was it was around both hands, and it was just such that I couldn't get in there, and my wife had to give yeah, me the tough. old wipes. It's it's a bonding moment. Like, you really find out what your spouse is made of. But I wonder what a single guy would do. That could be fun. I mean, I think I would just roll a towel up <laughs> and just scoop my butt along. I don't think I'm bringing a buddy in there to do that. No, no. Just throw away towels. There's just towels in the garbage every day. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that yet. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, um, next. So the Nitro Circus. Tell me about what was the genesis of that? I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier, like where X Games is, is kind of getting rid of the, the fun, goofy stuff, and it's getting more serious. Was that sort of a concept for Nitro Circus? Let's bring back the fun to it. Um, Nitro Circus was, uh, it evolved from injuries. Um, mm. It involved... Every time I got hurt, um, you know, I started, I basically had the only foam pit at the time. We just built a foam pit and I would get hurt. And Greg Godfrey, when I was 18, um, we were working on a project called uh, Global Addiction, uh, just a video, and we got to jump in the Grand Canyon. And he gave me a Sony oh, 2000, right. a piece of crap video camera. And I didn't know any of the settings or whatever. Um, but I started filming because I was hurt at the end of the year, weird, uh, and had surgery or During something. During surgery time? Yeah, surgery time. And a year, <laughs> surgery time. Uh, so I got. All my friends, my cousin Greg, uh, you know, he was rugby and football, and he just moved into my house, and we all just I was special eight, Greg, right? Special Greg. Yeah. I was eighteen, had my own place, and all the fun toys, and I was hurt, yeah. so I would just get out on the bobcat and make jumps, and they'd jump and crash, and I'd film everything. And uh, Jim DeChamp was also living in my house, who was the first guy to front flip a actually first guy to front flip a mountain bike, and first guy to front flip a dirt bike without the. I remember ramp. that. Um, so we had a lot of guys doing a lot of stupid stuff and all the time. And I sent all the footage to Godfrey and he's like, ah, oh, this is the worst quality stuff I've ever seen. But everyone around him was like, dude, this is so great. He's like, damn it. He's like, all right, so maybe we'll do something with this. So he's like, Hey, I'm going to send you a, an app called final cut pro three. Okay. Now they're on like final cut, I don't know, 10 or 20 or whatever they're on. But, um, so it's just a computer editing app. So I was like, yeah, I want to And edit. you did that? So you, yeah, started yeah. editing. So I edited about half of night, the first Nitro. Um, and still do quite a bit of oh, I didn't know editing for 
stuff. I mean, there's yeah. obviously a lot better people, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. But you enjoy, can do it. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy <laughs> it. Well, there's just people that do it a lot faster. Yeah. They have all the shortcuts that I, I don't figure it out. But, but yeah, so I was hurt. So I just started editing. So we started putting stuff together and doing short clips. And it, so that changed my life because it was right around the time that I was pretty much getting out of racing or I wanted to race, but I was hurt all the time. And all of a sudden we're filming and yeah, I'm hurt, but I'm still, it's not just like training and riding. It's like kind of hanging out with your friends yeah. and having fun. And yeah. yeah. Like you start all of a sudden you're, you're digging and you're doing all these horrible tasks, but it's still fun. And I'm like, man, I'm having more fun digging BMX dirt jumps in my front yard with a shovel than I had winning a supercross. I was mm. like, this is kind of weird, but, um, I just like that concept, that camaraderie and that, that, Hey, so we came out the first video and then Godfrey's like, hey, okay, yeah, we didn't make much, but here's $30,000 travel budget. I'm like, wait, we got $30,000 to to film stuff? He's like, yeah, you know, where do we want to go? I'm like, let's go to Costa Rica. So we went to Air and All, Costa Rica. We got, you know, at this point, uh, you know, Red Bull's starting to come on and help uh, with different sponsors. And they're like, yeah, this actually, the video was pretty good. It reached X amount of people. It was before YouTube. Yeah. Or YouTube might've started, but it wasn't yeah. early, early days. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't this thing. Um, street bike. Tommy became a, a, a legend. <laughs> I don't know how that guy lived. It's still one of the ugliest crashes I've ever seen. It's bad. Uh, but yeah, and hey, he's it was just he, fun. He's okay. Yeah, he, well, he pulled out of it. All right. Pulled out of that. All right. Femurs or something, right? Yeah. The, the tip fib. I think he got his femur and his ACL. Oh, his heel. Yeah, it was bad. But so I guess where that. So that was Nitro Circus that turned into the MTV. So, so program, why that right? turned into TV is when Evil Knievel passed away. Um, I got a call from Matt Hoffman, uh, BMX Matt Hoffman. Condor. Condor, hell yeah. Uh, that's, we're dating ourselves, but yeah, no. <laughs> I do one of my, do, still to this day, uh. my all time, like if I have a hero of all heroes, it, it's Matt Hoffman. Just legend. But. So Matt calls me. He's like, hey, I just got a call uh, from Johnny Knoxville, and they're doing a tribute to Evil Knievel. And Knoxville wants to know if you can write down some ideas on a piece of paper, and they might have you do something. I was like, okay, cool. So I wrote Knoxville like 15 pages. And I got a call from Johnny that afternoon. He's like, uh, can you do any of this? I said, I don't know. We'll try it all. And uh, a week later, we're out in California, and we're in some of the studios and we could never get a, have a meeting. Greg Godfrey and I like, Hey guys, we want to do a TV show. <laughs> yeah, whatever. We walked in with Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine and we go in and Knoxville has a whole bunch of, of duct tape balls with really long wicks. Okay. And he just walks in fire in the hole. Like just people like poor interns and everybody at, at MTV, they're all on phones and he just lights this wick and throws it, lights another wick and throws it. There's people diving over desks. There's people like all phone calls are dropped and the wicks just go into a, like it looks, they're thinking it's bombs and it's Knoxville. So it, and it just goes into a nothing. duct tape, nothing. And we walk in and the whole office is just shoveled and just, it's hilarious. Well, of what studio? What is this? This is wherever they do MTV. Like okay. they had a bunch MTV of, studios though. Yeah. But it's like, uh, whatever the, their network. Okay. They, yeah. But it's a big network. Yeah. So we walk in and, uh, Knoxville's like, Hey, you guys just don't talk. All right. We got this. Like, All right. Like we're going to get thrown out. We're going to get thrown in jail for what just happened. But Okay. And uh, Jeff Tremaine, so they said, so what is this new show you guys have? And Tremaine goes, wait, Johnny, you take it. Knoxville's like, I got this. It's like jackass, but they don't do drugs. <laughs> and he sits back down. I'm like, all right, sold. Like, that we was shouldn't that easy? talk because that's the pitch you wanted to give? 
That was it, that was it. That's all that was said. And then but we they had to show it? it on TV. They bought it. It was great. It's good to have pull, right? So I guess it is who you know, not necessarily what you're presenting. We, I feel like we had some decent pitches beforehand, and we couldn't even get a we couldn't even get in the front door. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's great. So that uh, obviously did well. Um, and then did that lead to the Nitro World Games? That was sort of a spinoff from that. Um, or when did that? Yes come and in? no. So we went. We started live. Do, did a live tour. Um, the guys that did the Crush Teams the Dirt tour. They said, "Look, these tours are extremely successful, um, but the guys they're they've destroyed all the relationships. We we can't go to any of the hotels anymore. We had to mm-hmm. change the the name. They just he goes, we like the show." Um, but it's it's too out of control for we we can't do this as a business. Mm. So he said, I like Nitro. You guys seem similar, but it's it's about family. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's not the the part sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of kind of thing. It's you know, it, it's families. It's people that love what they do. And the difference between like Nitro, like there's a lot of everyone tries to be cool in action sports. Nitro is not the cool guys. Nitro are the people. That, I don't care if you're on. We had Pogo Fred, Pogo Stick out on the first one. He was one of the best <laughs> best acts. If you're we got rollerbladers. We got yeah. uh, scooters. We I've got been. I, yeah. I went to the show at San Diego at, at Qualcomm. Yeah. I don't know, three or four years Stone ago. Like, it's it's good entertainment. It's fun. You can tell you guys are just having fun. It goes like exactly in your down your path of what you like in your wheelhouse. Yeah. So we don't care if you're if you're the best in the world. You got to be good, um, and you got to you got to either be doing something no one else can do, or uh, one of the best at what, what you do. That's how you get in a nitro. But um, all the guys. They, they go and they shake hands. They sign autographs. So they're from the first person that gets there to the last person's gone. They do a, a really, it's just a good, solid, wholesome-ish group. Yeah. I mean, everyone's yeah. got their quirks, but like it's, uh, so we got brought on to do the, the live tour, um, which was pretty cool. And then in the live tour, every we have a triple backflip, double front flip train. Okay. Like where all the BMX guys are doing triple backflips. And like, that's like your, your entry level. You have to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And we're looking at, so then, you know, we, we go back and I'm filming for a video and we've got a quadruple backflip on a BMX bike and a triple backflip on a dirt bike that just happened in my backyard. And I watch X Games and a single front flip wins best trick. And I'm looking at the year before, like no one even does a double backflip. I'm like, no one's even doing a double and yet we're doing triples. And we've got on BMX bikes, no one did a double backflip because the jump was too flat on Mega. And we got trains with every single rider doing triples because our ramps are better. Mm. Like these ramps haven't evolved since 2002, and they expect mm. like that's why the sport's going stagnant. So, I said, look, we don't want to take over X Games. X Games is like the Olympics, but we want to be the big air of action sports. And a scooter's not cool. Who cares? You guys used to X Games used to have, um, like I said, downhill shovel racing. Yeah, like Spiker Sherlock. Like yeah. it, it was fun because it wasn't cool. It was fun because it was fun. Yeah. So we want to be the fun. And that's the same thing we did with uh, Nitro Rallycross. And we were able to get, shoot, we got Kyle Busch came over and raced with us. So did Chase Elliott, two cup yeah. champions, just because it looked fun. Yeah. Joey Logano wants to do the whole championship next year. Did they? <laughs> did the guys that do it enjoy it? I mean, did the Chase and those guys come out of there going, that was rad? Or were they kind of like, okay, that was fun, but I'm, I'm not doing that again? No, I think uh, Kyle might be doing more rounds, uh, same with Chase, um, okay. which is really cool, especially because they race... Shoot, they probably race 100 races a year. So. I just wonder with like the jumps. I mean, you guys had some pretty big gaps, and yeah, Kyle had his track was the jumpiest track we had on the championship in Phoenix. It was gnarly. Yeah, and he did it. He flew it nose down. He 
Couldn't figure out how to get the car level, but he did a good job. I mean, that, that's got to be out of their wheelhouse, right? They've so never done that. So far out of his wheelhouse, but he ended up fourth, and then Chase made the final in ninth, like which is really really good. I'm gonna get Kyle Larson. I think would would probably beat us. He's he's phenomenal. But okay. um, what was cool about that was it just showed that there's so many drivers that want to have fun mm-hmm. that they race what they do and they they do it for a living. Um, but when they came over, it was kind of like Villapoto before he became Villapoto now. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Kyle, how you doing? Or, you know, like meaning like you enjoying it. And he said, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm two seconds off. Pay. I'm like, dude, that's, that's really good. He's like, look to me. I'm like, I, I know you expected to beat me for sure. So I'm not even going to say anything. You are Kyle Busch. Like that's, that's awesome. But I'm like, do you enjoy the jumps? He's like, yeah, flies a little nose down. I think I'm losing a little time. I'm like, yeah, but are you enjoying and they, he could not comprehend that lap times had any, all the He's bearings. back to the Cincerillo mentality, right? That's of just like lap times, lap times, like, lap times. Yeah. And the same thing, Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott has, Chase Elliott has a little bit more fun. And he's, dude, most mellow, laid back guy. And I raced him quite a bit growing up through, or not growing up, but um, through the K&N series. Yeah. And like, he was like 15 kicking my ass then. But like, we were a little more competitive than yeah. now a cup champion at 24 or whatever. Um, but... He was just so chilling. He's like, hey, you want to jump out of my plane? And then they wouldn't let him jump out of his plane, but he borrowed another plane and went skydiving the morning of, like, the world championships. And just he just had a blast. But at the same time, he was more about the lap times, too. At the end, like, he was scared to death of the jump. Man, he had a... a, Really? It was was one of the smaller jumps, but it had... It was... There wasn't a lot of room. There was, like, a three-mile-an-hour room for, for margin, kind of. Oh, Oh, God, he was scared. Do you tell them, like, you kind of pre-run and go, okay, guys, the speed for this is this? Yeah, so um, that's been interesting. Like, you got a couple guys that can do it. You got, um, uh, you know, obviously Ken Block, a lot of the Americans, but a lot of the Europeans that come over, they they don't know really anything about jumping. Um, And then you got a couple different divisions with the lights uh, cars and the supercars, so Uh they all have different speeds and whatever. Um, But I go, I hit it on motorcycle first. So I never build a jump that you have to jump faster than 73, 74 miles an hour. Um, because one, I can't jump on a dirt bike and two, I just feel like that's, if someone goes into a tree or something like the worst case scenario, I feel like that's a pretty good gauge. Um, so for me, it was a difficult job this year trying to make sure to balance that I wanted to go out there and hit hit all the jumps on a dirt bike, get the speeds, all the speeds, minimum, maximum. And a car flies the same up until about 70 miles an hour because that's aerodynamics start changing then. Um, wind resistance basically is more than weight. But the motorcycle will fly the same. So I can get within a half mile an hour minimum speed because I can pretty much case it. Yeah. And then maximum speed, like, go until I'm, like, landing where I'm like, oh, that's that's probably going to hurt your back if you can't stand up. Um, so we do everything there. And then I go, and I'd like to do it in a car. But for a couple of the events, towards the end, I'm battling for the championship. I'm like, if I touch a car out there, like, I would like to. Um, but then we get, you know, I just tell, like, Tanner Faust. I'm like, hey, can you go out there and hit this? Just, or who, one of the other. Yeah. Supercar guys, just because you don't want them to be like, well, he's got more track time. Yeah, which really it's just me destroying the Subaru, like my car, trying to get the jump dialed in. But, but yeah, so it's um, Hmm. it it was an interesting role this year to be in charge of kind of a few different elements of a series and um, to to go into the the finals with you know a chance to win it. Yeah, well, and you won. I mean, it was amazing, amazing thing to watch that whole deal. I I saw the Glen Helen race and uh, super super fun. Is that Building some speed, like you think next year it'll be Huge. back and bigger. Yeah, way way bigger. It's yeah. I think for are, are the European like so for people that don't really follow rally, and I'm not super following it closely, but from what I understand, a world rally is like 
supercross here maybe or something yeah. and you know what i mean if that is the premier rally racing series in the world yeah i mean they get 40,000 50,000 spectators to to rallies and uh, but the the courses are, are there's a lot of bumping and a lot of there's a lot of stuff that they've been getting less and less cars there was up to like 30 supercars on the on the grid and they still have some good in the nordic area um rally still still huge yeah. uh but we got the the two, uh, 2020 world champion uh and the best team from this year uh those guys came over the hansons and they we got to compete against the best yeah. and that added so much um kind Value. of validation yeah. to to what we're doing over here and now we got we got guys from indycar guys from nascar guys um from you know the world championship from wrc from every different aspect they're like man this looks fun mm -hmm. and it's something it's one of the few motorsports right now that's that's really building and i think everyone's a little scared this year and i was so stoked of the drivers that came in i mean scott speed you know you got to time the jumps and he went too far and he broke his back and uh two years ago but he came back he said look that was my fault i was trying to get that extra you know tenth of a second he goes i gotta picture this like corners he's like i couldn't wrap my head around a jump being an element it was just hit it wide open so that's what we had to break not metaphorically hopefully not physically uh, the mentality of like oh, even off-road i believe we can have so much more technical stuff yeah and so much more like motocross or supercross can you imagine supercross you come in and just hit every jump wide open and then complain because like, hey, hurt. that hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. So I think they've right never now, had to deal with that technicality before. You know, the timing and stuff, right? But by the end of the championship, all the drivers were starting to get the jumps. They were starting to figure out how they had to fly their cars. Every car flies different. I can't tell you how to fly a front engine car to a rear engine car to how your downforce is set up to, to for the weight distribution. But I can tell you how fast you have to hit it and where it's going to land. You got to yeah. figure out how yeah. to get it to fly. That's just cool. But yeah. so many more people now that they saw it made it a whole year, no injuries, limited car damage. The car damage comes from, I think, the tracks, uh, you know, if the tracks aren't set up right. But it doesn't come from the jumps. And I feel like yeah. that was a huge. It's more hitting each other, hitting stuff or what? Yeah. So my biggest thing now is coming in and the tracks in, in Europe, there's just so much. And then they don't allow bumping. And we had the last track in, in uh, for our championship. Unfortunately, we had more pavement. Which pavement can be good, but there was a lot of 90-degree corners and 180s and short where it kind of balls up. And then you have a lot of contact. Impact, yeah. As opposed to, like, Glen Helen was dirt and super wide. It was fun. I yeah. mean, it was really simple track, but it was super fun. Yeah. Sometimes those, you know, just like Supercross, sometimes just because there's more jumps or more technical doesn't always make better racing. Sometimes it's just the layout, right? Yeah. No, for sure. Um, okay, tell me about, like you got so, dude, you have so much stuff you've done. Tell me about boat racing. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you jumped into this for a little bit. I just saw a video of you racing one, and you guys connected with another boat. I'm like, that's got to be sketchy. And what are you looking at? There's not windows in there, is there? There's, they're really small. Yeah. It's like NASCAR. So. <laughs> so I got to drive when COVID hit. I had the opportunity. They needed an American driver because okay. the, the driver, the, the guys were from England. They couldn't get over during COVID. The mm. throttleman could. He's got citizenship, uh, Steve Curtis. And so how does that work? One guy's just doing throttle and one guy's steering? So the throttleman has a lot more. The throttleman has to... So in we had twin 1,100 horsepower turbo. So twin turbo 1,100. 2,400 horsepower, four turbos on these. You hit the gas at 60 and you're, you're pushed in the seat. That's incredible. Miss Geico was, it was a fantastic boat, but it's a cat. 
50 foot it just gets up and goes and you're offshore you're going you know six foot rollers just do like it's like an off-road truck it's it's brilliant but i had a eight-time world champion and he goes look we can't get our driver over we want to drive <laughs> sign me up that sounds great yeah. so went in and we won technically with an asterisk the world championship um why the asterisk uh because it's the world championship but it was basically like the miami uh rich guys oh. and, and because all you. the other countries <laughs> couldn't, couldn't come over in, in 2020. Um, so big asterisks. But still, it was a great learning experience yeah. for me. And I'm like, man, this is cool. Like, it felt like a car. Like, I understand this. Scary as all hell. And then my, my buddy. What speeds are you guys doing through that kind of water? 150-ish. Through offshore, off. I mean, waves yeah. breaking. Yeah. And oh, it's, it's cool. But the cats, especially with Steve Curtis at the at the Throttleman, dude, it's pretty smooth. And, like, it, it's it's a good boat. Like, it's a, you know. $5 million a year program. Like they've got their shit together. Right. Yeah. So then I got my buddy, Britt Lilly. Okay. And he runs V bottom boats, multiple time world champion. It would basically be like the, the Arca, uh, and the arena cross like champion. Okay. And he's like, you got to come race this. So I was wheelman with him once and that went horrible. I didn't V bottom. If you, if you're leaning right and turn right, it, it goes right. So we were going down the first straightaway and I had yeah, to do every, a different feel. everything opposite to what uh, we almost rolled just getting to the first turn. Now, these boats top out at like 90 miles an hour, so like half the speed of the catch, right? Yeah. They, it's like taking a shifter cart through the Baja 1000. Yeah, I mean, whiplash. Yeah. It is the gnarliest ride you've ever been in in your entire life. And, dude, scariest thing I've ever done in my life. So we switched. And I'm like, I want to be the throttleman. So now I'm adjusting. the. So you, you add bow weight, like ballast, and you can... Bilge pump so you're it just, out. are you just, oh, you're adding weight with water. It's not just trim. So you got trim. So you got right trim, like your right side and your left side that kind of like balances the boat out. Um, and then you got the, the trim on the, the engine that comes up and down yeah. and then you got ballast. So he's just yelling out. Now he's a couple time world champion. He's yelling out what to do. And we go down the first straightaway. He's like, all right, we got to put ballast in quick because we got no weight in the front, but we take off and we only got X amount of horsepower. And he goes, we have to be as light as possible. So as soon as we take off, get the ballast in. We round the first turn, and all the waves are coming in. It hits. Rogue wave. Straight up. All I see is sky. 80 miles an hour. Down. Hits. Turns. Water's coming in through the top. There's a boat to our left that I don't know. We went under him or over him. The boat to our right, the guy lands, and he's like it didn't. They didn't get as lucky. They didn't have quite as much ballast in. He rips open the canopy. He breaks his femur. So this poor guy's, and we got two oh. more classes. We're the, like the top class in our, yeah, like whatever. So there's two more classes of boats coming through at 100 miles an hour, and he's swimming in open water oh. with a broken femur. Oh, it's great. You go love boat racing. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, it sounds. Uh... So we're, we're racing a championship this year, but I don't get Britt Lilly as my wheelman. I'm, I'm back on the. The throttle, okay. which is way above my pay grade, uh, and or skill level, I guess I should say. And then I got Jim York, who's the pit viper guy that crashes everything. So oh. between two of us, but it's gonna be some boat damage. Is that what I you're hope not. We bought the boat, so <laughs> I, if, if we if we sink it once, we're done. And this is the V bottom that you're gonna race. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the twisted V. We got twisted T as a sponsor. Perfect. <laughs> Couldn't be better. The cats are they more expensive than obviously? Yeah, there's this. That's like we a got like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar boat compared to like a million dollar boat. So, yeah, but they're more fun. So you're gonna do some more of that. You like that? Yeah, I like that a lot. That's it good. seems like it's right up your alley. Yeah. Um, so the the breathalyzer in the morning. They do breathalyzer breathalyzer for everybody. They 
<laughs> they don't do breathalyzers. So I was like, hey, what, what do I need to do to, to get in here? What do we need? Suits and helmets and Hans and whatever? Like, uh, not whatever you need to go swimming in. You know, if you fall out, you'll be in that. So, yeah, board shorts. That's like, your uh, race kit, board shorts. Board and... shorts, T-shirt. You know, you can uh, church it up a little with a collared shirt or something. <laughs> um, so I had my open face helmet. I'm in there. I'm going to run our Hans this next year. I, this some of the worst whiplash I ever had. And they, they run in, um, so nothing on their feet. They just either uh, barefoot or they got sandals. So there's water coming in. I thought the... the no, the it, it's tr- supposed to be sealed, but when you submarine a boat at 80 miles an hour, sometimes it's not quite perfectly sealed, mm. but it popped back up. It was great. So we come in. They said, okay, yeah, you don't need anything for a license. Just show up. I'm like, all right, so you got to get a APBA or whatever license, but there's no like real requirements, at least huh. th- that I figured out. So we showed up. And they're like, okay, so everyone's going to go out or everyone's going to have a few beers tonight, but you just got to be able to catch a stick tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you get three tries to catch a stick. And if you can't catch, so they put a stick under your hand, like a broomstick, broom handle, and they drop the broom handle. And you got to grab it. And you got to grab it. And they're like, oh, but if you miss the broom handle, then you give your breathalyzer. So you got to be a <laughs> Wow, so it's a pretty loose program over there. It, it's like racing <laughs> in the 80s, man. It's great. Before my time, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> Uh, no, sorry. I, this sounds worse. There, there's obviously, yeah. There's rules and regulations. Of course, but it definitely sounds a little looser. Okay, NASCAR. Uh, Ricky's tried this. Um, Reed has wanted to try it. I feel like we have all these guys that want to go to NASCAR because they're amazing motorcycle racers, and it just doesn't seem to translate. Um, you and Rally and Wardy and in, in open wheel racing, I think, are the only two guys. Off-road trucks. Off-road trucks translate straight. It's a d- direct correlation. Sure. I suppose so. I, I just mean like uh, road race stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's NASCAR or open wheel, it's it's a very different animal. Um, or why are more guys not successful? I mean, I, I, I think it's crazy that we think we can just do that. Just because you're a good racer and you can drive go-karts. These kids have been driving karts since they were three, right? The NASCAR guys, right? They start at a very young age. It would be like saying, I'm really good at golf. I'm going to go race Supercross next year. A uh, little more translation than that. But, yeah, I'm good at golf, so I'm going to go play. Uh, or I'm good at rugby, so I'm going to come over and play NFL. Okay. Yeah. There. Yeah, that's, that's maybe a better metaphor. Um, <laughs> sorry. But I, for me, when in doubt, throttle out has been my model. Like a G. Michelle Bale going and racing MotoGP kind of makes a little bit of sense because he was super smooth. He was very yeah. meticulous. Um, so if you look at an open-wheel racer, generally you're looking at someone that just they're a little OCD they, how they present themselves, how they carry themselves is how they, you have to be as a driver. Your braking point at 200 miles an hour has to be within a millisecond is worth so much time because, uh, yeah. you know, it's just, it has it, to be. It, it gets incrementally perfect. bigger at speeds, right? Higher speeds. NASCAR is less uh, of a fine-tuned. And you see that in the, the drivers and how they carry themselves and how they just are in their personalities and who's successful in that. Like I said, nature over nurture, nurture over nature. Um, I feel like you, seem, you see similar people that get involved in similar things. I feel like NASCAR is very similar to motocross. Um, the tracks, even though it looks the same, they change as they start to, uh, to groove up, as rubber starts to get in there, as the, mm. uh, the sun starts setting, as it, it, one track, side of the track gets hotter, the other side. It, there's a lot to NASCAR. I didn't know anything. I was... Yeah, yeah. Cole Trickle jumped in. Oh, this sounds like fun. Why yeah. can I do it? Um, learned a lot, uh, but like motorcycles, you can carry the bike. I swear, Ricky Carmichael, uh, back two thousand four, whatever five, could have won the outdoor championship on a box stock bike straight out of the straight out of the crate. Maybe even not even adjust to the clickers. I think he would have been competitive for that championship. Um, and I, I honestly believe that you're not going to do that 
with a NASCAR. You need to not only know what the car is doing, but what the team, what you'd recommend the team to do. And you got a good crew chief and they can kind of see this stuff and, and that works. But you're not going to just, like, I would qualify well a lot and I would go out there and, you know, the first rounds, you'd be like, all right, I'm running fifth. I'm pretty excited about this. Like, whatever. They said, what change do you want? Like, car's perfect. Don't change anything. I'd go out and, like, like running 25th. I'm like, were those the other cars? But the guys do such a good job. They're very smart. They're very articulate. They're, um, they work very, very hard at what they do. They're always driving. So if you look at a Kyle Larson, phenomenal driver. But every Monday, he's racing dirt track. And every Tuesday, he's racing go-karts. And every Wednesday, he's racing whatever. And then Thursday, yeah. you're doing the, the, the you know, and everything is, is on the clock. It's all timed. It's all, so you take the best drivers in the U.S. And then you have them drive every single day of their life where it's always on the clock. And they, everything that you do, you can learn a little bit about the next race. And it's right. so hard to jump in there. And especially, I'm not saying that, that Ricky or myself or, or Rick Johnson didn't uh, put in 100% effort. But there's less motivation, I feel, when you come in from a, a different sport and everyone's like, oh, well, it's not a motorcycle. And they're like, no, but I want to do it in cars. And I really, I wanted to do well. But when I looked at how much time the other guys were putting in and I was married to, to Lindsay and then had our first kid and I'm like, I can see right now that the Chase Elliott's and the Larson's and all the guys that I was battling at the time, Brett Moffat's, they're already better than I am at 18 and they're putting in every second of every day. I'm not, at this point in my life, I'm not willing yeah. to do that. Plus... I don't think I could anyway because my whole style in motocross, when in doubt, throttle out. You grab a handful. Carmichael, same deal. Uh, off, Off-road, when you have all-wheel drive, rally suits my style because when shit hits the fan, if I'm aiming the front tires and I'm on the gas, that car's it's going that direction. The more horsepower you have, the faster things happen. But as long as you're aiming and you don't panic, shoot, that Jim Conna car this year up uh, Mount Washington hit 144 miles an hour on a road that's 10 mile an hour speed limit i mean it's yeah thousand foot cliff let's go you are an idiot that's all i can really tell you about <laughs> some of these things you're doing it's wild to me um so the nascar thing was it fun blast fun cool learning experience but just yeah like, just to your point yeah you you're all, you're so far behind these kids because really it's got to be just about seat time right like you're saying they're working five, six days a week driving something, even if you drove every single day, you wouldn't get to the seat time they're at, you know what I mean, for 10 years. Yeah, and, and the guys, they're, they're good, and mm. they're getting better, like mm. with motocross, like with everything. Um, but I think, you know, Carmichael, myself, like we're just not used to not being able to make time on sheer will. Yeah, yeah, I want yeah. to go faster, let's go faster. A NASCAR, you can't make go faster yeah like, the, the throttle stops at a certain point down there doesn't it? <laughs> not even that i mean yeah the mile and a half are some of the scariest everyone's like oh you must have been bored shit no i was hanging on for dear life if you're not i was at a uh, bristol motor speedway and uh who was it trevor uh, trevor bain was my teammate and we went out first couple laps <clears throat> he's sitting second i'm sitting eighth and i'm like shoot there's only a couple tents but he's like what's going on i'm like man i'm I'm driving. It's everything he's got. I got nothing more. He said, well, are you sliding the fronts or the backs? I was like, um, backs. He's like, and the fronts? I said, no. He said, well, you're not in a four-wheel drift? No. He's like, well, then you have more grip in the front, so figure it out. I'm like, what do you mean? 
He's like, well, just because the fronts are sliding or the back's sliding doesn't mean that that's as fast as you can go. It just means that if until all four wheels are sliding equally, you haven't mm. maximized the car. Mm. It was just like, oh, so we got it's got to be a four-wheel drift now. So I need to come in hotter, right? And No, I just got to set up the car to where, because you can only go so fast. Those cars are so hard to keep under you, mm. especially at high speeds. Like 180 miles an hour, it steps out, it's gone. So is that a weight bias thing or a... a they can do everything. It can mm. be a weight bias. It can be a, a track arm. They can adjust. There's so many different yeah. adjustments, and that's where that's rally, where that understanding of it is good for them, huh? Right? Like knowing how to be like no different than suspension. A guy can only watch so much, but if it's if you're like it's too far down in the stroke, if you can't relay that, he yep. might make wrong adjustments. So if you're in a car going, you think it's too stiff going through the whoops, mm-hmm. but really you're just you know, it's just packing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like a lot of times I go in the corner and I'm like, oh, we're super tight in the the middle. We're super tight in the middle, and they keep tightening it up. And I'm like, it's it's getting it's. No, I'm trying to like loosen the. So when I say tight, it means it's not turning; it's pushing yeah. up the track. But it was really so they kept loosening the car up to make it rotate more. But I was loose coming in, but I'm like I can handle loose. I'm fine with loose. But when it starts to settle in, then it pushes the the car, makes it tight. So I'm working on a problem up here because of the problem that I didn't realize was a problem back here. And mm. there's drafting, there's all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day. Pavement racing and rear-wheel drive racing does not suit, in general, a motocrosser mentality. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, throttle out of Ricky Carmichael, of me, of Rick Johnson, of Bob Hanna, we're not going to... We can get okay, but we're not going to be the best. Mm. It's just not what we innately... It's not what we've been good at the rest of our lives. Gotcha. Um, the Evil Knievel jumps you did, were those important to you? Were those cool? I mean, was that a neat experience, or was that pretty basic for you? Because it seems like those jumps weren't... I don't know. Wasn't that tough for you if, I, if so, I'm looking at it compared to the other stuff you've done? So, and then you've missed the point. So for me, we had an opportunity with Nitro Circus where we, different networks pitch different things. They always come and every month they say, okay, we're looking for this type of show or this type of show. So Nitro goes back and they think, what can we do? So history says, we want a live stunt event that has history that we can build something up. And I, th- I think it was... Um, uh, Dave Mateus, and he goes, Evil Knievel. He's like, let's go. I said, well, okay, if we're going to do this, what are we going to need? He's like, we need to, let's replicate a jump. I said, well, which was the best jump? I said, I want to jump Caesar's Fountain. He's like, oh, we got to have Greyhound buses. Then what about the car jump? What about Wembley? What about all this stuff? I said, okay. So we made a call to uh, made a call to Caesar's, Caesar's Palace. And they were like, yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. When do you want to do it? It's like, shit, Greyhound. Okay, we're in. So we said, okay. So we went back basically to the network and said, hey, we want to bring in three generations. We want to show my dad's generation where the stuntman went, that it didn't die, that it went into action sport. And we want to show the scooter riders and the, the motocross or whatever where the notion that you could jump a dirt bike, where stunts came from, where action sports started. Mm. And we were able to put together this package that I really thought did a pretty good job of bringing these generations together where I could, like I heard grandparents and, and uh, kid, you know, telling their their grandkids and sitting down, and actually watching this. It's the number one cable show of the year, and I think a lot of that was because it was the one time that, you know, as a grandparent, you could sit down and be like, "Hey, back in my day, I went to an Evil Knievel show, or we watched this, or this is what these are what the bikes were." So we brought in Roland Sands, and we tried to do it as authentic as possible. But it wasn't about me doing the jumps or breaking. I felt if we didn't do them bigger, that would be kind of a letdown to Evil. But it wasn't about breaking records right it was about kind of bringing the world together and having a platform that 
we could try to produce and show as well that Nitro, Nitro Circus was a media company. Mm. And we were able to do, a, I thought, a really good job of that. It was phenomenal. The, the production of it was great. And uh, the hist- historical tie-in was obviously really neat because, to your point, <laughs> like we talked about earlier, the Lawrence brothers not knowing who Jeff Matasevich was. I mean, I was just like, how do you not know him? But they weren't even born, you know, so I guess it makes sense. So people that don't know evil don't know what he did they got to learn about it and then you know the old old folks got to see oh those those kind of men didn't go away they're just doing this now so but i i, I talked to my kids i was like i get to do an evil can evil stunt and i felt like my biggest failure i've ever felt as a parent they, they both know. looked at me and said who's evil can evil <laughs> i was like all right <laughs> sit down kids yeah it's <laughs> just talk about time. two strokes and evil can evil <laughs> <laughs> well that was pretty cool what about uh jim Connor? Or Pastranicana, I guess they call it. Pastranicana. It was an amazing opportunity. Um, Ken Block, I, I can't be more appreciative for that guy. Um, great businessman. I, I guess it really kind of evolved in he was not necessarily trying to sell uh, Connor per se, but he's looking at it and he goes, okay, I can't, this Hoonigan uh, basically doesn't have much to sell unless it has... Um, Gymkhana. So I have to prove that there's someone else that can take these reins mm. and I have to prove that it can be successful. So we kind of talked about it for a couple of years and that's just Ken as his, his business perspective. Like he's still, he's super competitive and like obviously we battle and rally and all kinds of other stuff. And he kind of went back and forth with it for a while and he kind of surprised me. He's like, Hey, all right, you got it. It's like, what do you mean? I got it. He's like, you got it. Here's my parameters. You have to do proximity, like proximity driving close to death or near catastrophe um you have to pick an amazing location you have to have an amazing vehicle so we went to work and we said okay let's do the the most badass build we've ever done and it wasn't a great car for doing the gymkhana actually it was probably the worst car we could have built but we wanted to build a car that we could go to goodwood a car that we could go uh shatter the record at mount washington we want to build a race car yeah so subaru goes to work on building this race car that's honestly the hardest car i've ever had to drift in my entire life but uh that's all wheel drive anyway but it had a crap ton of power yeah. so that was awesome but all the downforce it was so hard to get to slide and when it slid it comes out of the road and it's backwards so you're like uh, oh that's why my face the whole time was was yeah you looked a little i thought i was gonna <laughs> die a little terrified in it the whole time but back to the whole, the whole business side of this this was really cool because subaru like rally hadn't been doing that great we're trying to get rally cross off the ground it takes such a huge budget but i'm like look i can bring you jim Connor. Back to Subaru, back to where it started. And if you give me, if I give you that, let's get not just me out there, because I had my deal set for, but I'm like, let's bring in another driver. Like, can we bring in someone else? Like, let's bring in a Seminook. Like, someone that's showing a lot of talent, that's putting a lot of their own money and time that we believe can be up there. Let's build up Rally, and I'll bring this to you. And then we're going to get Nitro Rallycross, where if I do Gymkhana, that name that I can establish there, hopefully, if we can do half as good as Ken's done with it, uh, we can use that to basically build off of so I can get uh, be able to sell the Nitro Rallycross with a little more authenticity and have some more views and grab some more sponsorship in this. So really use this as a business opportunity. Yeah. So became busy as all hell, but all because of Ken Block basically having the vision to say, look, I think I'd like Jim Connor to continue after I'm done and the legacy to, to go on. He goes, you got to break 20 million views. If you can't break 20 million views, he goes, you have failed me. 
Uh, I'm no longer your friend, no. <laughs> but, um, and we ended up, I think we're close to 50 million views right now. So it's, it was a, definitely a success. Yeah, I would say so. What was the sketchiest moment of that? Was there ever a scene or a, or a, a scene, a moment where you thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble? The, the, whole, the whole thing. Dude, the worst thing about Jim Connor, they're like, oh, you did it multiple times. I'm like, no, I'd do it as close as I could to like basically not dying the first time. And they're like, okay, now we're going to get the drone up. Do it exactly the same. And if you miss your line by like literally a foot from the first time where you just messed up in reverse and, and got through with an, by an RCH and you should have died. But if you miss that line, they're like, oh, well, our cameras were set up for that line. So uh, could you do it again over where the first line was? Or if the second one's better, like, oh, let's reposition. So you do the scariest thing you've ever done and you do it eight times. So you got the, the, the GoPros, the POVs. Now you're doing it in your hometown where you've tried to... Uh, finagle it to where no one watches because this town said city of annapolis said if you do this and people show up with covid we're going to shut you down we can't have people well, we got news channel two news channel five oh, no. hovering overhead downtown annapolis all of my daughters who hadn't both my daughters who didn't care at all about anything i've done are like dad we want to go see the stunt because all their cheer families had taking off work to go downtown so we got 10,000 people down there. Oh, no. So they're trying not to shut it down. The mayor's on our side, and he gets in trouble for having so many people down. And I jump Ego Alley with my one of my best friends who's driving Miss Geico underneath. So the speed limit in this place, and it's really narrow, is you know six-mile-an-hour, no-wake zone. He's driving 90 miles an hour <laughs> in Miss Geico. Super huge roost. I jump yeah. over him, and when it lands, pretty much lose control, backing it in, just trying not to... I thought I was going to valet park in the bar. Oh, a bar no. like we go to. Yeah. So like, and all friends, family, relatives, everyone's watching. And everything that we did, it's all historic. It's all like pristine yeah. downtown. I'm like, if I do you anything, I'm going to have up. to move. Yeah. But it's got to be big. It's got to be cool. Yeah. That was fun. That had to be cool for the, those people, your friends and family that did get to see that though, huh? One of the greatest experiences of my life. And uh, I think uh, hopefully have an opportunity to do another one. So yeah. I'm pretty stoked. That's rad, man. Um uh, let's see. I wanted to ask you about some of the guys that we've lost. Um, Mira, Shane McConkey. I don't know how, how close you knew Shane. Uh, Jeremy Lusk, Eric Rohner. Do, do, does losing these guys, and, and I know each one has a different set of circumstances, but you know they all kind of work in that same world, that action sports world. You guys are all sort of cut out of the same cloth. Does that affect you at all when, you, when those guys pass? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. And it's really hard for those uh, they leave behind. And you mm. see it a lot. Um, I didn't, I never met Shane, but through Eric Rohner, uh, I always, Shane McConkey, mm -hmm. sorry, skier free. And I, but the stuff that he was doing, I always kind of based what we did on what he did. I'm like, look, these guys are fine. They're doing stuff that's so crazy and they're, they're getting away with it. And then he dies on something like his foot doesn't come out of the, the, the binding. Um, you know, and he's already settling down. He's kind of past that point. And I feel like that happens a lot um, where you see people say, oh, I'm going to do one more year. I'm going to do one more. Or, I guess I'll, I'll retire after. If you're not all the way in, these sports really, they're, they're tough. You either yeah. have to love it and be, and, uh, anything can go wrong at any time. But Eric Rohner was our safety guy. So for me, for him to have, to die in a easy, not a base jump, not nearly anything that's as tough as he's done. And he's doing a little demo into a golf course. And he gets wind shear or something, and, and it goes in weird to a tree, and, and that's it. And he leaves behind 
two uh, amazing kids and a wife and they were good friends with with McConkie and, and his daughter and and it's so hard it's so hard on Annika and uh, his his wife on just you know and how she's dealt with it his kids are doing amazing but it's 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 difficult yeah. um so base jumping is something that or skydiving is something that Lindsay, my wife really is is not for she's like you make too many mistakes she's like no offense but like you just don't you don't get a second opportunity there yeah. um you know if you look at Lusk was on top of his game you know coming off of, of x games um you know it's dave mira dave's was a little bit of a different case but dave's i think there's a lot more cases similar to his that you don't really hear about um and that's just there's a lot of factors that go into it that we're seeing a lot in military that we're learning a lot from military. That's you have this, this amazing family, this amazing um, group and you're, you're doing amazing things and you're, you're living this life. That's, uh, that's beyond any video game you could ever do. Yeah. And you start having injuries and you start having pain and you know, sometimes you, those guys, they start taking uh, sleep medicine uh, or whatever and then are painkillers and, and start drinking more. They drink more and more as they stop being able to do the stuff they love. The only things that replace that are not normal life. They're just kind of bored. They don't have that, that camaraderie yeah. and they start, it's just one step after the next that leads kind of down these, these really dark roads. And I see, unfortunately for a lot of, uh, a lot of the people that have finished motocross uh, that even might've been good, might not have made it. Um, but, they're having a really hard time adjusting life. We found out with COVID, um, so many guys at Nitro, they didn't know how to get a job. I'm like, you guys go work at a bike shop or go do whatever. But they had been, their whole life has been these shows or these events yeah. or, or whatever. And when that goes away, not only do you lose your passion, but you lose all your best friends. They're not You don't lose them, but most of us don't live in the same area, but yeah. we get together at these events or we spend a month or two together on tour or you're on the, you see each other every weekend. So when you don't have that, there's such an emotional, uh, a mental uh, problem as, oh, as yeah. well. So, yeah, there's a massive, uh, you know, this, this whole pandemic has, has uh, pushed forward a lot of psychological problems for folks, you know, depression and it's a bummer, but it's, I just, I ask cause I, you know, between, concussions between the, the risks that you take. And there's a lot of this stuff that I feel would be, if I, if I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and to your point, like those guys go, all right, just, yeah, this will be my last thing or, or next year I'll probably call it good. Like when you get to that moment, like you said, where you start to question it, it was the same thing when I quit racing, I would be on the start line going, Oh man, okay. I, if I don't get the start, I'm a mid pack. Like you just start overthinking it. Right. And thinking of the consequences rather than just what you want to happen. You start thinking what could go wrong. And I think that's a man. That's a that should be a blinking light that hey, maybe it's time to do something different. Yeah, and you can do everything right and still get it wrong, and everything yeah. wrong and still get it right. It's just it's life. Yeah, um, that's it's tough. Is there a stunt you wish you'd have done that you never got to pull off? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but it there's not one like your uh, your white whale. White whale was I, I double backflip three sixty. Um, I, I literally, I did that the first time, uh, nitro circus one DVD on a mountain bike. And I was like, this is cool. I wish we could do this on a dirt bike. And then we started doing flips on dirt bikes. Then we started doing double flips and then flips with spins. And the dumbest part about that trick was that 
I had landed twice to mulch, both times put a foot down, count it, don't count it, I don't really care. Um, but a backflip 360. The problem was, if you pull as hard as you can for a flip and as hard as you can for a spin, you do a backflip in a 180. And it's really easy to do a backflip in 180 or even a slightly over-rotated 270, um, kind of like Deegan did the first militia twist, mm -hmm. where it kind of it just comes in off axis. Yeah. But it's so hard to get that back down the landing. So what I've realized with that, I'm like, well, if I just have more time in the air, and I pull as hard as I can, and I lean as hard as I can, and I just keep pulling and leaning, it's two flips and one full spin, instead of one flip and a half spin, because a half spin doesn't do you no, damn bit good on a half spin's bike. a bad deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... That was cool, and no one really believed it or understood it, but that's one of the things, like Trevor Jacob, he's kind of a freak of nature, and he was like, yeah, that, I, I see this working. This, it's like a snowboard track. It's a double cork 1080. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, it's, it's gnarly looking. Like, I saw the ones you landed to mulch, and, I mean, you crashed probably, I don't know how many times before you nailed that one, but it's amazing looking. If you could get that and stick it, it would just be, yeah, it'd be incredible looking. You know what I mean? You think you'll try it anymore, or you think you're, nah, you're done on it? No, no, I'm good. I, yeah. I, I'm upset. <laughs> I got other dumb stuff to think about, but it won't be that. But no, like getting back to that and selfishly thinking of how it applies to me or how it applies to, to you, like directly, um, like death. Like I still do a lot of stuff that puts everything at, at risk for mm -hmm. sure. But I want my kids to grow up to see the amount of work and the amount of passion and what it takes to, to be able to do what you love to do. Um, I think everyone sees just on the top. I kind of mentioned a little bit uh, at the beginning, but the amount of work and effort and time and dedication it takes to be the best at anything. Um, I don't care if it's ping pong. Like it, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, but we also have this amazing opportunity to have more fun than pretty much anyone on the face of the earth and to, to be able to chase our dreams and to show your kids that, you have to work hard to get what you want, but you can, if you work hard enough and you put yourself in the right position, you surround yourself with the right people, you can get there and you can still enjoy life. And I feel yeah. like for me, showing them that, because right now, if I were to retire right now and, you know, which I don't think with our personalities that we could ever really do that, but what am I going to do? Like, am I going to go sit in front of the TV and show my kids just to be lazy? And like, no, like I want to, or be an, a cheer dad that's like, come on, don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> Throw her higher. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm pretty passionate about what I do yeah. and I feel like it's important. I would rather risk and you've got to be calculated. And if it's ever not worth it or I don't, I'm not passionate about it, then I'm not showing them anything anyway. I'm showing them how to just breeze through at a top five. Like, I want to show them what it takes to be the best at something. Yeah. Does make sense? I love that. That's awesome. Uh, how how have kids and and starting a family? Uh, what are your kids? Five and six? Yep, no, so, yep uh, six and eight. Six and eight. Um, how much has that changed your life, or how has that changed your perspective on things? Being married and and having kids. Um, I think risk to reward is always changing. You have, you know, basically like at X Games at fifteen years old. Hey, I'm either going to join the military. I'm going to go work construction. Or I'm going to land this train. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it matters. Where, not that it doesn't matter now. Now you do it for yourself or, or whatever. But there's, uh, there's more, the, the risk, if it gets too high, it doesn't outweigh what the, the reward for, for winning yeah, it is. Because sure. you, you have the family. You have yeah. the, the kids. And you want to, I want to be walking. Yeah. I want to you know, be able to spend those awesome times that my dad and mom be able to do with me. Um, so having said that, 
uh, I just feel that it's, if anything, motivated me to use my time more wisely. Mm. Um, a lot of times my wife's like, you're, you're not 22 anymore. Like, what are you doing? And you kind of got to rein in certain areas of certain things or, yeah, there's certain times that, like with NASCAR where I realized I'm like, I'm not good enough to get there without sacrificing yeah. everything else. And I'm just, not and I, might, I might not be good enough to get there anyway, but I'm not willing to ruin what I have to get something I, I don't know if I can get. Yeah. But if I think I can get there, I think it's worth it. And it's, I think that family helps motivate you to say, okay, every second that I spend at the gym, every second that I spend away from home, I'm going to be doing everything that I can. You know, we were filming last night, actually, actually early night. It was like 11 o'clock. Um, you know, here, like whatever it is, but like I'm not going to take a day off and go yeah. dilly-dally. If I'm away from home, which my family is Maryland right now and I'm California, like let's do everything that yeah. we can to make it worth it. So when I go home, I can be there as a dad, as a husband, and to be engaged. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely makes you, especially as they get older, you know, like my girls are in high school now and they got an eighth grader and a freshman. And like, I just see that time coming quick where they're gone, you know, four years, three, four years, they're gone. That's, that's like pretty gnarly. You know what I mean? Like, wow. I, my, I've raised kids and they're gone. I don't, you know, maybe they move across the country. I see them at Christmas and Easter or whatever. That's heavy. It starts to really make you appreciate your time that you have with them, you know? For me, anyway. No, you, you can't get it back. That's what every dad says. You can't get it back. So. I know. And you hear that and you think, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, old man. But it's, it's totally true. Uh, tell me about the America's Got Talent thing. Or what can you tell me about it anyway? You're out here um, doing the it's AGT Extreme. So I got a call from Simon Kyle, and he goes. Was that a weird call? Did you expect that one coming? No. Well, so I had been reached out. A lot of people reached out to me. And okay. we're like, hey, America's Got Talent Extreme. They want I'm like, yeah, like. Dude, love that sounds great. Like in a couple years, hopefully they'll reach back out. Like, dude, I was middle of the championship and trying to build the sport. Um, I got too many, yeah, fish and too many pots. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. look, I, I, I got enough on my plate. And then, um, so I guess they had contacted Super Agent Steve Astafin, and he lit, gave a list of demands <laughs> just through the roof. And he's like, "Yep." So uh, they said yes to all, all of them. So then. He called Subaru, and then they had it all figured out. So I didn't none. I I just kept saying, I was like, no, I can't. Like I love this. Sounds great. I just can't do it right now. I got. So I was at the first round on Saturday. I got a call from Simon. Um, He goes, "Hey, we'll see you Monday in studio in Atlanta, Georgia." And I'm in Utah. I'm like, "Wait, what? No, I got to talk to Subaru." He's like, "It's already handled." He's like, "We got to really figure out what this show's about." I'm like, "Wait, who was your backup plan?" He's like, "I didn't have a backup plan. You're it. Let's go." So I got to, I showed up and flew the red eye in after uh, having probably a few too many drinks and we go straight and the first thing is us all kind of getting together and we're, we're racing cars, which was great. Okay. So I was like, this is, this is pretty cool. Like in a cart facility or something or what? No, a Porsche, uh, Porsche Atlanta. Oh, okay. So yeah, awesome cars and, and whatever. So just to kind of get everyone together and one of the acts was a, a car driver. Okay. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool. And so I'm showing up, no sleep, whatever. And, uh, freaking president Camacho walks in. Uh, dude, absolutely amazing. Um, Cherry Cruz is legend. I don't know if you guys ever watched. Uh, he's on uh, Friday and uh, Blended. Yeah, like, he's, he's, he's my on, favorite. Blended. That he's on it. everything. And dude, yeah. he's exactly what you'd expect. 
he's like, dude, I was football, but he goes, even in football, I knew I wanted to act. He goes, you know, I was just using this as a, as a way to get into, and anyway, long conversation with him. Nikki Bella, she is fantastic. Her stories will just, your jaw will drop, and she is one of the most real and honest and just awesome people I've ever met. And Simon is, he's uh, pretty introverted, but he still takes information. He's, he's really smart. He's, he's awesome. He's on a different level. Like, he takes a Rolls Royce to the airport where he takes a helicopter to his Rolls Royce where he takes that to whatever nice hotel yeah. he's staying at. So, like, there, there's some levels of balling that I've just never yeah. experienced. We all get our own trailer, which is weird. It's usually Nikki and I just kind of hanging out, and Terry's got his, because Terry does a lot more work than we do, because he's, like, involved in everything, yeah. And, he's, um, and we just kind of hang out. But it's been super fun. Uh, they've kind of wanted us to act a little more. I'm not, I'm not an actor. I told him that. I would have told him that if they talked to me more before than, like, two days. Um, and... They're like, oh, be excited! I'm like, I, like I don't, I don't really know what he's doing, but it's kind of like circus. There's a lot of dude sway poles. You ever, you ever heard of a sway pole? You were telling me about him earlier, but I, I have never seen it, so I'm, I'm actually interested to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> yeah, nothing about I mean, it. I, there's, I, there's a lot of cool acts. Um, I think after they had one really bad injury, um, go on uh, TMZ. Unfortunately, it, luckily this guy was okay, but they shut it down. And they, they cut back a lot of the acts that were going to be. Uh, potentially bad, I guess. Uh, we had some other just funny acts that came in, some good stuff. Um, I've been cracking up and laughing the whole time. It's been a super amazing experience. But like, so when we were in Atlanta, the original, I got to my trailer and they got this wardrobe and they're like, you have $10,000 to pick your wardrobe. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm all set. I'd be like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> like, can't have logos. I'm like, I don't know, take the logos off. So we get there and they're like, okay, hair and makeup. And they, they have an hour set up for hair and makeup for me. I'm like, uh, wait, I can't wear a hat? I'm like, no. So I kind of got, like, I, you're wearing, like, you wear hats, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I, sometimes I won't, but I, like, I wear a lot of hats. I just, I don't. It's like my, it's like the last thing off before bed and the first thing. Off. So I was kind of weird for me. That was probably the scariest moment of my whole thing was. So right. they have like a whole, uh, when you say wardrobe, they just have racks of clothes and you go in and pick clothes out? Yeah. But then you got to wear the same ones for the whole time. So I don't know why we had like just a plethora of, of clothing there. But so they pick out the clothes and I'm like, cool, like whatever. And then like, how do you do your hair? I'm like, I, I don't. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I put a hat over it. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing makeup. So like, okay. So we go out in the first time and so I'm like three minutes. So like. They got me looking like Ace Ventura. I guess so much, I'm just laughing. I'm like, is this, does this look good? They're like, yeah, it looks great. I'm like, Man, I'm sold. All righty then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a glove. So I have Ace Ventura, the first one, full. Like, it's almost like something about Mary mixed with uh, Ace Ventura. It was bad. But I, I didn't give, give a shit. Yeah, like, whatever. whatever. So I show up, and before the, all the acts come out, and it's hot, so everyone's sweating. And they're like, Travis, you're shiny. We have, I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. Like, I can be, sh why can't I be shiny? I want to shine. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and they're getting, so Nikki starts getting like, she's hot. So they're doing, um, you know, full makeup done. So she's got like another five minutes there and she's, she, that's not her type of personality, but it's Atlanta. It's hot. Yeah. And, uh, they were telling her, they're like, you look shiny. So, and then Simon's got, <laughs> and that's not a compliment. <laughs> yeah. You're not shining, I guess. So they go and they're back to Simon. They're back. And they're finally, the producer's like, all right, there is sweat dripping off of Travis's nose. Somebody get up there 
So they go, and the, the stylist comes up and is doing this, and I got the powder, and some dude in the back was like, yeah, Pastrata. <laughs> I'm like, man, I've really made it now. I'm getting... And then they, they come out, so a couple minutes later, they come out with umbrellas because they had a, a break yeah. between acts. And the guy comes up behind me. I'm like, if you put that umbrella over me. So he's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, I don't, he's like, it's hot. I'm like, yeah, go sit in the shade. So the other two have umbrellas. I just, I mean, I, I guess I should just like give in, but yeah. I, there's still like. It doesn't feel like there's authentic. N- there's it? not many people watching, but I'm still like, dude, my dad would whoop my ass yeah. if I got like an <laughs> some umbrella girl and the, some. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, umbrella dude and a powder girl. I'm like, oh. So it's been a learning experience. But no, I've had, so we showed up here to, to California. Yeah. And uh, I went in. I was like, hey, where's hair and makeup? I said, oh, we didn't bring it for you this time. I was like, perfect. I won. <laughs> I was like, cut that hour out of my day. Like, because they make you get there like an hour for that. Yeah. So, um, but long story long, I came out and. The one lady, the other hairdresser, was like, "Ah, what? We got to do something about your hair." And the producer walks by, like, "No, nah, it's it's Travis. That hair fits him." It's <laughs> like, "All right, they they know me now. They know me." Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have about a thousand different looks. It's good. I like the story you told me about Simon coming on and and uh, when they had him on stage for a little too long. Yeah, no, I I feel like that's it's almost a negative Simon. I don't want to say that in a bad way. I just think it's it's awesome. Like Simon. He's one of the smartest guys I've I've ever met. Just talking to him a little bit, like he's, but his time for him is his biggest money for Simon. Not a big deal yeah. at this point in his life. Time. Yeah. So he got up on stage and it's it's hot, and you know he's got whatever he's in his motorhome. But I know it's not just like he's in his motorhome. He's in there working. There. He's yeah. he's got fifteen different shows and programs, yeah. and he's like he's got stuff he's got to do, and he's up there for a while, and he's looking, and then you know it's COVID, so. There's people behind you, but someone's like, high five, Simon. And he kind of puts his hand down, and he's like, oh, I, I can't. you know. And then that guy kind of has, now instead of Simon coming up doing his job, now you have someone that feels like Simon's a dick. You know, because he's not, he's like, if I get sick, not only do I not have a job. Everything shuts down. This whole production, yeah. all, he's like, we have, it's $100,000 a day in people's wages. Everyone doesn't have a job. He's like, I, I can't, sh-. he's like, I don't really know what's going on with it, but I can't shake your hand. He goes, I have to, I stay in my bubble. And he goes, I don't want to be put in a position where I have to engage or not engage with people. And so long story long, he sits up there, he comes back and he goes, Hey, uh, we were up on stage for, um, you know, 10 minutes before it started. Yep. Thank you. I know you guys are all working hard. I appreciate everyone here. Just know that they're going to be looking for jobs if, if that happens again. Okay. Good day. <laughs> like, as Not rude as, about it. As yeah. Nicely yeah. as possible. And I feel like that comes out negative, but it's just, you know, to his defense, he's got shit to do. Time and, is money. And he can't yeah. get COVID. So. Yeah. And so they had an actual audience there? They've got, yes, yeah, a okay. live audience at all of them. Okay. It's smaller, but yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool. So do your kids ride? I want to just jump back real quick and talk about that. You get them on bikes? They can both ride, um, but they, they're not going to be racers, and I'm so happy for that. Yeah. Um, as, as you've said, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, man, you're going to try for a third, you're going to try for a boy. I'm like, no, like, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. And I did not think that throwing my kids in the air uh, and teaching them how to flip was going to teach them for, for cheer or prepare them for, for cheer. And oh, is that what are they into cheer? Super competitive cheer, like you wouldn't believe. Like, dude, three hours – three times a day and four hours on Sunday or events. Um, 
No, it's pretty cool. And they yeah. both are on the same team, which is... Oh, that's neat. No, they hated it. Oh, they hated it? My youngest took my oldest job as flyer. So my oldest was like, I'm not lifting her. Like flyer people, obviously they were both flyers. But she didn't want to be like the base for her younger sister. So she became the main, uh, uh, basically, tumbler. So that, yeah. that's good. I like tumbling's good. Uh, but anyway, long story long... They both, they love to drive. They both have the Can-Am set up where they can reach the foot pegs and stuff on the thousands, which is probably a little much, but, you know, they, they do their, their jumps and they're, they're happy. But what makes my daughters happy is being with friends. Hmm. And I feel like action sports and what I love and what Lindsay loves are very individual sports. Um, you know, my youngest goes and skateboards with, with my wife, Lindsay, who's two-time world champion, three-time X Games gold medalist in skate. Um, just around the pump track and stuff like that. And uh, we used to go BMXing all the time, but my youngest is super, super competitive. And she got second in the state championships uh, for Striders uh, when she was four, but her best friend beat her by like oh. this much. She cried. What didn't go up the podium. <laughs> it has not gone back to the BMX track. I'm like, look, girl, we got we to gotta work on your sportsmanship. But, um, but yeah, anything that's individual just hasn't yeah. really Hasn't, hasn't really, really stuck. resonated with them. Huh? Do you start them on a Stasic or anything? Oh, yes, right? dude, yeah. Stasics are the best. Uh, so good. What a cool tool for teaching kids in a safe way, right? No, but I mean, at two years old, both of my kids were on Stasics and safely yeah. got on. They never, like, I know we're on the Whiskey Throttle show, but they have never, neither one of my kids have ever gotten Whiskey Throttle. It's a great tool to teach anybody young. I mean... Yeah, just safest way to do it by far. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, buddy, I, we kind of got down to our last question here. We ask everybody this, and I, I mean, I think the record books and history are going to speak for itself, but how do you want to be remembered in this sport? Um, you know, to be honest, I, I don't really care. Um, I just want to go out every day and do the best that I can and know that the people that, that really know me, uh, you know, your family, your friends, that you were always right by them, that you were a man of your word, that you were, you know, mm kind of authentic and at the end of the day um wins losses i don't think it really matters as much as i mean don't be wrong like i'm a competitive son of a bitch (laughs) i want to win everything but um at the end of the day for me what's more important is family friends uh and just being able to have fun and being able to show people growing up um that there is an option to to go out and chase your dreams i love it man well what you've accomplished is amazing i'm just so stoked you made it onto the show. It's an honor to have you here, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me I so long. It. I appreciate it. I think the camera should keep rolling while we both try to walk away from it. No, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> We're going to definitely need to turn these off. That's Travis Pastrana. Stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap it up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And this is our sponsor spotlight segment. And we're getting to showcase one of our new partners for this season. Uh, really excited to introduce you guys to president of Luck Unlimited. This is Ken Gimble. So, hey, welcome. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, great to be aboard. Uh, yeah. Super fan of motocross and just found a way that I think one would benefit my business, but to get me engaging in something that I've loved since I was a little kid. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, you've got a long history of being a, a, you know, riding and racing and following the sport. So um, I love to see people taking their passion and life life experience and then combining it into something that uh blends the two i've been trying to do this since i was about 15 years old so you know at 47 i think it was <laughs> the right time to make that happen so give us a little bit of your background so i was a guy went to high school i race a handful of races a year mediocre 
really see B rider. You know, I went to the B class, but five to ten races a year max. All I really wanted to do was get a job to make enough money to buy a dirt bike every year and race. That was really <laughs> the ultimate goal of what happened. But I went, and I got an engineering degree in metallurgical engineering. And I actually was at a Supercross, and I talked to Cliff White. And I was like, hey, what do you got to do to be an engineer for Team Honda? He's like, well, you need to be an engineer. He was kind of a little bit sarcastic with me about it, but I'm sure tons of people ask him questions. And when I said, well, I'm graduating in about seven months, and I wanted to work for Honda. That's what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I got an internship at an automotive company that really kind of changed my perspective on wanting more than just to buy a dirt bike every year. I got exposed to some high-level leadership. My dad and my grandfather, a great nuclear family, which is super important. They were great leaders. I really didn't know that till I started working in this industry. But I worked at a company called American Axle Manufacturing one of the best suppliers in the world of driveline components. I spent 17 years there, but the CEO was kind of the rock star CEO, worked under Lee Iacocca, dynamic leader. The guy, you walk into a room and it changes the atmosphere. Mm. Like he doesn't need to say anything, you just feel it. Just has a presence. And his sons are really great leaders too, but I really gravitated to one of his sons, um, his name's Rick Dauk. He's a West Point grad, MIT grad. And being a District 14 guy, like always, Brian Swink was the guy, right? So when I seen that in industry, he was kind of like that guy in the industry. And I thought, wow, like if I want to be good in this and I could, you see the money that can be made in that type of industry. I said, I need to really elevate my education game. And I was getting through an engineering degree, which was good. But then I went to the University of Michigan. I got a, a master's of manufacturing engineering, and then I did a PhD in industrial engineering. So technically I'm a doctor. I don't, I don't use it that much, but it's, I've applied the same things that I think make a great motocross racer to business. And that's really what I seen when I seen like that Rick Dalk, Dick Dalk, looking at guys like Brian Swink and the effort guys like you put into motocross that if you want to be good in business, you can apply these same things that you do in motocross over here. And that really inspired me. And I kind of, I didn't get away from motocross. I, I just really committed to the, being good in the manufacturing sector. Very demanding time-wise, get married, have kids, kind of get away from it, but I watch every race. I love the sport. I listen to the podcast. And when 2020, when I started my own business for consulting, kind of based off that inspiration of leadership, I really like transforming manufacturing business. And so I wanted to go towards the private equity sector, which they take companies, buy them if they're distressed or they see there's a big growth opportunity, but kind of be the guy that would go in and help strategize that transformation plan okay. for them to really add value. And when I named my company, I named it Locked Unlimited because it's, you know, one, the definition of luck is success by chance versus someone's actions. And so my dad always used to, to use the acronym, I don't need luck because I've been laboring under complete knowledge. So his form of luck was his actions. Mm -hmm. And when I name my company, I just, it's something I've used forever. I mean, I would use it in comments and when people would talk about luck, but I thought, you know, what a way to name a business to go in and help other businesses. You know, you're going to have to do work. You're going to know you're going to have to be committed. You're going to know you're going to have to be relentless. And so I just thought it fit because it's, kind of the opposite of by chance. It's about 
developing a plan, executing the plan, being committed, and being relentless towards it, yeah. which are all things that relate to motocross, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, having the, you got to have a passion for it, but there's got to be the work ethic and there has to be, um, you know, they say practice makes perfect, but it's really perfect practice makes perfect. So right. understanding the right way to do things or, you know, having complete knowledge of it and then working hard in that fashion. Right. Right. Exactly. And it's a, a lot of times people get into a job and they maybe stop learning. Well, I'm an example of really never stopping learning. Even sitting here listening to Travis talk, like I'm taking mental notes of things that he's done to get better, how he looks at things from a different perspective. I'm like a sponge, so I love that. Mm -hmm. But when you go into a company, sometimes you're reinvigorating that aspect of a company. It could be the president of the company that you're advising. It could be operators on the floor. But all that aspect is created from the passion of wanting to get better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you, you, uh, I hear you're working with JGR a little bit this year. Yes, I had earlier in the year I had caught wind that they were looking to get into the manufacturing sector. And one of the very cool things that I learned about the company is when NASCAR changed, and I know they've said it, the regulations were changing a way where they're not going to manufacture as much stuff as they normally do to support their racing. And Koi is super. Um, committed to his people. And so he wanted to diversify the company to keep the people he's developed over whatever 20, 30 year span they've had the business to save the people that have been part of his family. Sure. One of the companies I was consulting with, we asked them if they wanted to quote a business, very high volume manufacturing, 5 million units a year plus. And so I reached out to Jeremy, and it's funny because we'd exchange LinkedIn messages because I was friends with Brian Swink, and he bought Brian Swink's big wheel DMC that Brian said was like the coolest bike he ever had. Mm. And so I just sent him a message and then a a few years ago, and then this year when I caught when this company wasn't as interested in quoting this high volume thing because of the capital requirements and things of that, I reached out to him and I said, hey, would you be interested in this? And it just kind of fostered the relationship, and it's been five or six months now that we've been talking and working through a pretty sizable quote that hopefully works out for them and diversifies their company and saves their people. I love it. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about Luck, the company here, and what you guys are, what the plans are, what you're, um, what you're making, what, what what the plans are to make, and um, you know, kind of the, the concept behind it. I mean, you discussed it a little bit. But. Yeah, well, initially it started as the consulting company to go in tried to find acquisition targets that need improvement, applied the systems thinking. And where I really have my experiences in the manufacturing front of lean manufacturing systems that was developed by Toyota and has really struggled to get implemented in the U.S. since, I mean, really it started getting studied in 1994. Most robust operating system for running a manufacturing business, but 95% failure rate Mm -hmm. of implementation. So, that's what I studied in my PhD work, and I've applied it very successfully. And that's what I try to help companies with, is the primary thing I built the company to do. But as I started going into companies and talking to people, and when I use the acronym laboring under complete knowledge of making your own luck through the hard work, commitment, people started really liking the acronym. And kind of being a fan of the 90s motocross, 
Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a no fear, but I like that no fear type of time frame, the kind of cool factor it had. And I thought this could parallel into or diversify into an apparel. And one, to inspire people that are struggling with their careers, where they want to get to. Because I do like to help people, whether it's a company or a person. I think it could be something that refocuses people or just keeps them energized because it's casual apparel at this point. It's not business apparel, which would be fun to do some of that in the future. And if it goes well, I, I would do that, you know, talk about the growth plan. But to help people realize they're in control of it, they don't need relationships help, but they can make their own path to success. Mm-hmm. And it's that they are making their luck. It's not by chance. They're not hoping for it, but they're putting in the work to get to it. And started out with just getting the acronym out there. And really, I'd like to redefine how people see luck. When they see the brand or the logo, they don't think of success by chance or an outside force. They think of it through their own actions. Yeah. When someone says good luck, it triggers something that says, you know what, I've earned this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the, you know, there's so many expressions around it. You know, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I am. I mean, I love that stuff. I think it's so true. Um, you know, we certainly there's things out of our control, but um, by and large, the harder you work at something, the more committed that you are, the more singularly focused you are on something, the greater your chances of getting there, period. Right. Well, and I don't want to botch a gentleman's name on the poster that Travis brought up, but it was funny how one of the first things he said was, Everybody assumes Brandon just jumped into a car and started winning. They didn't see when he was 14 years old. He's racing this vehicle. He's buying go-karts. He's investing and putting tons of time in. There's always outliers if you look at a distribution, but a lot of people put in a tremendous amount of work, and someone like you understands that because, I mean, think about the laps you ran, how many races you did as an amateur that got you to the point of being a pro. You know, I... I never expected to be a pro. And I mean, I kind of, my second race, I seen Brian Swink at a race and I was like, oh my God, like there's, I was 15. I started super late. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be a pro, but he had been racing for a 10 de- years. Already yeah. A decade yeah. already. And on top of it, he rode nonstop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it was cool to be able to talk to Brian and see him. And one of my first races I ever went to, cause I just leisure rider, right? My dad's like, Ken, I don't know what that kid's doing over there, but you need to go talk to him. He's phenomenal. So I walk over, and that's kind of where the friendship started. He was yeah. like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll watch your ride and try to give you pointers, but <laughs> He's like, it didn't come as you easy. You just need to keep riding, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well, that you know what? That's the thing that you didn't know back then. You didn't yeah. know that guys like you, guys like him were riding, racing two days every weekend, riding four or five days a week. Um, one of the... My friend that helped design the logo is named Mark DeCooper. He's a pretty established District 14 rider, won a lot of championships as state championships in Michigan back in the day. And we've maintained the friendship, but he's the one that helped me design the logo. When I said, hey, I'm, I'm design, making my own company. I want to make a cool logo. I just don't want it to look like Ken Gimble Services. Like I want it to be something that has modern, like an edge to it. So. Cool. I, yeah. I, I think it looks great. I'm stoked to have you guys on board. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I look very closely at products. Um, 
before I engage with anybody. And, and the stuff you've sent me, very high quality. I love this travel bag, all leather. I mean, it's like, that's the kind of bag you get and you have it until you're the day you die, <laughs> like this thing you wear out before it does. You know, I love that. Everything I'm trying to do, too, being in the manufacturing front, I think we've seen how the pandemic exposed some of the vulnerabilities not being able to yeah. make. So now I'm not manufacturing apparel yet, but anywhere I'm having the printing done is done locally in Alpena, Michigan, where, where I live. It's a rural area. Um, where are we out on the mitten there? If we're yeah, if we're, we're right up here in the most northeast part of lower Michigan. Okay. And so um, the leather bag was made in northern Michigan. So it's I love it. I love I love it, man. Anytime I can support American-made brands, or you know, I'm all in on that too. And you know, and as you know, as long as people buy into the business and they believe in it and it grows, I will push to do more stuff domestically in the U.S. I mean, kind of like Pete Fox is doing with the Ren and Gear, trying to do stuff. I believe in that. I think it's one of the things hurting, you know, us in the U.S. right now is we're so dependent on every other country. We're not, we prospered because we manufactured stuff. Yeah. I love the manufacturing sector. That's why when I heard JGR was excited about it, I kind of went out of my way to try to figure out how I could work with them on that type of program. And the other cool thing with them is being a racing company, they approach things semi-conservative fiscally, but they approach it with an aggressiveness of a racer. Yeah. Like they're not afraid to, to quote something that's 5 million units a year. They're like, that's how you make money is by getting volume mm -hmm. and they understand it. And so they approach it with a much more aggressive approach than a lot of business people do, which makes it fun. Yeah. And that's, I think what has helped me in my career is while I might not have raced as much as I wanted to race, what I see made a good racer and you apply that aggressiveness, the commitment, the passion makes you successful. Yeah. And it's not, it's not magic. A lot of it is commitment. Yeah. That's hard work and commitment. You're right. You're right. Uh, as far as the apparel goes. So what, what do you have right now? Hats, t-shirts, the travel bag. Yeah. The travel sleeves. bag's a little something. I'm not sure what I'm really going to do with that. I made that for me just cause I travel a lot. Okay. And so, but yeah, hats, hoodies, sweatpants, um, like you, I have two daughters, and they've been doing a lot of apparel testing for me, and it's okay. been pretty successful. So, yeah, um, yeah that's it's just we're just going to start out basically with that. I really wanted to put it into the motocross community because one, I love it, the sport. Hopefully, when we grow a little bit, I can start participating with some riders, get some guys with some cool butt patches, uh, just different things like that. And, and honestly, even with you, even thinking about what to do with it. I think the motocross market in general, they go to the same well all the time for money. And I think there's a way that maybe we could even find a way to mentor some of the kids coming up of how to present themselves and market themselves to potentially other markets that aren't getting hit where they're not trying to go to just like Mountain Dew. They're going to some smaller companies that they can relate to, show a growth strategy for the company and influence. So I just think there's things that you can do for them to create their own luck that they're not relying on. We had a great discussion earlier about rider purses and the struggle to get pay that I would like to see those guys make more money. The, a lot of the guys at the back of the pack should make significantly higher pay than they're getting, yeah. but it's a tough sport. And if it's not there, it'd be nice to try to help some younger people get out there and find a new way to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And those, you know, to your point, exactly. We all fish out of these same ponds and it's a, you know, the motocross industry is pretty small. 
So it, if there's, I think that there's definitely opportunities left on the table for outside the industry companies to come in and support their local riders, or you know, if it's a nationwide effort, then uh, even bigger companies. But I think that's tough for a lot of guys to do to put together the right presentation and and approach that. <laughs> Without some help. And if they haven't seen people doing it. I yeah. mean, you know, when I'm watching Travis and hearing him talk about being on the promoter side of the business, you know, well, he might not have the formal education. He's ultra educated mm -hmm. from his experience and the effort he's put into it. So I think there's things that would be good to expose some of these um, new riders to. And when I look at the sport, I mean, I'm sitting inside Trilly Designs right now. I mean, I bought visors. My helmets are in Troy Lee helmet bags. It's a some of the coolest companies have come out of motocross. Yeah, Oakley, Fox. I mean, how many people don't really know motocross at all? Have Fox stickers on their on their vehicle, right? Entirely too many, but that's another. <laughs> I'm not saying, but I like people that support the sport. But sometimes motocross just, I mean, the the energy drinks. Look how they've. Yeah. No, it's definitely a leader, or or those energy drinks wouldn't be propping the sport up the way they are right now. You know, right. they're they're putting a lot of their marketing dollars into it. And so, there's a reason for that. So I'm excited about. It. I mean, the consulting thing too, and I, one of the cool things with this is if there are people that have businesses that are trying to position them to sell in the future, that their generations are running to an end or are not interested in continuing it, we can help with that front as well to position it for a sale so that the ownership gets the most money for it. Um. And I hope the acronym inspires people to go after what they are. I mean, I, I'm looking at myself as the example of that is while it's comfortable to be a W-2 employee, it is super invig invigorating to do your own thing and have the freedom to kind of think and kind of create your own way. And it's something I think is missing in the U.S. right now a little bit. Everyone's kind of looking for the company to go yeah. to and just work there where I think there's tremendous opportunity. And if you really look for it, you can see it. And so... That's what I would like to help inspire. You know, it's kind of redefining what the standards are and kind of becoming the standard. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I, I it's sort of what I'm trying to do with this Whiskey Throttle Media brand. You know, I'm, I'm taking steps, and you'll start to see it in the next six months here, the, the growth that we're going to put forward. But this has been the first business I've ever owned and operated myself. And I've learned a ton, and I've enjoyed it so much because every single thing I put into it, I, I know is for it's for me and for the the brand that I built. Right? It's not right. I'm doing work so someone else can make money and buy a nice car, you know, and go on a nice vacation. Uh, and it's you know, I've I've had one job or two jobs that are like that where I'm working for somebody else. I'm also in public safety, which is sort of a uh, a little mix of both. It's not a complete government job, but it's, it's serving a community. So there's a positive side to it. I'd like, but there is such a value in owning your own business and in, 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 um, knowing that every, every bit of effort you put into it is benefiting you and your business, not someone else. You know what I mean? So I a hundred percent. And one of the weird things too, that, so this first CEO that I've got to really watch and, and work for, did tons in the community. My dad would always do things in the community. So since throughout my career, I've served on chamber of commerce boards. Mm -hmm. I have been serving on a university of Michigan Flint engineering advisory board for probably eight years. 
I volunteer to be on a public school board right now. And, but my approach is different. I, I see the gaps in vocational skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the police policing sector and all, all we need people to do those difficult jobs. Yeah. And so that's, I approach it from that perspective. I also see it from the perspective of people right now kind of put down college a little bit, but that's because people don't want to go to school for engineering. Mm. It is. It's tough. It's yeah. it's not the one that you're partying for five nights a week. It's the one where you're in libraries, you're reading a bunch of not fun stuff, you're mm. you're sacrificing. But yeah. when you get out, you get a fifty to eighty thousand dollar a year job, and you can repay your loans, and it, it's a it's a business successful business case. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, you know. Putting those things forward is, I, I always like to tell kids when I go to a college and talk that it's great to go work for a big Fortune 500 company, but sometimes it's stifling on the creative front because mm-hmm. there's so many guidelines and rules. Have some fun. Take a chance on yourself. Yeah. Make your own business. It, it's not impossible to do it, but I like to try to get the younger generation to take the steps forward to make their own career rather than just going, I want to go work for some multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I love it. I, I, I am on board 100, 150%. I mean, I think that if you have a specific career that you know you want, if you want to be an engineer, well, then go to college and, and chase that, find the best colleges for it. But I think there are a lot of jobs, and I mean, there's a lot of successful folks making millions and millions of dollars who never went to day of college in their life. So you can get it done. Just be passionate about something and go right. after it. You know, t- exactly. like you said, take a chance on yourself and put the work in. Yeah. So, well, I'm stoked to have you guys on board. I'm I'm really excited to keep introducing different apparel. And where can folks go to find you if they are interested in the business side of things? So the website is Luck Unlimited Apparel, and there's another there's another Luck Luck You Apparel is another. I'm not sure if I'm really going to use that one just because of the way it could yeah kind of comes off a little. <laughs> well because you know <laughs> don't want any I, I typos always, in that one well i always joke with like I, i'm not intending to make sure to say like motocross a sport takes two balls you know like those type of old no fear yeah you know i want it to be something that is driving people forward but um so yeah it's probably going to be luck unlimited apparel is the one okay that we're going to go with so that will be getting launched probably in the next few weeks i'm still um just preparing some of the things logistically to make sure everything runs like a well-oiled machine when we fire it up so there's not issues going on and when they start coming in. But I'm excited to market through this media. I I love the MX market, and I think the people in it are great. I mean, as much as I want to identify as a business person, I always try to identify as a, a motocross racer, mm-hmm. even though I don't race so much. Well, listen, <laughs> you know, like uh... – just even if you are slow, you can look pro and go out and have a great time. I it, right? try to look good. Yeah, I do. I did the Nick Way philosophy. Well, we all do. I mean, look, you look look good, you feel good, you ride good. Right. That's what they say. Well, Ken, I'm excited for well, for what's to come here in 22. Uh, we'll keep kind of showing everybody the new stuff as it comes in. And um, anyway, I'm excited for you to well, see where this goes. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me out. Of course, I'd love to have you back all again. Right. So, uh, Luck Unlimited Apparel, uh, check it out. Stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap up the show. Be bad with you, girl, like we're robbing a bank. I be mad at the world, like it took you away. Don't wanna be mad at 
All right, folks, that's our show. Thank you for tuning in. I am really looking forward to 22. We've got some awesome partners. All of our show partners from last year are remaining on board. We've got a, a handful of new ones that I'm really excited about. Some great products, great services, and great people involved. And a big thank you to everybody who was watching and listening. Again, I've got some really cool guests lined up for this year, folks I'm in talks with. So uh, really excited about what this year is going to bring. Uh, so hope you guys are having an awesome start to 2022 and looking forward to bringing you some more great content soon. Thanks so much. See ya. The Whiskey Throttle Show is brought to you by Yamaha. Join the Blue Crew today and take advantage of all that Yamaha has to offer, including amateur racing trackside support, awesome Yamaha contingency, Jason Rain's demos and instructional classes, and frankly, the most high-performing motorcycles available on the market today. Whether you're looking for a four-stroke, a two-stroke, a side-by-side, -side, a quad, a boat, a generator, Yamaha prides themselves on absolute top-level quality and reliability. Rev your heart with Yamaha and join the Blue Crew today. Method Race Wheels, bringing you the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road for your truck, van, sprinter, UTV, or SUV. They've been dominating the Baja 500 and 1000 and every major off-road event around the world for years with high quality and performance. They also look amazing. They come in a bunch of different styles and colors for your rig, so check them out. You can get 20% off a set of wheels using our code Whiskey Throttle. No capitals, no spaces. 20% off using our code. Check them out. Also, coming soon, the R1M Project. Method Race Wheels makes a dive into the motocross world. Stay tuned. Troyley Designs is the leader in off-road motocross apparel and style. So whether you're looking for a cool new paint job for your helmet, maybe your name and number on your helmet lettered on, you're looking for new gear, you're looking for mountain bike gear, off-road gear, they've got the brand new Scout line, GP and SE models. Troyley Designs has it all. They've been leading this industry for decades, and they're going to continue to do it. Check out TroyleyDesigns.com. SKDA is a moto graphics and seat covers company with several offices based around the globe. For too long, bikes and graphics have all looked the same. They just start to blend together. SKDA is working to change that. With super clean and unique design work, a bike with SKDA graphics stands out in a crowd and adds a touch of art to the world of moto. Hey, we need that. SKDA prides itself on providing premium customer service both before and after the sale is made. 
Visit SKDA online to view the current product range and get in touch with their team to get your bike refreshed. I want to just make a, a mention here that these guys, not only is their design way outside the box, very, very cool. They'll work with you on custom things. The, the products are incredible. Okay, they'll speak for themselves. But what's really awesome, and you'll notice this the minute you order one of these, man, they give you an email saying, hey, the product's been shipped. Uh, hey, the product is here. It landed in this spot. Hey, it's coming today. Hey, your product's been delivered. They, they're just so good about staying in touch with you and letting you know where it's at. Customer service is 100%, and uh, that's just something that's rare these days. Check out SKDA. Here at the Whiskey Throttle Show, we're all about supporting brands that support our sport. And there's one tire company that has never walked away from the sport of motocross and supercross, and it's Dunlop. When times got tough and the economy took a crash, Dunlop stepped up and stayed with our sport to support it and the athletes and individuals that love it. Their MX-53 line and MX-33 lines absolutely dominate this sport. Every national championship at the pro level has been won in the last decade, and nearly every single amateur national championship at Loretta Lynn's has been won on a Dunlop. So if you're looking for high performance, you're looking for amazing quality, and you're looking to support a brand that never turns its back on our sport, there's only one choice for you, and it's Dunlop. Pro Circuit is the leader in aftermarket performance and quality. Whether you're looking for a little more horsepower out of your engine, some quality hard parts to improve the way your bike feels and looks, better handling through suspension or linkage or linkage arms, Pro Circuit is where you need to stop. It's your one-stop shop. You can go in there and get everything you need to make your motorcycle go from average to exceptional. Pro Circuit's got enough number one plates on their wall to side an entire home, and there's a reason for that. They're very, very good at what they do. Uh, the highest quality products with one goal in mind, and that's winning. Check out ProCircuit.com. Nihilo Concepts is leading the way in aftermarket hard parts. With their secondary on-switch device, something that was much needed in this sport, They've been innovating and bringing new products to market. Their latest is the new Nihilo Run-Cool Brake Pistons. They're designed to be stronger than stock and provide exceptional cooling performance with less brake drag. Most OEM caliper pistons are made from aluminum that just can't hold up to the heat and extreme demands of serious racing. When they get hot, the aluminum will distort, causing loss of hydraulic pressure and brake failure. Nihilo's Run-Cool Pistons limit the area that boiling hot hydraulic fluid is able to come in contact with the piston leaving two-thirds of the piston volume in open air with breather holes to enhance the cooling ability. It's made of a proprietary stainless blend, which is better at dissipating heat. You have issues with brake fade or brake failure, check out Nihilo Concepts among their many amazing hard parts and carbon fiber parts and titanium. NihiloConcepts.com. Senna is the leader in motorcycle helmet communications. There's really two prongs to why this is important. One of them is safety. If you're a dad who's watching your kid out on a track, being able to communicate with him about a rider down or a track situation is imperative. You don't want him coming over a jump and seeing a rider down and getting himself involved in that. So from a safety aspect, it's huge. You can also coach them. So if you see them taking a line, doing something that they could be improved, it's very easy to just click a button and speak to them right in their helmet in real time. This has been a proven coaching technique used by many motorcycle coaches. There's also just the simple fun factor. Being able to chat with your buddy while you're out on a ride, share music between one another, answer phone calls, it just takes your riding experience to another level. So whether you're using the 50S or 50R connected through a mesh network in your helmet, or you're using a Tough Talk headset connected with one of those, Senna is the leader in quality and performance 
in motorcycle helmet communications. Check them out at Senna.com. Seat Concepts is the leader in motorcycle saddles. If you're looking for a new cover or a new seat entirely, Seat Concepts is the place to go. They make custom seat foams catered to your height, weight, riding ability, riding type. They also have waterproof covers and, and foams that will not break down if you ride in a lot of inclement weather. And they pride themselves on being much more comfortable than OEM or any other aftermarket company. If you're looking for a new seat or a new cover, Seat Concepts, there's nothing better. Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So right now, chains, sprockets, anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters. If it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the Polaris RZR 800s. Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So right now, chains, sprockets, anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters. If it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the... If you've got a little Grom that's looking to get started in the motorcycle world, the best way to get them going is on a Stasic bike. They've got multiple sizes, so from your very young Groms to those who are a little more grown up, you can start them safely. They've got controls that allow you to control the speed so he can't get going too quick. They can touch the ground. There's not a lot of noise to distract them. It's the perfect way to get your child involved in motorcycling at a very young age. And if you've got a kid who's already out ripping, there's series popping up all over. For those of you in Southern California, go to www.ameminicross.com and join their local series. If you're outside of this state, contact your local track and ask them about starting a Stasic class at your local track. Get over to Stasic.com and check out all they've got going on. OGO is the leader in motorcycle storage solutions. As motocross riders, we need a gear bag, we need a helmet bag, a boot bag, a backpack, a travel bag, a hydration pack, maybe a toolkit to wear around your waist if you're on an off-road ride. OGO makes all of that, and their products are absolutely top of the line. I've got stuff I've had for several decades, just to give you an idea of how long this stuff lasts. If you're not sure, ask around, talk to folks who've had some of this stuff, and they will confirm that OGO's quality is absolutely second to none. So go check them out, OGO underscore powersports.com, and look at all they've got to offer right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for clicking on another episode of MPH Moto E Performance and Health with Coach Rob Beams. Welcome back. Thanks, brother. So our uh, topic today is strength training. 
and why it's necessary for racing, when is best to do it, what type to do. Um, there's, it's gotten a bad rap over the years. Sure. You know, uh, yeah. it, it, people think, oh, if I lift weights, I'll get arm pumped. Of course. Uh, which, depending on what you're doing, you, that you could train your forearms to pump up if it's a lot of pulling grip stuff. But uh, I think that the benefits outweigh that if you really think about it. And there's ways to do it smart. Yeah, well, we can do an, another show on just arm pump itself. But, you know, when somebody tells me that weightlifting creates a lot of grip strength and that causes an arm pump, um, that's like saying lap pullback creates back pump. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of times with the with the arm pump, I mean, we're going to make some assumptions here. You're in the center of the bike. You're not behind it. As soon as your belly button's behind the pegs, you're going to invoke the potential of arm pump. But we also tend to forget, if you and I go to, and we get a massage, very rarely you say, hey, do you mind stripping my forearms? You know, we're going to go to back. We're going to go to legs, stuff that always feels good when you get a massage. But the same physiology applies. You have the skin on top. You have connective tissue called fascia below that and muscle tissue. Well, if this stuff becomes sticky because we don't give it much TLC, we don't give it much attention, it literally starts like two, you know, scouring pads. They just start to stick. Mm -hmm. So if you get massage or do your own self-massage, just grip and lift, or there's a lot of, you can take tennis balls and massage them. But what you, you've got to treat this from your wrist to your elbow, just like you would your shoulders. Mm -hmm. So when all of a sudden our shoulder goes into spasm, we don't go, hey, we got to get shoulder surgery. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. You got to get those friction points broken down or muscle spasms, whatever it may be. But when you bring it back around, you know, full circle on strength training, we've got to remember, even if you're on a 65, you know, sometimes these bikes weigh more than the people who are riding them. And it's when you, I just personally believe there's not a sport more difficult on the face of the earth. I, I was quoted on saying that in a television podcast. It's, you know, you've got the weight of the bike, you've got the speed, and we decide that we're going to take it over some really big bumps. And you've got to offset that inertia. And I refer to this as a moving gyroscope because of the three-dimensional plane. You, you hit something, that bike can go one of any 365 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. 360 degrees. And what you don't want is to be too weak to be able to compensate what that bike's going to send. We all know the bike goes this way, you hit the rear brake. We get it. I mean, we're this way, we know we're holding the throttle wide open. But what happens when that bike kicks sideways? Yeah. And if you don't have this, the specific word, and it's a way overused term right now, is functional strength. But I'm talking functional strength to a gyroscope. So we'll have people that'll join our program and they're like, oh, you don't know me, I'm fit. Well, you're fit, you're just not fit to ride one of these. And that's your problem. Because you're going to the gym and you're training, like just moving one muscle group. Well, unfortunately, movement doesn't include one muscle group. No matter what we do, movement is never one muscle. Right. So every muscle, if you look at like extending my arm, bicep brings it up, tricep brings it back. But for me to bring the bicep up, the tricep has to elongate. There's always two muscles. There may be some physiologist that says, oh, there's a one muscle in your body that moves independently. That's yeah. cool. But for conversation's sake, that's why strength training absolutely has to be part of your program and it needs to be year round. Mm. That's a part that people screw up because we, when we look at periodization, preseason is all about maximizing strength. Everyone goes, yeah, strength training, I get it. Then when we go into pre-competitive phase, we still want to be keeping the load levels up, but we're starting to drop a little bit of speed work. That means we bring the load levels down. We're still lifting, but the amount of weight we're lifting goes down. Then when we get into competitive mode, we're not lifting a lot of load, but the reason why we're still doing lifting exercises is because of the supporting staff of tendons and ligaments. We want to keep the tensile strength of the tendons and ligaments strong so that way when you do happen to hit the ground, You've got the supporting staff so that we don't end up seeing stuff snapping. Yeah. So that's why strength training. I mean, even we've got Loretta's coming up, 
in a couple of weeks, we'll have athletes that will do lift. They will lift weights till Friday before. Yeah. Not heavy. They're just keeping everything tight. Yeah. I always, I always looked at it like uh, strength training is for those moments that go wrong. That's right. Whether, whether you 100%. can save the crash or not. hundred percent. So if it goes a, a direction you weren't expecting or the bike does something, that's raw strength pulling it back. You that's can't right. finesse your way out of that. And you just said the key word. Remember we talked about it in a previous show. You three-dimensional plane of a motorcycle, the left and the right side pegs, what's going on in front and behind the pegs and what's going on above and behind the seat or above and below the seat. Well, not everything can be fixed with a throttle mm. or a brake, right? So that functional strength, that's why I like that word functional. Sitting down and just doing a seated bicep curl doesn't make any sense because right. it doesn't involve movement. And what we do is, and it, I don't care if you're a triathlete and you're in open water swimming, you've got to have functional strength. Yeah. This is just unbelievable because of the velocity, the weight, depending on the bike you're on, the horsepower, the jumps we and, hit. And the, the huge. variations that it could come at you. So fast. Every single different yes. direction you don't know. Yeah, I mean, something hits the side wall yeah. of the tire. Next yeah. thing you know, you're going 40 degrees sideways. I look at uh, a great example is Cooper Webb at Millville this year. Yes. Clips a tire with, it, with uh, Chase, and he had to have the strength to fight against what that bike was wanting to do, pull it back straight enough that he doesn't crash. Yep. He still did crash, but he saved himself a guaranteed injury. 100%. And then him getting spit off, again, now that, that extra strength you've put on is beneficial when you hit the ground and tumble. Well, the ability to absorb impact, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this sounds a little harsh to somebody, but um, you, you've got to be able to bounce and not break when you hit the ground. I mean, hitting the ground is just part of our sport. But if you're physically strong, and we've talked about this in other shows, when you're physically strong and you supplement that with flexibility, mm-hmm. that's your best prescription to offset injuries. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. It's got to be strong and flexible. Because think about one without the other. Go ahead, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, they, they can't exist. They can't you, exist yeah. by themselves. Not functionally. Okay, so if you are talking to just the weekend warrior types or local competitive local guys or even guys at an amateur level, at a high level, what moves would you recommend? I've always been told the deadlift is one of the best movements you can do if you're doing it correctly mm-hmm. in terms of a complete posterior chain movement. Yeah. W- what do you like? Well, it's, it's so funny that you brought that example up because this is the one that gets me in trouble all the time. I think the, the function, the, the traditional deadlift and the squat are the worst things that we can do as racers. Is that right? But for the wrong reasons. Okay. Cause most people can't do an air squat with good form. I damn sure I'm not going to have them do it with load. Mm. So it goes back to with once you can show me that you've got functional movement without load, I'm all for, yes, the deadlift is going to be the best functional movement for the posterior chain. You got me. I I couldn't agree with you more. But show me you can do that functional movement without load, i.e. invest in a foam roller, invest in a power dot, invest in a good massage therapist, and get a good chiropractor. Because now once you show me that we've got muscle symmetry, we've got joint mobility, because you got to think about it. If I'm complaining of a shoulder injury and I I look at you anatomically and my shoulders are anteriorly, they're rotated forward, is that because my pecs are so strong? Because if my shoulder rolls forward, now the muscles in between my shoulder blades are always going to be extended. Mm -hmm. Now I'm riding the bike and I just lose the front end in a corner and the front end goes away from me. Now I tear the muscles in the back of my shoulders. Is that a lack of strength? No, it's a lack of flexibility and an overdeveloped set of chest muscles because it's going to anteriorly rotate the shoulders. So we're always looking for making sure that every joint, the bones sit in anatomical neutral. We see this a lot. We're good. We could talk about the, 
I refer to it as the difference between a pain site and a pain source. So someone will report themselves to our offices and say that their low back hurts. So if you imagine that the front of your quads attach at the top front of the pelvis, specifically at ASIS, if your quads are tight, it pulls the pelvis down and forward. Well, that creates that curvature in the small of your back, lordosis. It also, because I've taken the pelvis and I've pulled it forward and up, I, now I'm going to have a high hamstring tear mm. because that's the opposite side of the attachment. Right. Quads are tight. Now I have a hamstring issue as well as a low back pain. Someone says, oh, my back hurts, so I'm going to stretch it. Worst thing you can do. It's called the stretch reflex. It's a self-defense mechanism. Mm. This is what understanding the difference between the side of the source and the source of the pain itself. Tight quads are the source, but you're feeling it somewhere else. Right. And it goes back to strength training the same way here. When you're looking for that balance, it's do I need more strength in my, te- in my, in my pecs and my chest? Not if I'm already anteriorly rotated. I need to get this flexible so now I can go to neutral. Now I need to work on sh- rear shoulder strength so I've got front and back balance. Yeah. That's going to be the key. So you, there isn't like a certain set of things that you're like, these are the, these are the movements. It, it varies person to person. It just definitely. always starts with functional movement. Right. You know, if you can't get in a pike position, you probably shouldn't do push-ups mm. because you've got this big curvature in the small of your back. If I can get your back nice and straight, now we could do a legitimate push-up. Right. Great. Push-ups are going to help. But what are the two things that set us back? An injury or an illness. So when you can't do something without load-bearing, I'm going to, I would be absolutely irresponsible as a physiologist to say, you know what? You can't do an air squat, but we're going to do squats with 200 pounds Gotcha. because that's the key workout. Is there an exercise that doesn't work? I don't think there is one hmm. there. We're humans, right? Any movement's going to be advantageous. Yeah. It's about looking at the consequences of bad form. That's exacerbated with muscle tightness hmm. and then muscle weakness that leads to more muscle tightness that leads to compounding and cascading of injuries. Yeah. I think a step that a lot of people skip is some type of functional diagnosis. Like yes, you're talking about, go, go to someone who can say, uh, do left versus right That's strength right. and movements and go, okay, you're tight on this side, this side's stronger than that side. You obviously have an injury here That's or right. a longstanding one. I can see, you know, break that down, try to correct some of that. Well, and take and it a step further, forward. somebody that's broken their femur, right? So they've broke their thigh muscle, the atrophy, the muscle shrinkage on that side is going to be there. So now I'm going to be left leg dominant. Now I'm throwing the balance of the bike off because I'm always going to be left leg dominant. I'm going up the face of a jump. I'm leaning on the left. Bike's always going to kick. Mm. But I'm trying to go through rhythm sections. I'm trying to go through super cross whoops. If I'm left leg dominant, I'm always, I'm just interrupting the input to the bike. Yeah. So when you talk about a functional assessment, what we do with our athletes is we do what's called muscle symmetry. I want the left side to be the same as the right side for equal power output, but that has to be supplemented with flexibility. If I'm Gumby on my right side and I'm a rock on my left side, I'm probably going to get hurt more on the left side because of the lack of mobility, not a lack of strength. Mm. That's why I always say they have to be synergistic, not to you know beat that dead horse, but it's one without the other. It, you know, if we think about, no pun intended, we're only as fast as our weakest link on this bike. You can mod the motor, but if you don't put the supporting staff on it, and you yeah. put a stock chain on a modded bike, we're not surprised the chain breaks. Sure. Well, there's, a, there's obviously a lot more to dive into here to strength training and a uh, lot more information over at CompleteRacingSolutions.com. Uh, have, have Rob uh, helped you through some of these. You know, there's, there's uh, a lot of free stuff on there, but you can also get a membership and yep. get more engaged Happy with to you. Help. So uh, you're a fantastic resource. I highly recommend people taking advantage of it. So uh, get over there and check them out. Stay tuned for more MPH videos.
Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show, now available on the Spot Network, an independent standalone streaming platform live now on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Google Play, Android TV, most smart TVs, and all phones and tablets. Look for future live shows and specials only available on Spot Network. Download the app today on your favorite device. And don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell to get alerts for all the latest content. Follow us on Twitter at W underscore throttle underscore show and on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Whiskey Throttle Show.